Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dandruff Wittellis. This show is being recorded and broadcasted live on April 11, 2018 at just a minute short of 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Fortunately, tonight, despite the fact that we're bumping against midnight Eastern Time, we have our East Coast host here with us, Calwatt. Hello. What's going on, Drew? Glad you didn't fall asleep while waiting for the show to start. And it's close. It's it close. Was, it was close. I, whenever it gets close to midnight, I get <laughs> I get worried. But yeah. you're here, uh, Trader Ruski. I don't know if we'll have him tonight. Uh, I don't think I've heard. We better. Him We're going to need him. Well, yeah. Oh, he says I'm in. Okay, he'll he'll be here tonight. All right, so I'm going to go through the intro. Of course, as always, um, the intro takes a while, but you can now skip it easily because with every show description in the archives, if you're listening live, you can't skip anything, but if you're listening in the archives, with every show description, I now list a timestamp when each topic begins. So you can just skip to the stuff you want to hear. I don't suggest you do that because sometimes the best stuff is the stuff that happens in between the segments. But if you really must, if you really don't have the time to burn on this show and you just want to get to the few topics that interest you, now you can. So it's in the show description in the archives. You'll see it there. If you want to call into the show tonight, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain near Las Vegas. It's about 45 minutes away by car. About 30 degrees cooler there all the time than Las Vegas is. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. It's an old 70s rotary phone, which is located in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston and forged to me wherever I go. It's a separate line into the show in case the main line does not work. If you want to text me during the show, the main phone number is what you should use, 775-372-8355. I will read your text on the air, or I may read it on the air, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. So beware of that. But I will respond to you. I will respond if you text me at 775-372-8355 before, after, or during the show. We have the call to listen line. The call to listen line is a lovely little invention which allows you to listen to the show if you lack a computer, if you lack a smartphone, if you want to hear the show but don't have a very good cell phone connection. It's got you covered. It's just a number you call and listen. All you need is a phone that works. Any kind of phone. Does not require a smartphone. Does not require an internet connection or a data plan. No computer necessary. Even an old 70s rotary phone can use it. That phone number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. Absolutely, positively, never buffers guaranteed. Just It just works. It just plays. The usual problems and fails that occur with streaming do not occur on the call to listen line. 712-775-8162. If you forget any of these numbers, just go to the radio tab on the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, click on it, and they will all be listed right there. If you try to call during the show and we don't answer, that just means we're busy, try back in about 15 minutes or so, or try to figure out when we're about to finish a topic. 
So if we're between topics or just beginning a new one, we'll typically take your call. I just don't like interrupting things when we're on a roll. We have a free roll tonight, which begins in minus three minutes. Right now it's 9.03 Pacific time. It began at 9 o'clock Pacific time. But don't sweat it. You can still get in there till 9.25 with a full stack. It's a $94 free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which must be approved by the manager of the room, Belly Buster. If it does not get approved, then you will not be able to play. You also must know the rules in order to win the prizes. So even if you play, if you do not uh, qualify for the prizes, you won't get them. Make sure you understand by going to PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds, PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll to read the rules. The way the $94 gets distributed tonight is as follows. $50 will be first place. $25 will be second place. Third will pay 12 and fourth will play 7. Pay 7, not play 7. 50, 25, 12, and 7 are the prizes donated by the following generous individuals. Reno gave $25. Mr. Smith, 9999, all the way from Norway, gave $50. Dive Bar Dave gave $9. Dirty Ernie gave $10. Somebody else tried to give 20 Who? Someone in the uh, in the thread said so they, they rolled their uh, 20 from last week into this week. Uh, see, I, I'd like to just – let me see here. Uh – you know, I'm just I'm just going to hold it to next week. I don't feel like dealing with this. All right. <laughs> I, it's, it's just it's just tough. I, I established this. I mean, I appreciate the donations. It's just uh, I understand. It's just you already you already calculated everything. Yeah. You know, you know uh, I'll say this: when we're really short, if we have like thirty dollars for the free roll, then I'd say okay, I'm going to stop everything and collect donations. But when we have ninety four dollars, uh, I appreciate every dollar given here. I really do. But. It was uh, Suicide King that ro- wanted to roll over oh, his that was, 20 bucks. He, he already did that. That was uh, He did it, and he didn't realize I was holding it until next week. That, that oh. decision I already made before the show even started. Gotcha. Never mind, then. Okay. So anyway, uh, thank you to the four of you for donating the $94 total. Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money in our free rolls than any poker radio show or podcast ever to exist on Earth. Look it up. You won't find one. And we just keep doing it every week. And the money's not for me. That's That makes me feel good because it, it doesn't have to come out of my wallet. So I can brag about it, but I don't actually have to pay it. I mean, I, I pay it out, but I don't have to – it doesn't come from me initially. I, I don't get poorer as a result of giving away this money. And that's the best way to do it, to give away other people's money and take credit for it. So here is the agenda this week. By the way, if you want to go into the chat room, if you're listening live, you can go there and chat with others, even chat with Calwatt while the show's going on. I don't check the chat room all that often, but uh, you can do that if you're listening live. If you're not listening live, which is most of you, don't bother because there's nobody there. So let's see what people have to say. Uh, Matt the Rat said, I tried to give $30 maybe next week. I appreciate that, Matt. I will definitely put that for next week. Uh, Snowtrack saying, free Lou Father. No, that that can't happen. <laughs> uh, Snowtrack says, Druff is so rude to not start on time. You're the best co-host ever. Hmm. Well, it's thank a, you. A vote, a vote of confidence. <laughs> a vote of confidence. I, I, I got to play that song for the next intro. Why you want to be so rude? But who's being rude? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? Oh. The song? Um, 
No. Oh my god, bro. Drop Magic, the song Rude. Oh my god. I don't think I know. It's one of the cheesiest songs ever, but it's fucking. It's one of those like earworm things. You know what I mean? They you like can't yes, forget it. Yes. Yeah. Kind, of, kind of like that uh, Friday song by Rebecca Black. No, it's better. That that was horrible. But yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that well, right. I, mean, I couldn't forget it once I heard it. Okay, so here's the agenda tonight, and then we'll get going. We sh- we should have an interview tonight, by the way. Maybe even a prank call. You never know. So before we get going with our main topics. I'm going to make two quick announcements regarding the Poker Fraud Alert votes in the Women's and Poker Hall of Fame and the uh, the he- Poker Fraud Alert Spring Heads Up Classic, which uh, is just getting going. As far as the regular topics, though, I had another visit to Harrah's. One was not enough. I-, I felt they didn't fail enough the first time, so I came right back six days after I left. I'm not even kidding. Same Harrah's in Las Vegas. Came right back in there. And, of course, they had to outdo themselves. They they failed a little bit last time, but this time they had to really, really mess it up badly. But it was actually a funny story, which which I will tell you when we do that topic, which will be the first topic. But the story was actually entertaining enough to where Benjamin's mom really enjoyed hearing it, was laughing the whole way. And often she, she finds these uh, topics of like co- companies failing when I tell her about it. She finds them kind of stressful. She doesn't like hearing about them that much. She doesn't mind that they happen. She just doesn't like hearing about them that much. But this one she enjoyed hearing about. So I think you guys will too. The main topic of the week is about the Westgate. There's a good chance you've heard about this already. It occurred over the weekend. I was there in Las Vegas as it occurred. I was not physically present at the Westgate, but uh, a lot of buzz around Vegas about this whole thing. And I knew that would be our main topic of this week's show. Basically, the Westgate offered a last-minute 50% discount to their HPT, that's Heartland Poker Tour, main event because they weren't meeting the guarantee. For those of you who don't understand what that means, it means that they were going to have to pay that money into the prize pool either way, so they figured they might as well just discount the last people's buy-ins to get more people in there since they're pocketing that money anyway. I'll explain the whole thing when we get to that topic. But we have more than just a discussion of the topic. We have an interview with the 10th place finisher of that event who will tell us about the clusterfuck that he experienced firsthand, and we have some secretly recorded audio and video of shady instructions from the poker room management to players. One of the players went down there, pretended to be interested. And actually, I think he was interested, but also recording it, too. Whatever. Wait, he, wait, wait, Drew. We got the 10th place finisher? That's the best we're going to do on this show. Oh, man, I bet you... Oh, God damn. It doesn't matter what place he finished. He was there. That's the important thing. Did, was he was was tenth actually like a final table or did he bubble the final table? I don't know, but it's not important. It's just the fact that he was there. See, we I, I uh, know, uh, but uh, it just it feels other shows feel, will yes, other shows will get the winner, but you know, you know we, we're, like we're happy to have the tenth place finisher. Someone in the top three or something. We're happy to have anybody, even someone who <laughs> was out first. I'll take. Him. Anyway, we got we got secretly recorded audio and video of this whole shady thing going on, where the management there was telling the players to keep it hush hush for this discounted buy-in you'll hear it 
In fact, the audio is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. No one had this audio. It was actually sent to me directly by the person who recorded it and had not posted it anywhere else. And I don't think he has posted it anywhere else. But he did give me permission to post it, by the way. So we're going to play it on the show. We're going to comment on it. It's a, a very, very bad situation. And is this illegal? We'll talk about that, too. That was the first question in everyone's minds as it was happening. Is here, man. What was that? Trader Ruski is here. Oh, he's here. Oh, okay. I'm playing in a hand with him right now, that little sneaky bastard. Let me let me grab him then. Try to I'm not him. sure whether I should fold or shove. Can you get him on the line before the timer runs you down? Ask him, what do you have here? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you were betting two-thirds pot, what would you have? <laughs> Can you get him on? Yeah, I'm getting him on. I mean, he's, he's, he's been playing a lot of he's been playing a lot of tournaments lately on on Bodog, so he's been practicing. Ah, timed out. Okay, well hey, we, we have him. Go. We have him. Good, here. good move, sneaky bastard. So who timed out? You or him? Deuce three off. I timed out. Okay. Yeah, he had he had deuce three off that he raised under the gun, and then bet tiny on an ace high board, and then bet big when the ace paired the turn. So this is the type of topic I don't enjoy doing, but uh, I have to every so often. This show definitely hasn't had very good luck with its uh, longevity of listeners. I don't mean the longevity of their willingness to listen. I mean their longevity as far as living. So we had another Poker Fraud Alert radio listener pass away. This, this one was a sometimes listener, kind of on and off, but what's significant about him was the fact that he was the former Poker News CEO. And he listened over a period of years. And uh, in 2008, when we first encountered one another, we actually strongly disliked each other. And in fact, I did an emergency radio show on Never Win Poker with the express purpose of bashing the guy. And I did. And yet five years later, he actually commissioned a piece on Poker News, which is still up, basically giving free advertise to Poker Fraud Alert, one of uh, Cal Watt's favorite type of articles, an advertorial. Except I didn't pay for it. I didn't pay for the advertorial. They just did it. And this was thanks to him because he, he liked uh, Poker Fraud Alert. And, uh, now, and for the record, I don't mind advertorials. I mind that they try to trick people into yes. thinking that it's actual news. No, I understand. Know? I understand. Yeah. So Robbie Davies, former Poker News CEO, passed away either at the age of 38 or 39. Definitely uh, – didn't have a very long life at all. And unlike others in the poker community who die early and it tends to be from uh, yeah, kind of their own fault sometimes, sometimes from uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, other forms of unhealthy lifestyles, uh, he just was unlucky. He had a brain tumor. And uh, he's been battling that for the last seven years and finally ended for him on April 1st. So... Rest in peace, Robbie Davies, former Poker News CEO, and I'll tell you a little story about him and how we went from almost hating each other and definitely strongly disliking each other to uh, being on good terms and him uh, enjoying the show. Airport scammer Michael Borovitz, who once appeared on Poker Fraud Alert Radio to candidly speak about his airport scams, this uh, fucking guy. He, I swear he, to God. He just can't stop. He just repeatedly goes back and back and back to scam airports. He did it again. He's been arrested again. So we'll tell you about the latest uh, Michael Borovitz airport scam story. Now, who do you think? Do you think Michael Borovitz has scammed more people in the airport 
Um, or do you think Ken Scaler has jerked off in more Starbucks bathrooms? Because they're both kind of habitual on doing those things. Right? Yeah, I, I have to give Ken Scaler the nod here. Oh my god, that's a lot of cream in my latte, man. What yeah, well, the fuck? you know, Ken's been around a long time. Ken is forty-eight years old, so Ken, you know, he's he actually told me. I don't know if you guys. I don't know if I've ever revealed this before. Ken told me about the first time he ever jerked off. It was actually on a 976 phone sex line uh, when he was 15 years old. And uh, what was what, what was amazing about the story was Why is that, he telling you well, he did, about he did, the first he, time he jerked off? I don't know what made it come up, but he, he told me about it. But what's amazing about the story was that um, unlike most teenage boys who just kind of figure out on their own you know, that you can do this and that it feels good, he had never done it before. Through age fifteen, he never did it once. Till he called, but he had an interest in girls. You know, he had a strong sex drive. He just had never done that before. And then he called up a phone sex line, and, and the phone sex operator told him how to do it. So he's a late bloomer, man. Yeah, I guess. So anyway, we're still talking about. Thir- I'm going to tell you a funny story re- related to that. So I don't, I don't know the ages. I don't remember any of this stuff. But I, I'm pretty sure I discovered that long before fifteen. You know. Yeah. And. I remember one time I was I was jerking it off in the the bathtub, <laughs> and this was the first time ever something came out, right? Some jizz came out, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I thought I broke something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had no idea about any of this stuff. I was I, I have no idea how old I was, but definitely pretty young, and it that's, scared the shit out of me. I'm like, lo- "Oh my god, what the hell did I do?" It's a lovely. But story. then I couldn't ask my parents about it. You know, it's a lovely story. I, I you know. <laughs> So, like somehow, that? somehow, I had this discussion with another kid in in, in my like, my junior high school when I was like in sixth grade, and he told me that how that you know how that happens for him, and I don't know how this came up, but somehow he told me about this, and I said, "Really, that doesn't happen for me." And he started like making fun of me about it. That, that <laughs> then shortly after that, then mine started as well. So I was aware of it, but because yeah, I was, but it was the thing like I was. I was spanking it before my, I guess, before my balls dropped, I guess. I don't know. Because it didn't, uh, you know, nothing came out. Well, that's what I'm saying. When, with, something with, fi- when something finally did, I was like, holy shit. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying with, with me that it was that way too, except I, I, except I already was told at school that, you know, that someone else does for him. So I, I was waiting for when it was going to happen. It's actually inconvenient though. It's, you know, it's, it's much easier if it doesn't. To, to, you know, other, unless you want to have kids, then it's better, but, uh. Other than that, it's it's kind of a burden to be honest. All right, let's, let's get away from the, the jerking off talk. I'm, I'm <laughs> so early in the show, we're already on this this inappropriate it's topic. It's the Ken Scaler thing. Well, it's not inappropriate. I mean, I think that's informational. You know, I think most of the listeners here are familiar with uh, everything we've discussed here. So right. not, not, about, not about us personally. Were you telling us about Ken and, and, and the, the jerking off thing? The well, first a, time was just, when he was on a call-in line? Yeah, yeah. And that's when he learned how to do it. And uh, he was 15. But was it a dude or a girl that told him what to do? It was a girl. But uh, it was, Allegedly. It, it was uh, 33 years ago still. So there's been a lot of Starbucks that he's passed by since then. Oh, my God. I swear to God, man. I, I can't go in a Starbucks bathroom without thinking about it. And then I was yeah. like, all right, never mind. Different that, coast. I'm that's probably st- safe. That story really had an impact on a lot of people. A lot of people have mentioned that story to me. I didn't radio. know people did that. I didn't know people like went out of their way to jerk off in yeah. public bathrooms, yeah. man. No, that, that apparently happens. Of all the places to set the mood, I mean, that, that, that doesn't really do it for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> Hey, some of those baristas, you know, with the steam, you might have got them all worked up. In Ken's defense, I don't think he was doing it 
to anyone in Starbucks. I think he had just seen girls around town and just went in there because it was a place he could close and lock the door. Now, does he go in there before he gets his order or after? I know he doesn't order. He just goes there to use the bathroom. Now that I've done he before, does, he doesn't even order. No, no, and that I've done before. Like I've I've had to use the bathroom when driving somewhere, and I'll just you know. Yeah, but do you, you you go in there and you just jerk off and you don't order anything? I would think you got to order something. No, it's, right? sim- it's similar to going in there to piss, like I've done before. You just just go in. And I leave. mean, I don't know about you. I don't think it's that similar. I think it's pretty similar, even though you think it's similar to go in there to to urinate as it is to jerk off. It, it's much less common, but as far as having to order something, I would say it's the same. Uh, okay, <laughs> I think he's. Using Starbucks. I'd love to see people. like a whole uh, investigative reporter doing a story about this. I think that could be a big hit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's get through the agenda here. So uh, I, I guess appropriately the next topic on the agenda is that Backpage.com, the site that advertised hookers unabashedly, has been shut down by the feds. So we'll talk about that. And the Actually, a lot of sites have voluntarily taken down their sections because it is changing the law and makes them all scared. But uh, so it's been a lot of it's a lot harder to find a hooker online than it used to be. And we'll t- we'll talk about that whole thing when we get to our backpage.com section because I I know the audience here. I know the audience will be interested in that topic. Harris Rincon, also known as Harris Southern California Harris Resort Southern California, which I think is a stupid name. I still call it the Rincon. They were located in a city called Valley Center, California. Now, that confused some people because there is a city called Rincon not too far from there, and it is the Rincon Band of Indians, but it's not in Rincon, it's in Valley Center. Well, I should say it was in Valley Center. Now, they haven't the moved... Valley Center Indian sounds dumb anyway. Yeah, so, right, so they haven't moved the, the Harris Rincon. It's still there. But uh, this is a year-old story, but I've just learned about it today, and it's fascinating. Valley Center, California, has been renamed. And it's been renamed only because of Harris Rincon. It's been renamed to Funner, California. <laughs> and if that's not, kidding me, if right? that's not enough, if that's not enough, the mayor, not the honorary mayor, but the actual mayor of Funner, California is David Hasselhoff? <laughs> Yes, David Hasselhoff is the mayor. Are you kidding? Of, uh, no, it's a very peculiar situation. Uh, this, the this, actual David Hasselhoff. The actual like, David Hasselhoff. Yes. yes, he's he's really the mayor of Funner, California, which is now a real city in what California. The There's even a a sign on the highway that says Funner two miles away. It's it's so yes, Funner, F U N N E R. So we're going to talk about Funner, California, a year old story, but like nobody's been talking about it. I, someone just posted about it on our site recently, and it brought my attention to it. Speaking of Indian casinos, on my Facebook, I have a, a friend, not a it's not an actual like close friend. In fact, I've never met her in person, but it's a friend of a friend, and she is a dealer at a California Indian casino, not in Funner, but at a different California Indian casino. She's like almost 60 years old. She actually has an interesting backstory because she, uh, she was once uh, a stripper and a mud wrestler and a bit mm. part, a bit part actor in the seventies and eighties. And, uh, you kind of wonder, okay, those girls who were doing the mud wrestling in the early eighties or appearing in bikinis and, uh, 1980s movies, like, 
what are they doing now? If they're not married and grandmas by now, like, like what are they doing? Well, here's well, an answer. She's, they're not. They're not being paid to be in their bikini anymore. Right. <laughs> right. So she, she. Right. So she's she's dealing cards at Indian casinos now. So uh, anyway, she posted a complaint on her Facebook about a hundred dollar tip that she received. On a fourteen thousand dollar casino jackpot on Ultima Texas Hold'em. So, is her complaint justified? Is was the guy who tipped her a hundred a cheap bastard for giving her only a hundred out of fourteen thousand when he hit that jackpot on Ultima Texas Hold'em, or is she acting entitled? We'll have that discussion. Play money games. How could those not be legal? You have to think. You know, you're not risking anything. It's free money. You know, there's 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 no way you can win anything. So. Play money games should be legal everywhere. Well, not quite. Some play money casinos, including poker stars, have shut down access to the state of Washington after a ruling that the play money chips are, quote, a thing of value. So we'll discuss that, and I'll tell you why they are considered a thing of value, especially in one particular case. Just no one is allowed to have fun. That's all it is. (laughs) When I was in my 30s, my early 30s on Poker Stars back in the old days of 2003, 2004, 2005, I was shocked to meet some of the fellow players at the Upper Limit Limit Hold'em games. When I met them in person, I expected them to be around my age or maybe older. I was shocked to see they were all kids. They were all like early 20s. I, I was the old guy there at yeah, in my early 30s. Well, I have nothing on another old person who gambled online in 2015. In the year 2015, in the state of New Jersey, a person gambled online who was 110 years old. Not a joke. A real 110-year-old person gambled online in 2015, born in 1905. I'll tell you a bit about that story when we get to it near the end of the show. Finally, an editorial. When I was in college in the early 1990s, the big cause that everybody could agree on was free speech. Everybody was very, very, very pro-free speech. If you said you are against free speech, you were considered an asshole. Uh, nobody liked you if you said you were against free speech. It was uh, like heresy to speak against free speech, to say that free speech should be something we should take away. So this is difficult for me to relate to, but in a poll of college students, 30% said that they don't believe free speech is that important. I'm not surprised. So why, what has happened here since, you know, the last 25 to 30 years to where free speech went from a a right that everyone thought was super important in college to where 30% feel it's not that important and some other factors should Go ahead of it. It's because of social media gave everyone a voice, and everyone realized that giving everyone a voice was awful. <laughs> and they don't think that free speech is that important anymore because they've seen everyone's free speech, and it's a lot of garbage. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll discuss this. The microaggressions, you... I bet. Yes. So yeah. We'll discuss this if when we get to that segment. If whoever's still awake, that's our agenda tonight, and. I want to start off by quickly covering two short topics, uh, kind of uh, poker fraud alert news. First of all, uh, we do have votes in the 
Women in Poker Hall of Fame. We really do. It's not a joke. We really have a say. I've mentioned this before. Uh, Ten votes were given to us and allocated as follows. Four votes were for the site itself. Three were for me personally, and three were for Brandon personally. I'm sorry, uh, Cal Watt and Trader Ruski, that you guys got the big goose egg, but uh, that's the way they were allocated. So What a ripoff. So anyway, uh, the four votes on Poker Fraud Alert are being given out through a poll. So I have a poll on the flying stupidity portion of the uh, forum, and uh, you'll find it there if you have just looked on the front page. And this is your last chance to vote, because very shortly I'm going to be submitting the actual votes to the Women in Poker Hall of Fame on behalf of Poker Fraud Alert. The deadline for me submitting them is on April 15th, and I'm probably going to submit them you know, April 12th, April 13th. So it's important to get your votes in. And uh, you know, the four votes will be given out proportionately as, as well as we can. According to what is received, the leader in votes right now is Haley Hintz. The person in second right now in votes, uh, close second, is Jennifer Tilly. And uh, last I checked, third was Karina Jett, very closely followed by Maria Ho. So definitely Haley's going to get at least one, probably two of the four. Uh, Jennifer Tilly getting at least one. And the final vote, uh, probably going to either Karina or, or Maria, depending on who gets the most. So I will determine this when the voting is over and then uh, submit those votes on behalf of Poker Fraud Alert. And these, these are real votes that go toward the uh, Women in Poker Hall of Fame. So if you want to have a say in that, you do need a form account in good standing. And don't try to stuff the ballot box because you can't. If you try to register new accounts to just vote for someone you like, uh, I won't verify them. I, I scrutinize each new account on Poker Fraud Alert before verifying it so that that tactic won't work. Don't even try. But if you have an account on the forum or if you'd like to create one to give your vote, then go ahead and do so and just do so quickly. Second, the seeds have been chosen for the Poker Fraud Alert Spring Heads Up Classic. And I have been seated number five in my division, which is a little bit of an insult, but, you know, I I tried not to cry too hard. Uh, I was seated number five out of 16, and I was put up against the 12 seed, and the 12 seed is Jay Searles. And for those of you that read the forum, uh, I don't think that was an accident. I, th- I think people want to see me play Jay Searles, and he often trolls me. And we go back and forth a lot there, so I, I think people wanted the uh, the entertainment factor. Th- those setting this up like China Maniac, I think they we're going to enjoy a Druff versus Jay Searles first round, and that's fine. Uh, another one I noticed that didn't seem all that accidental was Garrett, who's been banned from the forum for a long time for basically psychotic behavior. Uh, he's been temporarily allowed to play this. And he's also, uh, I think if he wins the whole thing, he can come back on the forum. Some kind of agreement was made like that, that I rubber stamped. But he is playing Sonatine in the first round, and they really went at it pretty hard on the forum. So that'll be an interesting first round as well. But uh, yes, it's it's been seated with, with 64 people. Thank you to China Maniac for putting this all together and for the those assisting him. And there are, of course, real cash prizes for this. So... People will Is this be- the one that Trader Ruski and I get to play in? 
Yes. Yes, you should go look. It's been posted up there on the on the forum and the you have to contact the person that you've been seated to play and then you have to come up with a time that you can both agree upon to play each other. All of these games will take place on the Poker Fraud Alert No Fraud Online Poker Room and then you post in the thread when you, your games are starting and then you can you can you know, people can watch your game and uh it'll be fun. So I've got to find a time to play J Searles, but uh, that's how it's going to go. So check out the Flying Stupidity Forum for that as well. And that is uh, partially sponsored by the money recovered from the JSIP scam that uh, couldn't be repaid back to certain victims who vanished for years and we couldn't find them and they're just seemingly gone. And also by many people who donated to it. So very, very uh, fun event there. Then I want to talk about the visit I had to Harris because that it was it was a weird story. It was I, I always think that I've traveled so much and I've been to so many hotels and seen so much fail that there isn't much new that can happen. So I think I always think I've experienced it all as far as travel fail, but but I haven't. There's there's always new fail that can occur that I had not thought of being able to occur before. So. That, uh, this happened this past week. So I went to Harris on uh, Friday night, this past Friday, five days ago. It was my second time there in a week. And I was by myself this time. I wasn't with the family. I didn't need a suite. I just wanted a room that was quiet. So I was not going to get there till about 11 o'clock at night. And I know from experience, not just with Harris, but with pretty much every hotel, that if you arrive at 11 o'clock at night and then try to choose your room, you're going to get last choice of rooms. It's unfair. You know, I paid, you know, it, it doesn't make sense if you paid the same as everybody else that you should get last choice of rooms just because you're the last one to physically set foot on the property because you prepaid. But that's the way it works. They assign you your room at check-in. So I always try to combat that by calling it to hotels first and getting them to assign me a room and lock it before I get there. I usually call the day of at around noon. So I called a little bit later this time. I called at about 6 p.m. and asked them if they could hold a room for me of a certain description. And the description of the room I wanted was in the Valley Tower, which is the newer of the two towers. Not newer, but renovated. So that's the much nicer tower at this point. So I wanted the Valley Tower. I wanted a high floor. I wanted a king bed non-smoking, as was my booking type. I wanted it not close to the elevator. It didn't have to be really far, but it's not close to where it's not making noise. And no connecting door. Connecting door rooms can be very noisy because the sound travels through those doors much more easily in hotels than it does through the walls. So I called up with that request, and they were balking. They are telling me they, you know, they're, they're having a hard time finding that. And so long phone call, probably 25-minute, 30-minute phone call. I was driving while I was making it, so I wasn't wasting my time. It was still irritating, though. Finally, after about half an hour, they told me they found a room. And the room number was uh, 210-something, I don't remember, 230-something, whatever it was. It was on the 23rd floor. They told me the room number. So, so I got there. I checked in. And I go up to my room, and I was very tired by this point. I was tired. I had a sleep deficit. I needed to get up early the next day. And I'm all ready to just go in my room and 
hit the bed. And I walk in and I see a connecting door. And I was so frustrated because I repeated so many times during that long phone call. Okay, you sure that has no connecting door? Yep, no connecting door. And they, they, they'd repeat it to me so many times it has no connecting door. And it has a freaking connecting door. I don't think they even did this on purpose. I think it was just in the system wrong. So I'm like, oh, crap. Now i got to go back down there. Now, what's wrong with a connecting door? Well, I already explained. It's noisy. It's because if the person next door is noisy, not, not even like like partying or super loud. I just mean they have the TV on. They get up early in the morning. Uh, they stay up very late at night when, when I'm going to sleep earlier. You know, like sound travels through these rooms with connecting doors very easily, much more easily than if there's no connecting door. So I was like, oh, boy, this, this, this sucks. So I, I went down there. I didn't unpack anything. I went back down to the front desk. And I get in the seven-star line, and every line that is taking seven stars and diamonds is, you know, has someone there being helped at the moment. And unfortunately, every single one of those people was taking a freaking eternity with the person at the front desk. I don't know what they were complaining about, but it, it was several, like, unhappy people who were, like, going on and on and on and on, and just the spot never opens. Uh, oh, I skipped something. I, I called up from the room and asked if they could switch me. And if I could just get the keys. And they did. After after some searching, they found a room on the 16th floor. 16050. 16050, I remember this. And they told me this one does meet the description I gave. They said they were sure of it. So I went down to the front desk, and I said I got st- stuck waiting, waiting, waiting. I was just trying to get keys made. That's all I wanted to get keys made. There was a key line. There's like 12 people long, so I'm not going to stand in that. Finally, after standing there for probably like 20 to 30 minutes, I, 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 my patience was shot. This is my second time in the freaking line, and, and, you know, and, and I just wanted to get keys made. And the key line was obscenely long, so that was no good for me. So finally, I just stood up and went up to the front and said, can someone please make me a key? I already stood in the line here the first time. Uh, can, all I need is another key made because I was given the wrong room. So, okay, sir, hang on. We'll get to you. So finally, one of those people moved, and, and, the, and the person made me the keys, and then they said, oh, I see, yeah, you're moving to a, a much better room. Okay, well, you'll like this one much better. So I thought, okay, good. Yeah, maybe they upgraded me to a suite or something. Not that I really needed it, but okay. It, it sounds like that I got something much better. You needed it. You were mad. You needed the suite. Otherwise, you were not going to be satisfied. No, no, I would have been very satisfied with a regular room that was quiet. But I... See, I, I mean, you and I are different on this. So I, I try intentionally to book rooms that have the uh, adjoining door or the connecting door. I mean, that way I can put my porn on loud and just annoy people next door. <laughs> well, well, now you understand why I don't like them. You, you and I might have stayed next to each other at one point. Maybe. maybe that's I might have been the guy that made you absolutely hate having those connecting maybe. doors. Maybe. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, I go up to 16.050. Now, what do you think I found there? Do you think I found a connecting door again? Yes. No. 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 No connecting door? No, it wasn't close to the elevator. It was a king bed non-smoking. It was in the valley tower. 16, you know, that's not a really high floor, but high enough. Sounds good, right? Except, uh, and I noticed it was not sweet, but it was very large. And I, I kind of called it like a like a mini suite type thing. I, I texted my girlfriend, so I was happy for the moment. Until I walked into the bathroom, and I said, "This this place looks this looks this looks a little bit weird. Something looks a little bit weird here." And then I looked down, and the toilet is super low to the ground. Handicap. Right. And then I see the toilet has a bar, 
on the side of it. Then I see the shower, nice. the shower you can roll into. And I oh go, wait, wait, wait! You mean like a bar you hold on to? You don't mean like has no, drinks no, and no, shit? No, no, no. Yeah, oh, so, okay. no, that, a, a physical bar. So I, th- I thought, ah, oh, it's a handicapped room, and I, I go, okay, well, this isn't what I would have wanted, but I'm only here for a few nights, and you know, big deal. So the shower you could roll into, and then the, there's a bar on the side of, next to the toilet, and the toilet's kind of low, but I'll get, whatever, I'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. So then I, I had to do a few things on my computer before I go to sleep. I go, I go over to the sitting area, it's like the desk they have there. And that's super low to the ground. Then I, I walk over, then I, I type there. I'm done with the computer. I close it. I get in bed and the bed is so low to the ground. I feel like I'm sleeping on the floor and the nightstand is actually above my head. So I have to reach, if I put something on the nightstand, on the nightstand, I actually have to reach up to get it. I was below the nightstand because the bed was so low. And I think this this is so weird, but I'm just, you know what I'm just I'm just going to tolerate it. This, I feel like I'm ten feet tall in this room. Everything's I feel like I drank the potion from Alice in Wonderland where I became a giant. Everything was tiny. The toilet was tiny. The bed was tiny. Like like I, it was crazy. Everything was so low to the ground. So I said, you know what, this is weird, but I'm I'm just going to tolerate this. It's only a few nights. I'm just going to tolerate it. Well, I was tossing and turning the whole night. The bed was super uncomfortable. Probably because it was so low to the ground. It was probably like a the box spring was probably smaller. It was probably a different type of bed. Whatever it was, something was different there. I, I just slept in Harris beds the week before, and they were fine. Something was different. It was, it was super uncomfortable, and I woke up with my back hurting. I go, okay, this this is definitely not going to be where I stay. So I went down to the front to to the diamond room this time. Now it's open. The diamond room was not open when I arrived the night before. I went up at nine a.m. Because I had to, I had to get, wake up early. So just before I left to where I was going, at 9 a.m., I went into the diamond room and explained to them everything I just told you guys here. And this is where it got really weird. The woman at the desk at the diamond VIP check-in at Harris, she looked up the room, 16050, and she said to me, hmm, well, this shows here that... It's not a handicapped room. And I said, well, it is. It's got, it's got the roll-in shower. It's got the bar on the side of the toilet. Everything's super low. I even know this is a peephole, a high one, a low one for the person in the wheelchair. Differently abled. Yeah. So this is definitely a handicapped room. She says, okay, well, I, I, I believe you. It must be noted wrong. So that must have been how it happened. That must have been how they assigned it to me without, you know, realizing what they were giving me. So I said, well, I, I need to switch back to, the type of room I was requesting in the first place, which is a regular room with the king bed non-smoking, no connecting door, not close to the elevator. Can you please get that? She says, well, there's nothing with that right now, but uh, we'll be checking. And I said, well, can I have a manager call me? Yes, but the manager's not here. They'll be back at about 10. So they're supposed to call me at 10. So I was meeting up with some people at uh, – actually, I might as well tell you guys what it was for. It was it's a fantasy baseball draft in person. We're all, we all get together in Vegas. So the, the fantasy baseball draft started at 9.30 a.m. And I was tired. I was kind of pissed off that I was tired for this thing because I wanted to get a good night of sleep. So I, I warned them that I was probably going to be getting a call around 10 a.m. We had to stop the draft temporarily while I dealt with it. Because the last thing I wanted to do is tell, the, like, like deal with this after the draft is over when there's no rooms left again. So they, you know, everyone kind of begrudgingly said okay. So at around 11 a.m., my phone rings, and this is such a bizarre phone call. So I tell everyone we get to we have to hold on for a second. 
and I actually walked over to the bathroom of the room we were in, so you know, I, I wouldn't be speaking right in front of everybody, but I guess they could all hear me. So I explained the story again to that person, who was, that manager who was calling me, and I told him to find me a, a new room of, of the description I gave. He says, well, uh, we don't have any of those types of rooms for tonight, but uh, all I could switch you to is another studio suite, but you're already in a studio suite. So I'll be, I would just be switching you to the same type of room. I said, wait a minute. Are you telling me every studio suite is a handicap room? He says, it's not a handicap room. I go, no, 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 no. I, I already, <laughs> I, I, we already had the discussion at 9 a.m., me and the, the front desk employee. It, it's, it's mismarked as a handicapped room. He says, no, 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 no. It's not mismarked. The room you are in is a studio suite. It is not a handicapped room. And I said, yes, it is. I know what a handicap room is. Like I said, it has every element of a handicap room. He goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. It is a handicap yeah. room. So we have this debate about what a handicap room is. And I said, I've been tra- traveling for like 30 years. I know what a handicap room is. And I said, let me tell you what it has. It has the peephole high and low. It has the bed that's almost on the ground. It's got the toilet that's almost on the ground with, with a bar on the side. It's got a shower you can wheel into. It's, it's got a desk that's, that's super low. Uh, every possible element of a handicapped room it has. Tell me one element this room has or does not have that a handicapped room does have. He says, well, uh, I don't know, but uh, it's not a handicapped room. These are studio suites. Fuck. And I go, I, 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 go, well, I don't understand. You, you can call them what you want, but they're handicapped rooms. So you can say it's a studio suite, but it's really not. It's a handicapped room, and it was very uncomfortable, especially for someone tall like me. And and I, I you've got to switch me to something else. If you if you can't get me a uh, a studio suite that's not handicapped, if they're all handicapped and you don't want to call them that for whatever weird reason, he <laughs> says it's not a handicapped room. I say it is a freaking handicapped room. Okay, that that's what it is. You can, I don't care what you call it. It is a handicapped room. I ha, I ha, I said it was crazy. I'm, and people are laughing in the background at the uh, at the fantasy I'd draft. Be I mean, they're, they're sitting in the other room busting up because they can't believe this. <laughs> they can only hear my end of it. But can you imagine hearing this in the other room here? So you got to start recording these calls. Yeah, yes. So I, I, I'm like, why are you? Why are we debating about what a handicap room is? This is definitely a handicap room. So I said, look, just whatever you give me, please go up and verify it's not a handicap room. Please verify it does not have the elements I described. No matter what you call it, just just give me a room that does not fit that description. Just a regular hotel room that doesn't have two peepholes, that doesn't have a wheel and shower, that doesn't have everything super low to the ground. That's what I want. So he says he'll work on it. So about an hour later, uh, I get a call back, and we have to pause the draft again. I would say people were annoyed, but they probably were looking forward to some more free entertainment. So the guy started off the phone call with... Yeah, I just want to start off here by telling you, you were right, uh, it was a handicapped room. <laughs> so th- that whole debate was for naught. It turned out I was right the whole way. That, uh, no he, shit. He says, uh, we, we didn't have, he, so then, he, then here's my favorite explanation. He says, uh, so the reason it wasn't in the system that way was that uh, we just had a guest there who needed some accommodations, and uh, we changed a few things for him. <laughs> I, I said, wait a minute, so that, that's not true. This wasn't something you just you know, temporarily modify. This this has a lot of permanent fixtures and structures in there to make it a handicapped room. You couldn't have just changed this on the fly because a guest came in and needed accommodation. So what does that even mean? You you just changed it recently. So he must have just made that up on the fly to tell me, thinking it sounded better than we just had it noted wrong. So I said, okay, look, I, I don't care why it was listed that way. It was clearly listed wrong, but... 
what did you get me now? So he tells me that he got me a, a, another studio suite. I'm like, oh, no, not another oh, studio God. suite. So I go, well, hold on here. I, I, how do you know it's not <laughs> handicapped? He says, it's not handicapped. I go, look, we already had this discussion last time. I, I, wanna, I want certainty it's not handicapped. I said, Jeff, what do you have against handicapped people anyway, man? If I was with one there, I'd have been thrilled with that room. So I, I told him that uh, – I said, wait a minute. Tell me the room number because if it's a very similar room number to what you gave me before, I'm going to be very suspicious. So he says, well, it's uh, – then he tells me the, it ends with 052. Well, the one I was just in was 050. Mm. So I go, you know, that sounds suspiciously like the other room. He says, well, it is, <clears> but <throat> it's, it, it hasn't been modified to be a handicapped room. I go, look, I, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm distrustful here, but – it's it's kind of hard to believe that at this point after what I've been through. So can you please check on this? So he he like they sent a manager up to go check on the room. It really wasn't handicapped, and and he told me that it wasn't. So uh, I said okay, but you know if I get back there and I find it's handicapped, I'm gonna be pretty angry. <laughs> so he says no, no, you won't. We've we've checked on it. It's 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 not. So uh, that was the end of the call. When the fantasy baseball draft was done, I went there. Of course, I had to wait again while a long thing happened in the diamond room where someone you know just wasn't finishing up. And then finally, I get my keys. And uh, I went up there. I opened the door, bracing myself, dreading the dreading what I would see. But it was fine. It was it was actually a studio suite. It was the way the, the first room was supposed to look had it not been handicapped. So that room was fine. But then it wasn't over yet. So I'm in that room. I go, oh, finally got a good room here. Well, now I can relax. And I was very tired because I didn't get a good night of sleep. And I was all ready to just take a nap. I said, oh, shit. My stuff's in the other room, the handicapped room. I haven't, I haven't moved my stuff out yet. So, So... I had gotten a refrigerator in that other room too. I go, oh no, what about the refrigerator too? Should I, you know, do I have to now call up for another refrigerator and have them, uh, you know, bring that over to me? I have to wait for that. And I go, wait a minute, no, I don't have to because that refrigerator is on wheels. Yes, I don't know how many of you have gotten refrigerators in hotel rooms where you ask them to bring one up, but in every situation where I have, they bring the refrigerator up, often on wheels, but then they take it off the cart and then they, it's like a little portable refrigerator that they leave in your room like isn't that what like have you guys when you guys have gotten refrigerators brought to you isn't that what you've seen every single time yeah i mean half on wheels half no wheels but they always bring it with a cart or whatever yeah so this so when i had ordered the refrigerator the previous night to that 16050 room they wheeled it in and then just left it sitting on the cart and as the woman's walking out i go wait a minute don't you want your cart she says no the refrigerator is actually attached to the cart. <laughs> it was. It was. It was actually attached to the cart. It's a cart refrigerator. I, think I have seen that once or twice. It looks. It looks insane. So, I thought, well, what do I do here? I go, well, it is on wheels. It is on this uh, this cart. So I went. I went down to sixteen oh fifty, got the refrigerator, and wheeled it over to my new room on the twenty first floor. People passed it's me. It's a refrigerator. People walked by, walked by, going, "What the hell?" Like I wasn't an employee, clearly. So, like, why am I wheeling this refrigerator around the hotel? But uh, I moved it, and then I moved my stuff, and I was all ready to go to sleep. And just as I was about to go to sleep, I get a call. It was the manager at the VIP 
who said that, you know, hey, you know, you, I heard you wanted to speak to me. And I said, this is a different manager. This is the manager of the whole uh, VIP there. And I said, well, you're not going to believe this whole story. So I told her everything, and she was pretty horrified by the way everything went down, and especially the, the debate about what a handicapped room was. So uh, some uh, some future some concessions were made that I, I won't bother getting into, but uh, I, I was satisfied with the concessions made. Came over and gave you a BJ or something? No, no, not personal concessions. Hotel concessions. Mm. So and she was very nice, and she uh, you know she agreed that they screwed up big time and that, that she wasn't sure why this happened. I, I, my theory was that I said, look, I, I think that aside from this idiot who was debating back and forth with me what a handicap room was, um, <laughs> I think most of this was because you guys have it wrong in your system. I think, I think mm. people may, were making mistakes based upon what they were really seeing. So I can't even blame the, 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 humans, the human beings behind this too much. But the sad thing is, I said to her, I'm finally in the, the room I asked for. It took me four visits to the front desk and four phone calls. I said, so I, I feel like my whole trip, I've been just switching rooms and, and going to the front desk. It's insane. So she she admitted this was, you know, she could see the whole trail there. She could admitted this was a big trail of fail. And uh, anyway, that was trail my, of fail. Yep, that was my that was my experience there at Harris. And you know, once I was in that room, it was fine. And uh, yeah, but apparently they don't note very well in their system what the rooms are. Uh, I'll. I'll give yeah, this happened once to me at the Rio where I asked for no connecting door and at the Rio is super important for some reason at the Rio I think is the the, the hard floors or, or something sound really bounces around and goes through those the, where the, the connecting doors so the the walls are very thick at the Rio which is good but the connecting door is not at all thick so if you have a connecting door room at the Rio just be prepared to it sounds like the person's uh-huh. in the room with you that's not sound in insulation at the Rio. That's just the mold has grown in the walls, and it kind of deadens the sound. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to say the mold has gotten so big, it, it, it talks to me. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, I can say that. I'm actually hearing the, the mold speak to me. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's evolved. But uh, so, like, once I, I think I had it, once or twice I've had it happen where they assign me a room that is supposed to have no connecting door and does, but I've never seen it where twice in one stay they blow it like this and I've never had the, I've never in my life had to have a debate of what a handicapped room is that I never thought I would have that debate in my life but I, I did have it okay so I want to move on to the main topic here and this uh, this topic is kind of bothersome to me because one thing that really frustrates me is when legalized brick and mortar card rooms or legalized online card rooms but but some kind of gambling venue which is strongly regulated as all of the casinos in Nevada are still screws people and cheats people and gets away with it like that shouldn't happen you'd expect these shady stories out of online sites that have no regulation and can just do what they want especially smaller ones but when a Vegas hotel casino does it, that's that's when you feel like, where can I play to where I don't get screwed? So here's what happened. The Heartland Poker Tour uh, used to be very well regarded. And it initially uh, existed in kind of Midwestern type areas. It was it, it, it was what it sounded. It was it was a poker tour 
with lower buy-ins in, in middle America, something that kind of appealed more to the casual poker player who didn't live in the hotbeds of poker like Los Angeles, Las Vegas, or Atlantic City. So it, it was very well liked. It was very successful. Uh, it was well run. Of the various poker tours, it definitely had the best reputation uh, as far as the smaller poker tours. So the Heartland Poker Tour, uh, despite its name, also had other stops that were not in the Heartland. Uh, it used to come to Vegas, but uh, for reasons that I don't really know, it stopped. And in uh, two th- 2014 was its last year in Vegas. So it was triumphantly returning to Vegas in 2018 at the Westgate. The Westgate, for those of you that don't know, is the former Las Vegas Hilton. The Las Vegas Hilton was a very big deal in the 1980s. I used to go there in the 1980s. It was the I remember big- staying there. Yeah, it was the biggest hotel in the world in the 1980s. There was no bigger hotel. Bigger meaning not by height, but as far as the number of rooms. So there was no hotel in the world that had more rooms than the Las Vegas Hilton back in the 80s. And it was, it was a big deal back then. Then in the 90s, when the Strip Mega Resort thing became a big deal, starting with the Mirage in 89 and then following from there, the Hilton quickly became a has-been. Uh, number one, it was just not very exciting, didn't have any kind of real theme. It uh, was an older property by then, and there were a lot of new properties on the Strip that were yeah, newer and more exciting. And, and also, it did not have a good location. It was kind of off by itself, not on Las Vegas Boulevard. Is there a convention center as part of that thing? There is, yes. There's one attached to it, yes. Uh, okay, yeah, because there's, there's some reason why I stayed there relatively recently. Like, when I say that, I mean, like, within the last decade or so. Yeah. And it had to be because there was a convention there. Yeah. yeah. All right. So so people figured, hey, why stay there? It's it's not interesting. It's not new. It has a bad location. So that became one of the properties you'd go to if you couldn't afford to stay at the properties on the Strip you really wanted to stay at. And then it, it went through various ownerships and name changes so when it was no longer a Hilton, they called it the LVH, like standing for Las Vegas Hilton, but it wasn't really Las Vegas Hilton, so it was just LVH. Uh, then it became the Westgate. Las Vegas Hotel, I think they called it. Yeah, then, then it became the Westgate. So that's what it's been for a little while now. I haven't been there in a long time. So the HBT has a stop there, in, or should I say had a stop there in, in, two, in April 2018. The main event began on April 6th, just five days ago. And this main event supposedly had a $500,000 guarantee prize pool, and the buy-in for the event was $1,650. Now, when I say a supposed guarantee, we've talked about this before on the show, that there are these fake guarantees that have been happening on the Heartland Poker Tour, and this is yet another one of them. And this is just an example of how the Heartland Poker Tour has gone downhill. But they have these fake guarantees where there has to be a minimum number of players to trigger the guarantee. 
which, that's not a guarantee. Right, which defeats the whole purpose. But but this the is even, this is even dumber. Okay, it would be a little bit understandable, still wrong and stupid and, and misleading, if they had uh, a minimum number that was very low, so they don't take a gigantic bath, like so, to where their exposure is only. Uh, they have some exposure to to the overlay, to where they have to cover the rest of the prize pool. But to where like if if they need if they needed uh, three hundred players to break even, if if they got. 50 they wouldn't be on the hook for 250 something like like if they said there, there have to be more players than staff or something yeah know? or something or <laughs> something like i'd even be i still think it's it's something they shouldn't be allowed to do and shouldn't do but like let's say they said it has to be 100 players when the 300 point is is the break even for whether there's an overlay or not at least that's like a little bit understandable but but listen to this one this this is the most laughable guarantee i've ever seen the prize pool, they end up collecting, I shouldn't say the prize pool, they end up collecting $500,000 after 303 people enter. You know, 303 times 1650 is almost exactly 500000 mm. The guarantee is only triggered if a minimum of 300 people enter. <laughs> so the only way there can be an overlay in this event, meaning that the casino has to contribute to the prize pool, would be if there's exactly 300, 301, or 302 players. That's it. <laughs> you know, the asshole in a suit that figured this out is very proud of himself. Yes. I mean, that's you insane. What, I mean? well, what kind of guarantee is this? We're, there's only a guarantee if we're almost at the $500,000 mark anyway. That's no fucking guarantee. So, so that, what? They're risking, like, what? Five grand? Right. They're risking five grand. So uh, so that's that's already stupid. But uh, there's, there is a little bit of a second problem for them. And that is, let's say they get 300 people exactly, and the guarantee gets triggered, and they have to contribute 5,000 to the prize pool. Well, 5,000 is not the end of the world, but it's not just 5,000. It's also that they don't get to collect any fees. That the what you know the the sixteen hundred fifty dollar buy in that's only part of that goes to the prize pool. The rest of them are, are tournament fees, and they have to then contribute that to the prize pool instead because they didn't get enough people. So the the way this the the 1650 was split up was already pretty bad because it was actually 1440 plus 210. The rig was 210 on a, uh, a 1650 event, which is insane. That is actually the second highest rake ever on a live $1,500 type buy-in event. 210 out of 1650 was, was one of the worst <coughs> rakes ever. So, so And Kessler noticed that when they announced it, and he, he uh, brought that to people's attention. Of course he did. So so anyway, <laughs> using those numbers, though, using those numbers, for them not to have to dip into the $210 fee per person that they collected, they would have to get 348 players. If they got 347, they'd only have to dip into a tiny bit. So 347 is kind of the magic number. 347, 348 is what they were looking for to where they didn't have to give away any of their fees. Uh, prior to that, anywhere between or, – or fewer than 300, they don't have to give it away either. But if it gets to 300 – then they have to give up all the fees they're collecting, and they have to contribute a little to the prize pool. And even if they get above three hundred three to where the, the they've collected five hundred thousand, then they they make nothing from it, and they end up uh, having to operate basically for free or for for very little. So, with all that said, the number of entrants they don't want when it's all said and done, the very worst is three hundred on the nose, and anywhere between three hundred and three forty six is undesirable to them. Because they're having to give away some of the fees into the prize pool. 
The closer to 300 without going below 300, the worse it is for them. So if it were to end this up... Is, at, this is like the, the price is right. In it, it is. I mean, it's <laughs> fucking stupid. It is. So so like if they ended at 295, that would be great for them because then there's no guarantee and then they keep the full 210 fee from each person they, that plays. But if there's 300, that's a disaster. So so when it goes from 299 to 300, a disaster kind of triggers for them. So to show you, I'm going to bust out the calculator and tell you how, how bad this is for them. So if there's 299 players... They end up making $62,790 on entry fees. That's uh, 299 times 210. If there's 300 players, they make zero on entry fees and they have to contribute, contribute another 5000 to the prize pool. So that one extra player ends up costing them almost $68,000. So... Would you say there is a little bit of an incentive for them either to uh, keep it under three hundred, or once it gets to three hundred, uh, make sure that it breaks three forty-seven? Yes, a huge incentive. Well, that's exactly what happened. So they had the nightmare occur, which is, it serves them right, by the way, for this whole bullshit that they put together, this fake guaranteed tournament that they were running. But they they had the nightmare actually came to be. That I was about to say, I fucking hope that happens. Right. I'm so happy that happened. So, so the nightmare <laughs> came to be at the, the the they had two day ones. So on the second day one, dinner break was the last point. At the end of the dinner break was the last point that you could register, which is 7:30 p.m. on April 7th. At 6 p.m. on April 7th, they had exactly 300 entrants, and they said, "Oh shit." We just hit the guarantee. It's just been triggered. And we only have 90 more minutes. And we're probably not going to get many people because you know they've, they've had a long time to enter here. So we're probably not getting many stragglers who are going to enter in these last 90 minutes. And we are going to have the nightmare that we were fearing. Something like 300-something, 305, 306. We're going to get something like that, and we're going to take a bath here. Even if we don't have to contribute to the prize pool... We're going to make all the fees we're going to have to give back to the prize pool. So then someone came up with an ingenious solution, so they thought. They thought, well, well wait a minute here. The prize pool is going to be 500000 all the way through 347 entrants. So whether there's 300 like there is right now or 347, it's going to be the same 500000 we're giving away in the prize pool. So anyone who registers right now, the next 47 people who register – we pocket every single penny that they put in. I guarantee you it's the same asshole that came up with that scheme to begin with that came up with this. Yeah, so he thought, so since we pocket every single penny and none of it goes to, to add to the prize pool because the guarantee hasn't been hit, it's been triggered, but now, now but, but the, the prize pool will remain at 500K all the way through 347 players. We only have 300. Why don't we just do our best to get 47 more players down here, even if we have to discount the buy-in? <sighs> but the problem was they didn't have very long to do it. Remember, this, this, uh, they discovered the, th- the 300 thing at 6 p.m. Registration was closing at 7.30. People, of course, had to get down there. And people had to be informed of this in some way. Now, there were rebuys allowed. However, they didn't quite 
want to be ballsy enough to announce that anybody who rebuys will get this discount because then this would have created a, a riot there amongst the existing players who paid full price to get in. So they, they wanted to discount it, but they didn't want anyone who was already playing to know about it. So they got Vlogger, I'm not going to call it Vlogger, Vlogger, the Trooper 97. They got him to help out. <laughs> That's great. And they, they recruited the trooper at 622 to tweet out the following. Urgent. If you'd like to play the HPT main event at Westgate in one hour for an $800 discount, 850 instead of 1650 DM me immediately and start heading to the Westgate. Now, it turned out he was a little bit inaccurate. It wasn't 850 It was 825 They were cutting it in half. You could enter the 1650 event for 825 and start with a full stack. Because that A25, each each A25 buy-in up through 347 players would go directly into the Westgate's pocket at that point. And they had 300 at that point. So he said, uh, so then someone asked, how can they do that? He says, someone will be ma- will be putting the money, oh no, someone asked him, just curious how it's not fucked for every other p- player paying full. He says, someone will be putting the money in, it won't need money missing it will be promotional money well that's not true <laughs> it's not promotional money it's just uh they're just pocketing it all and then the same person asked back well how can they do that he says don't ask how the sausage is made i didn't <sighs> so don't ask how the sausage is made was in reference to how it said like if you saw how a sausage was made you'd be grossed out and wouldn't eat it but if you just don't think about that and eat it. It tastes good. So he's trying to say, don't don't ask how they manage it. It's just, they manage it. It's going to go in the prize pool. Don't worry about it. So, so they also announced in the sports book, if anyone would like to come play our 1650 buy-in HPT tournament, uh, 1650 buy-in, we're giving a 50% discount for the next 20 minutes. Please come in uh, and, and ask for Sal. Please come and ask for Sal if you'd like to play the 1650 main event for a 50% off buy-in of $825. So they announced that. Sal. That just sounds extra shady. Right. They should use somebody else's name. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. So they they were really hoping that no existing players are going to find this out. (laughs) Uh, Now, they also apparently did not want pros entering. Why? Because they were afraid that pros would talk to each other. They were afraid that pros would see how this is, uh, you know, that they tell their friends who also played the event, and everyone would get mad. Their their ideal situation was just a, a bunch of kind of nobodies were going to enter who didn't really have contact with other poker players, and would happily take their discounted buy-in, and that no one would find out about it. Foolhardy! How how can you do something like this, especially with a trooper tweeting it out, and not have it be discovered? But that that was what they were hoping. So, yeah, we've talked about the fact that. It's awesome that criminals are not very intelligent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know. <laughs> you know. So then this, this is uh, this is Ben Yu's account of what happened. Ben Yu, of course, is a poker pro. He's a tournament pro. One of the uh, Magic the Gathering guys, friends with uh, Justin Bonomo and that whole crowd. This is what Ben Yu wrote. I played one barrel in each day, uh, each day 1A, 1B. I arrived at the Westgate around 7 p.m. today, meaning this... The, the last day uh, to last minute register day 1C. I guess there were three starting days. I thought there were two. Uh, the tournament was likely going to have a small overlay 
or reduced VIG, meaning the uh, the fees were going to be reduced because they, you know, if, if it finished somewhere between 303 and 347. Uh, as it was above the 300-player threshold where they had to honor the guarantee, but under the 500,000 guarantee amount, uh, I was going to play regardless. As I was at the cage, a poker player told me they had made an announcement in the sports book that they were g- going to be letting people buy in for half the actual buy-in, around $800. The player directed me to staff person A, who I saw shaking hands with a couple of guys. I heard another staff person tell this guy, quote, these are Mattisau's boys. And a staff person A spoke with them for a brief time, then directed them somewhere behind a pair of closed doors. It's always closed doors. Uh, I I approached staff person A to inquire about the situation. He said to me, are you Danny? I told him I wasn't, and he left. A floor person I recognized from playing the other day told me, this offer is not open to you. These guys had a special promotion. I said, that doesn't seem to be the case. They sound like some, they seem like some average Joes he just met. To which he responded, well, if that's how it looks to you, the door's over there. It sounds like something a guy named Sal would say. Hey, if that's how it looks to you, the door's over there. That's what I picture. I bet that was Sal. I bet that's who uh, floor person A is. Uh, I left the immediate area to think about what I should do. It was during this time I first considered it might be unethical for me to try to get a reduced buy-in and that I should just skip playing the event regardless of what happens. When I returned to the area that the players and tournament staff were in, HBT tournament director Jeremy Smith was talking to a few players. Now, this is the HBT guy. This is not the Westgate guy, but he was there. I hadn't heard the announcement in the sportsbook myself, but a couple of players were recounting it to him. He said that the person who allowed that to happen shouldn't have made that decision and that no one had gotten into the tournament at A25, which is the lie. The players responded they had seen at least three players get in for that amount, maybe two more, to which Jeremy Smith changed his story and said if they got into the tournament at that price, it was a special promotion. At this point, he wouldn't discuss the issue further and told the players that registration was closing immediately. I don't want you to get shut out. You have two options at this point. Buy in for sixteen fifty or not play. I left shortly after. So that's what occurred to Ben Yu. Now, I know you guys are trying to picture this in your head as I'm describing the story, this, this very shady story. Wouldn't it be nice if you could actually be a fly on the wall and hear this process going on, maybe hear the way they were talking to these potential players that they wanted to buy in for 825 Well, I have that for you. A guy named Darren Atterbury, who also goes by Darren Lara, I'm not sure why, he heard about this, and I, I think he actually did want to play, but he also wanted to get evidence of all this and post this up on the internet and humiliate them for the, sh- the shadiness. So Darren went down. Darren first called there, and then he went down there, and he recorded both audio and video. So first, I'm going to play you guys the phone call. Can't hear drops. Can't hear it. Okay, that's what I suspected. Let me. Before. Here we go. It should work now. Westgate Poker Room South speaking. Yeah, who do I speak to? John? John? Jonathan? Yes. Yeah, who's this? This is Darren, uh, the trooper, had me call. Tim Watts. Okay. Yeah, all right, Ben. Uh, you want to get into our poker tournament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I get a, yeah, I get an $800 discount. Yeah, you're going to get $800 off. Right, correct. Yeah. If you get here in 20 minutes. Fuck, man. God damn. 20 minutes? Um, I think about 25. I think about 7.30 is close. About a half an hour. Oh, fuck, man. All right, shit. Well, 
all right, I need to get there to the Westgate in 25 minutes. So I can get in the 1650 for 800 discount. Yeah. I need to do that. All right, uh, I'm going to make sure I got everything, my ID and everything. All right, uh, I'm coming there right now. Uh, okay, I've never been there before, man. Yeah, it's Darren. I'm going to drive there right Darren, now. Darren, just, just go to the main cash pill window. Uh, ask for Jonathan Asal. All right, main, I'm, I'm the poker manager. He's the supervisor. Main cashier window. Yeah, I've never, I've never been to the Westgate. What I do, just valet it and then come straight in? No, no, no. The best way is park in the back off of Joe W. Brown, right by the race book, and just come right in through the race book and walk past the book. Yeah, okay, so that, that's what, that's the entire recording. So you guys here, he was saying to, to come in to ask for uh, John or Sal and uh, you come on in and get your $800 discount. Get down there within 20 minutes because that's when they're going to close registration. Now, there's more. There's more. He also recorded secret video of him trying to register here. And uh, listen to this. That's not working here. Of course it doesn't work. Twitter actually has a bug. That's the reason it's had. This is, this is tweeted out. Twitter actually has a bug that I've noticed that uh, sometimes if you try to play a video through an embedded tweet, it doesn't play. So I'm just going, here we go. That's some super secret audio there, Drew. Yeah, very secret. Okay, so I'm going to... So here we go. Should work now. I'm going to just make sure you guys can hear. And this is him actually down there now. A video of him. He actually did an eight-minute video. This is like a 36-second clip of it, of him attempting to register for this event at a discount. My style. Shit. 30 bigs, that's all I need. I'm all in. First five hands. I hope I'm at your table. Let's see how this plays out. Hold on a second. So she said this is a special offer. It's not being offered to everybody. Please don't pass that information. Please don't pass that information along. So now keep in mind, this is not a promotion. This is not where he was invited there. This is not where they're paying part of his buy-in or, or he won something. He's a stranger off the street who, who saw a tweet and was told to come down there. And now they're telling him this is a special situation. Don't tell anyone. Yeah, it's not for just anyone, though. You just, you are, um... Yeah, hold on, hold on a second. The 825 in your ID and clear. One, two, three, four, five. So that's, that's him buying in for the 825 uh, with his ID and player's card. I don't know if he actually did buy in or if he backed out at the last second, but that was that's the clip I had here. But it doesn't really matter. Uh, bottom line is uh, this happened, and she even told him not to tell anyone. Now, of course, this pissed a lot of people off. Of course, a lot of people got very angry about this, especially those who had paid full price for their buy-ins to this tournament. Some people like Ben Yu, multiple buy-ins for 1650 And a lot of people were angry about this and saying this must be illegal, saying that uh, gaming should get involved. But then some people on social media, including surprisingly uh, Ben Yu's Magic the Gathering friend uh, David Williams, you know, he of the... Uh, David Williams, you know, the... the the toe sucker and the ass eater from the, the porn. Yeah, the same, same David Williams. Second place main event finisher from 14 years ago. Same guy. Well, I knew, I knew he sucked toes, but he, he sucked ass. Too. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, you must have not seen it. It was disturbing. I 
I did not know he was an ass sucker. That, okay. that was that was cool. by far the worst part of the video too. <laughs> I actually, I, I, I actually, I actually fast forwarded that part. I, like I couldn't, I couldn't stand to watch that part. But anyway, wow. uh, David Williams and others were saying, "Why does it matter? Who cares where the money comes from? If the casino will put in their part, why does it matter if they pay half the buy-in or pay the whole buy-in?" As long as the buy-in really goes in the prize pool, which it did, why does it matter who pays? Why does it matter, he asked. And that's what others asked. Others said, this is not a big deal. If the casino wants to put people in, in fact, the casino puts people in tournaments all the time. The casino will will, will have whales there that lose money in blackjack and craps and baccarat. And they'll give them free buy-ins to poker tournaments. So how is this any different, they asked. Well, I'll tell you how it's different. Because there's a guarantee. If there's no guarantee, then it wouldn't matter. If the, if the casino wants to pay all or some of the buy-in of preferred players that they like, even if they want to have a promotion where people can come down at the last second and get uh, get in for half price, that, well, that's kind of crappy because it's it's arbitrary. But it's still at least that money is really going into the price pool. At least it can be said, look, it's the casino's money. They can spend it the way they want. If they want to put in half the buy-in for certain people, as long as the full buy-in gets paid, then fine. But – the difference here is it's a guarantee. And the difference is here, it corrupts the entire concept of what a guarantee is. A guarantee means that if they don't get the number of people to have otherwise covered that amount of money into the prize pool, that you get the overlay, meaning there's the prize pool is bigger than it would have been if this was not a guarantee. And in fact, the casino actually has to contribute money into the prize pool, which otherwise it never does. That's why people come down for guaranteed tournaments. That's, that's one of the big reasons they come down. So now, if, if, if casinos, when they notice the guarantee isn't being hit, can start subsidizing players, knowing that the, the money's going to go directly into their pocket anyway, of what the player does pay, then this is corrupting the guarantee. In fact, even if they let players in for free... This would be bad because they're adding players into the tournament that you have to now beat without increasing the prize pool. So like if they notice a guarantee is not going to be hit and they just gave people they just gave 40 people they liked, like uh, people who play in the casino a lot, free entries there, that would also be wrong. There should not be any kind of manipulation of the number of players when there is a guarantee. When there is a guarantee, it should be however many people naturally enter. And that's it. Otherwise, it corrupts the whole point of a guarantee, and the guarantee becomes very, no, very but misleading. I, I don't know how to percent agree with that, Jeff. Why? Because I, I, first of all, I, cause I, because you go to a guarantee tournament, so you know you're not going to get there. Another reason, and I don't know how to percent disagree. I'm just saying, you know that there's going to, you're not going to walk in. There's going to be ten people. At least there'll be enough to where there'll be a big enough prize pool. So that's the guarantee. But that's part of it. 100% shady what they did? For sure. But even like when they give tickets to players, I'm sure they give tickets to some guaranteed tournaments. But, right. So I feel, and I'll get to that of whether they should or shouldn't be able to do that. But, yeah. uh, But, but I. When you're saying naturally come in, that's just like such a. Well, okay. If, if they were to give people tickets at the beginning, if they were to, if they, and I was, I was going to propose certain, Regulations which should exist, and in fact, I'm thinking of actually really going to Nevada Gaming and proposing it. But uh, yeah, and, and even sorry to cut you off, but even just after like 
day one or day two. They didn't get an idea where this was going. Yeah, they were just like in the complete fucking dark until yes. ninety minutes before. Well, that's my big problem. Is, it, is at the end they're doing this to manipulate it. If they did, if they wanted to put their own players in, people that were casino players or whatever, they wanted to give them a free ticket there, and they bought them in from the beginning. I had no problem with that. What I have the problem with is where they see it's not going to hit, and they say, well, okay, now we have all these spots we can just fill up. And if they're going to do that, they need to make this very clear to the players that there will not be an overlay. That, that what they will do is if they don't hit the guarantee, they're going to either start discounting seats or start putting people in for free until they reach that number of people. Because that will make the entire tournament much less desirable for people to play. A lot of times people will play because they believe that an overlay may occur. And if there's no chance, if there's zero chance of an overlay then a lot of people probably will choose not to play. So, uh, And does it say in the draft – sorry, draft, but I'm, in the terms and conditions, has anybody looked into it saying that they reserve the right to give seats to house players or anything like that? Let me see. I, I haven't looked Because, I mean, I, that would just be an interesting point if they put that in. Because if I was them, I'd put that in every guarantee because why not leverage it as a marketing thing for your top players at the very minimum? Then at least they can justify the loss to a certain extent. Let me see. Um, do I have a link to this? Uh, I thought I had a link to this. Yeah, let me let me look. If there's any terms here? No, they say they've changed it. It used to what used to be a structure sheet with the terms is now just a results page. They've changed it. So I, I can't see that. I, I haven't heard of that being in there. But but definitely what they did was people came down believing that there could possibly be an overlay. And first of all, this guarantee was fake, and they were – it was put in the fine print about the 300 minimum, which is very, very shady to begin with. But then when this actually happens, and it looks like they're going to get around 300, then they find a way to worm out of it. So this is really, really horrible. This is really, really shady. This should be illegal, but I don't think technically it is because of the reason Trader Ruski was just saying, that casinos put players into things all the time. They'll put players in tournaments. And they'll play. They'll pay a tournament's buy-in, a player's buy-in into a tournament. So gaming has no problem with that, and I don't think gaming has thought very hard about what guaranteed tournaments are, and the issues that can surround them. Probably gaming's regulations on this is just basically they have to honor the guarantee. If they say five hundred thousand guarantee, they have to pay five hundred thousand worth of prizes out, and that's it. And I believe that's probably the extent of the law. I, I don't know for sure, but I think that's probably the extent of the law, and I think that's probably why the Westgate did this. The Westgate realized that every player between 300 and 346 would be direct money in their pocket. So whatever they charge these players to enter, whether it's 1650, 825, or even a dollar, each of these players who enters at that point, the money goes directly in their pocket and never leaves. So they're very happy to offer those discounted buy-ins. This screws everybody else who paid full price. And uh, these are not invited players. These are not invited guests who uh, you know who played in the casino and that they wanted to do them a favor. Th- this was just open randomly to anyone who was going to come down at that time because they they wanted to find a way to manipulate the guarantee. That's what was really going on. Now, uh, and drop. Let me ask you a question. What if they did it? What if they decided after day two completed that they were just way under, 
and then before the day started, gave up a bunch of, you know, gave away a bunch of no. tickets or did with half price or whatever. I'd be very anti that because, again, that's manipulating the guarantee. They, if they're going to do something like that, they, it needs to be very clear. I always say this. Whenever someone well, – well, okay, My point to that, though, was, though, Trump, did the, the players that played on day one and two go in with an anticipation of an overlay? Because uh, I think I can make a good argument that that wasn't necessarily – something they were thinking about i i don't know i don't know how much people thought there was going to be an overlay but 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 whenever you play a guarantee you always know there can be one and and if it goes from there can be one to the casino is going to make sure one does not happen through whatever shady means they have to do and just stuff players in uh that's a very different story than it's corrupting the whole concept of a guarantee so here here's my idea of what the law should be in nevada and everywhere regarding guaranteed tournaments i'm not saying the law is this way in fact i don't believe it is this way I believe that, uh, unfortunately, what the Westgate did was probably legal. So that's why nothing's happened to them. And I think if there were any complaints, they're probably going to go nowhere. But there does need to be some strict regulation of guaranteed tournaments so casinos don't pull this manipulation. So I came up with a a five-point list of regulations for very short regulations for guaranteed tournaments that should take care of all this to where to where there should be able to be no manipulation of any kind if all of these five things are followed so number one all guaranteed tournaments must take place they must not be canceled once announced unless a gaming official deems a true emergency such as a weather catastrophe which makes it impossible to proceed normally so that is if, if they notice they're getting a weak response that they can't cancel it before it starts once they announce it, it's, it's got to go through unless a gaming official who works for the state agrees that a true emergency has occurred, like you know, some horrible weather that comes in that prevents people from getting there. Number two, no additional starting flights may be added once a guarantee is announced. Remember, we had a, a, an episode where we talked about this occurring, not at, at Westgate, but uh, with another tournament where – Extra starting flights. That's right. That was a commerce, and then they yeah. moved the, the day twos and threes and stuff. Yes, right? yes, yep. yes. So that wasn't in Nevada, but that also should not be allowed. Number three, the guaranteed prize pool must be paid in full as advertised. Number four, there must not be a minimum number of players to trigger the guarantee. I just I think that's very very misleading. And that's not what a guarantee is all about. They should not hold it if they're afraid that they're going to get such a terrible response that uh, they're going to take a bath. If they want to hold a guarantee and have the increased number of people playing because it's a guaranteed tournament, they need to take the risk on their end. So there should no be, there should never be a minimum. It should be illegal. Number five, the house may not pay for any portion of the buy-in for any players in the tournament except during the first hour of the first flight. Or prior to the tournament, of course. So they, if they're going to buy in anybody, they need to buy them in either before the tournament begins or during the first hour of the first flight. This way they cannot uh, manipulate it later if they see they don't get enough players. So this would give the house the ability to put people in, but also not be able to manipulate it later when the tournament is getting weak numbers. So I feel these should be the five rules for guaranteed tournaments. I feel that these are the regulations that Nevada should pass and every other state should pass to protect players here. I've always said with everything, 
not just with guaranteed tournaments, not just with tournaments, not just with casinos, with everything, that when someone buys something or someone pays money for some kind of service or product or whatever, you pay your money for something that you need to know fully what you are getting, what you are paying for, and what your expectations are. And if there is a major element which could disappoint you, had you known about it, this needs to be disclosed to you. And if things are intentionally hidden from you knowing, whether in the fine print or just not stated or whatever, then you are being ripped off to some degree. You always need to know what you're paying for. They should be upfront with what you are and are not getting. And when I say they, I mean anything that you're, you're buying, subscribing to, whatever. I always tell people the litmus test for whether you were scammed or ripped off or treated unethically is... Would a reasonable customer in my position have known whatever I'm unhappy about? Would they, would they have known in advance this was possible? Whatever it is. Would I have bought this or would anyone have bought this in my position had I known such and such was possible or such and such was the situation? If the answer is no, then they owe you something back or they've ripped you off. If the answer is yes, then... Uh, then, then it's your fault. So if it's just your fault for not understanding something that, that uh, you should have understood, then that's a different story. So, if, for example, if I, if I register for a stud event at the World Series and play the first hand, I go, oh, crap, this is, I thought this is Hold'em. It's stud? Oh, shit. Well, I've already played a hand now. Hey, can I have a refund? No? Well, screw you guys. You're scamming me. No, they're not, because that was my mistake for buying it to stud instead of Hold'em. Okay? Um... If they make the event very misleading to where Hold'em players really do think they're buying into Hold'em and it's really stud, then it's the World Series fault and then they do have to get, should be giving refunds. So that, that's where the difference is. It's, it's whether the consumer should have known what he was getting into there or if there was something being hidden from him or something being there to trick him or, or purposely not stated. And I always tell people this whenever or, – or another question I always like to ask representatives of companies when they're arguing with me is what have I done wrong as a consumer? What should I have done to where I would have known this was going to happen? And they have a hard time answering that when, when something you know goes wrong that screws me and I say, okay, what have I done wrong that allowed this to occur as a consumer? And usually they can't answer because you've done nothing wrong. Now, I'm not talking about like an act of God or something very, very unexpected. I'm talking about things where, where they are, uh, where, where something happens, where you were misled, where if you knew what the situation really was, you wouldn't have bought it in the first place. So, uh, and another thing to always ask yourself is, now that I know the truth, what was this really worth? I know what I paid, but what was this actually worth had I known the truth? What would I have actually paid for this? And that's really what you're owed back. And Drop, let me ask you a question. So of the 300 natural players, what percentage of them do you think bought in because there were a guarantee? Or because they felt it was going under? Or which ones wouldn't have played? How many wouldn't have played you know, I, I don't. If they knew it was going to be over, right? I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about that. And by the way, was the number I'm hearing now was 309 when when they got down to before this before they took anyone who got this discount. Apparently, they were up to 309. So, 
supposedly the final 20, they got 329 players. I think I didn't mention that. They got 329. So the final 29, or sorry, the, tw- the final 20, they got nine natural people entering there anyway from 300 to 309. But then the final 20, I believe, did that did it at half price. Maybe a few of those were ones who didn't realize it and bought in for full price, but but most of those 20, I believe, did it at half price. So And they definitely made money on that. For all, all those 20, they just kept the money. So I, I don't know, to answer your question, I don't know how many people would say, hey, I wouldn't play if, if I knew it was not going to be an overlay. But... I don't think that matters that much in that it, 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 it's a major element of a guaranteed tournament. I think guaranteed tournaments have two major elements. One of them is just you know the prize pool is going to be X amount of dollars and it can't be less than that, so you know you're not wasting your time, as Trader Ruski brought up. That's definitely one major part. And the other major part is you're hoping for an overlay. So I, I think if you remove either one, then the, the guarantee becomes fraudulent, and the guarantee itself is kind of fraudulent because it, it, it couldn't take place until 300 people, and, and that was kind of buried in the fine print. They shouldn't be able to call yeah, it a guarantee. Yeah, but of, of the people that are wanting an overlay, I mean, do you think the average amateur to, you know, just amateur player that comes into Vegas wants to play in the tournament? Yeah. Do they even think about that? Probably not, but I think a lot of the people who played this weren't just the amateur player coming to Vegas. I think there was, it was a mixture. I think there were a lot of pros and or at least... Good, good or decent amateurs who are experienced enough to know about overlays. Even if they're not great players, they they know what an overlay is and they're excited about it. I think there's a lot like that who like you know, people play a guarantee. There's a lot of discussion of that, not just among the seasoned pros. I think I think you kind of have to be really clueless to not understand that that can happen and that's a big allure of the tournament. So uh, anyway, yeah, and I don't. And by the way, I don't mind the spread. For some casinos that might be trying something for the first time, don't know where it's going to go. You know, at least if they can reduce their risk, I don't have a huge problem with that. But three hundred wasn't that. That wasn't reducing risk. That was that was basically. No, 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 no I know. I'm just saying, if like if it was, you know, two fifty had to be there or something. Yeah, see, 250. so they certainly have a chance of losing, but not a shitload. Two fifty, I'd have a problem with. But that's still too close. I would say set something very, very low, maybe. Yeah, you know, one fifty or one fifty, one twenty-five to where, to where, st- still there could be a massive overlay, but 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 there's it limits their exposure, but but they still need to make this very clear. They it, it needs to be super clear to everybody, not just buried in the fine print. If they're going to do it this way, then don't call it a guarantee unless you have it very very clearly stated so everyone knows what they're buying you to and what the rules are. And if that's unappealing to people, well, then maybe you need to rethink the way you're doing it. There, there should never be anything hidden like this. Everyone should know fully going in. So uh, we're going to call up the 10th place finisher. I know Calwatt laughs at that, but we're going to call the 10th place finisher. I told him we're going to call him a 10. It's 10.36. So and by the, the way, it's nothing against him. It's just our poll as a show. Yes, that's all I'm laughing yes. at. <laughs> well, that's that, that's why we're not podcast of the year. It's we're like, you know, like a third place finisher, you know, second. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, let's let's try to call him. And his name is Ryan Stoker. It's his Twitter is Stoker's Poker. Is this the Ryan Stoker? Yes, tenth place finisher. This, this is Ryan. Yes, is this uh, Ryan Stoker of Stoker's Poker, the tenth place finisher at the Westgate HPT event? 
Good day. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is uh, Todd dandruff Wittellis. I've got uh, Calwad and Trader Ruski on the line. They're my co-hosts, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were the 10th place finisher here at this at this Westgate event, and I'm sure you've got to witness all the brouhaha involving this uh, shady thing they pulled, which we, we just ex- discussed at length. So I want to get your perspective as, as one of the players. This is one thing we haven't heard that much from yet, is the players who are actually in the tournament, how much they heard about it, what their reactions were. So when did you first find out that this was going on? That's a, uh, that's a good question because uh, I happen to know the guy who was making the announcement who works for the Westgate. He was making it over a microphone um, through the casino, actually in the sports book, and it was towards the latter end of the dinner break. Dinner break was scheduled to be from 6.30 to 7.30, a full one hour. Uh, a friend of mine who was not in the tournament came down and brought me some food, and we ate some you know, Wendy's in the parking lot and enjoyed the afternoon and then went walking back through the casino with, you know, 15 minutes to spare. And at that moment in time was when the announcement was, was being made through the casino. And um, I didn't really hear what was being said. It's a noisy sports book. Um, there's people around and a friend of mine, you know, we're in the middle of a conversation. And, and uh, but anyway, the, the poker room manager who runs the poker room is, is who was making that announcement. And he stopped us while, you know, microphone's still in hand and asked us if we wanted in the tournament. And I just said, Hey, you know, I'm still in this tournament. I only have 24,000 chips of my original 30,000 here at dinner break. I'm not doing too well, but you know, we're still alive with 24 big blinds coming back. So let's go to work. Um, and you know, I think the timing I, I wasn't listening to, you know, your conversations prior to this. I didn't I didn't get a chance to tune into this show, so I apologize for not being privy to your previous conversations. But the timing from a player standpoint I think was maybe a, a critical mistake here because if you think about, you know, the opportunity, if knowing that there would may have been an opportunity for me to get back in for half price, I might have taken a different line prior to dinner break with my twenty four thousand chip stack and gone after, you know, maybe a few extra pots or even, you know, made some pre flop shoves and tried to go for a double up or rebuy for a discount. Um, now, I was a, a satellite player from a Friday, so I played the Saturday flight, day 1C, which you know obviously allowed me to be there for all of the, the debacle in person, but I was also able to witness the player count ticking up on the monitor, you know, as you're keeping track of the average stack and the next blind level and how many minutes till the next break so you can get a new coffee and all those fantastic items. Well, there's also the 300-player minimum that the Harlan Poker Tour had written in in order to reach that 500K guarantee. And, you know, we hadn't met it. There was, I think, exactly 135 players for days 1A and days 1B, and we needed 130 or 165, excuse me, to get to the 300 for day 1C. And as time went on and everybody was watching the clock and whatnot, I noticed that it got real heavy red-wise between 4.30 and 5.30, 6 o'clock as we approached that dinner break hour. And I happen to be a regular Twitter follower, and I'm watching a lot of regular Vegas pros, which I'm not. I don't even live in Las Vegas. I'm, I live in Washington State. But, you know, follow some of these people. And, you know, the whole there's going to be an overlay at the Westgate. Get on down to the Westgate right now. 
1650, you know, looking at an overlay and a lot of people came in rich. There was, there was, I'm, I'm not going to exaggerate. There was at least 30 people that reached between say 445 and 615 going right into dinner break. And again, I think those people there in that two, three hour window. Um, and then myself as one of those players that didn't have a whole lot of chips prior to the dinner break were the players that would have been, you know, most affected by that decision because we, Certainly wouldn't have paid full price, you know, waited 45 more minutes, or I might have hunted my stack and gone back in for 800 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. So it, it sounds like to me that they, they were definitely going to go under the 300 mark, uh, and, but then a lot of people... No, no. No, it wasn't going to no, happen? Todd, that's, that, no, so we got the... Well, we as a collective player pool prior to dinner break were at 300. Now, I... I do say this, I know the, the, the poker room manager and in the course of conversation, this is funny I enough. Mean, we're right here at that seven fifteen to seven thirty mark. When he offered me a seat and I declined it, I asked him, Are you serious? And he said, Yeah, we're looking at an overlay here. The casino's on the hook for a chunk of money and he threw out a number and I wanna say it was between either forty or seventy K, which was later clarified to me and him and again in a further conversation but because they were adding money to some of the smaller side events as the week went on from day one throughout this. Remember, this was the finishing event of like a 10-day kind of series. Only one I participated in was the main event. I just flew down for that. Um, but long story short is they were adding seats to, you know, daily satellites and whatnot. And the HPT failed to hit the numbers of players. And I don't know where that correlation comes with the marketing. And But here's the thing we got to understand, too, that, you know, and I don't work for a casino. I'm a real estate agent by trade, and I play poker for fun. So, you know, but I do understand the business side of all of this a little bit, and there's an agreement between the casino and the tour. And the tour promises, you know, hey, we're going to bring in these amount of people, and the casino actually writes a check to the tour up front, and the tour goes on marketing expenses and brings in dealers and tables and trophies and blah, 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 blah. And then when the tour doesn't bring in the numbers, and there's a guarantee in place. The casino is therefore on the hook to cover some of those expenses. And, you know, they get considerable when you add it all up over 10 days. There was, let me just say this, there was at least, you know, 20, 30, 40 tables spread out throughout the casino in different areas other than where the tournaments were being held primarily that were nowhere near being used. The anticipated numbers that the HPT and the Westgate had to have pre-negotiated in their contract was far far, far from what actually turned out. There was lots of tables being done, yes. Okay. And so even though they met the 300 player minimum and the 500 K was now effectively guaranteed, the casino was still on the hook for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And there was money that I'm sure got paid in advance to HBT. And I can tell you this, it was a hundred percent a Westgate decision. I don't know if that's ever been clarified, you know, via the Twitter postings or whatever, but I mean, I was there and was able to witness who made the announcement and why they made the announcement. And I was able to converse with a few HPT people about it after, which they were pretty, you know, clammed up. They didn't want to say much because they understood that, you know, a pretty giant mistake fundamentally was made by offering these kinds of seats. I mean, I don't play a lot of poker and I don't know of any other time in history where this has happened, but um, I it, believe me, the look on my face when I was offered a half price seat, just being, you know, right place, right time, walking through the sports book at 7.15 p.m. that day just, you know, blew me away. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I, I followed those people, and uh, a couple people were like, I'll take the seat, I'll take the seat. 
And so that employee and those, you know, subsequent, you know, registries, you know, people wanted to get in. They all walked up to the main registration cage. I walked up there, and by that time, there was sort of a melee that broke out. There was, you know, half dozen local regs. There was four or five armed security guards there. I could tell there was some suited up casino employees there. Uh, you know, there was the Heartland Poker Tour directors so who were, were there, involved in there. Well, those people so, were out there because there was, like, arguing and fighting about this for, from people who had uh, registered yeah. before? Oh, the immediate backlash from the players. Because you got to understand that, like, there was a lot of people who had just come in and reg prior to dinner break. I mean, I watched that player count on the screen go from 300 combined up to at least 330, 340. I mean, the final registration number, I think, was like 360-something. No, no, it was, it was 329. One, it was only 329. No, no, no. See, they originally released... No, no, that's not right. There's, 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 well, maybe I'm. I, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at it right here too. It, it says, it says uh, entrance three twenty nine. Well, I know they posted that at one point. I know. Anyway, I might have to go back and look and see, but I, I, I don't know. Um, maybe the documentation they gave me has it on here. Let me see. Everything I've seen says three twenty nine. And I, as I was saying before uh, in the show, it wouldn't make sense if they went if they went over uh, three forty seven, then they were gold anyway. The, what they what they their problem was here is that once it hit three hundred, they were on the hook for the the prize pool is going to be five hundred k from three hundred players all the way up to three forty seven, and so so every player that enters yeah. between three hundred and three forty seven, it, it's going to be the same five hundred k prize pool, which means every bit of the money that each of those players gives them stays in their pocket. That's why they discounted. That's why that's why it was a nightmare once it hit three hundred. That uh, that they well no, no yes and yeah I get it and I think that the biggest dynamic there is a lot of people misunderstand that there's I think a, a good chunk of money that the casino forks over ahead of time in these transactions to you know entice the poker tour to come down and then the poker tour in return I think provides the marketing brings in players fills their hotel poker players tend to degen money off in slot machines and blackjack we've seen all seen it happen they like to drink they like to party eat food you know. So money gets spent in the peripheral, you know, parts of the casino, and that's the benefit of you know, hosting 300 players in your house. So, but um, with that being said, you know, I think the 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 mistake they made was there were a the few people that got declined. Um, I don't know why. I, I I just sort of stood back at the first bank of slot machines um, and just watched this, you know, giant melee going on because again, I was never needing to take advantage of this offer. I was just sort of seeing it all happen in front of me. And um, they were in a panic. And, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the poker tour did a good job, I think, after just kind of saying, hey, we realized that just because, you know, the tables after dinner were one by one asking questions. When the floor manager started to go back around and announce, hey, shuffle up and deal, next blinds are 500,000, blah, 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 blah. And people are like, really people getting in the tournament for half, half off? And they're like, hey, you know, the casino made an, made you know some kind of an, an announcement. It wasn't something that we approved. We're working on figuring it out right now. And they just left it very ambiguous and didn't say yes, didn't say no, and that was it. Never made an announcement either because, you know, like I said, I made the final table. Even though I was the first one out, they never told every, anybody what really happened. And I still don't know what happened. Well, even how many players got in? Is there an official count? Do we know? Well, from, from what I can tell. got from, in at a discount? Yes, from, from what I can tell... It looked like that before anyone came down for the uh, 
before this announcement was made about the A25, before anyone came in and, and paid that, they had 309 players. And then after that, they right. finished with 329. So 20 people probably paid the A25. There wasn't 20 very close to that. Maybe some people who rebought that didn't realize it was, you know, that, that there, this discount existed and some of them did it full price. But uh, I see very much why they did it. it it's, it's very wrong. It shouldn't have happened. It's, yeah. Uh, it, it, and and uh, but I, I see why they did it. And I hadn't thought of the the one thing that you mentioned here that that I had not thought of before was yet yes. In addition to the fact that they were having to dip into their own fees and 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 even between three hundred and three hundred three, they were even had to com- contribute to the prize pool. But even once they got past three hundred three, and and they had collected five hundred thousand, they still weren't collecting at that point. That's kind of like the break even point. They're not even collecting any fees for it at that point. So they're they're. It's eating away at their fees until they get to 347 players, which they never did, and that's why they were doing it. Every player that enters at that point, they pocket the entire money. Uh, but right, yeah, they effectively they keep lowering the rake all the way down. So, um, so, or they, you know, or they're able to keep increasing the rake up until what they've posted, and then they can put all that money in their pocket. So right, so so, so I get yeah. So so uh, why they now why they actually were turning away certain people I don't know my guess we'll never know the reason but my guess why they turned away certain people like Ben Yu was one that was not allowed to do it and my guess is that uh, they were trying to turn away pros who they were afraid would talk too much because I, I have recordings of, of uh, both videos of people who were there who, who a guy recorded himself buying in this way and also recorded a phone call about this whole thing which I played on the show and every time they're telling him, you know, keep this quiet. Don't tell anybody. You know, we're going to go do this in the back, et cetera, et cetera. So they're trying to keep this quiet, and I think they they stupidly felt that if you, they excluded pros from this, then people wouldn't talk. And I, I I don't know how they how they thought they could keep this secret. And they even had the trooper delete his tweet very quickly after he made it. And uh, I, I think also it's maybe you do you know at some point did they close the ability to buy in half price when there was all this anger over it, or did they do this all the way to the end? Well, I think that the opportunity was only open for 15 to maybe 20 minutes. Cause it seemed to me like it was seven fifteen as I was cruising through the, the sports book. And I was in my chair at seven thirty for the first handoff or, you know, after dinner. And I saw a couple of people walk into the room that I assumed were new registries and I just, you know, it looked to me like people were, were being, the ones that were being huddled to get into a, get into the tournament from what I could tell were being directed to go stand over here by the cage window. And then there was a bunch of people all yelling at each other kind of in the center of the casino, just a few feet away from the cage. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and I did see Ben Yu standing there talking to him. I was, you know, a witness of all this. And then I saw another gentleman, uh, a very well-dressed black guy. And he was very animated. He was very, very angry, screaming and yelling at. And I don't know if he was a casino employee or an HPT employee, but he was, uh, you know, basically dropping up bombs and, you know, telling telling them how, you know, reading them the right act there. And uh, I believe that guy was either refunded and escorted out or just escorted out. I hope he got his money back. I, I don't know, um, but you know, I did see Ben Yu kind of making a stink about it, and somebody told him. If you don't like it, there's the door. Right. And it was the same guy. This, the same guy who talked to Ben Yu is the same guy that, you know, showed the black guy to the door. 
Now, um, here's a question. You, you made it all the way to 10th. Yeah. You made it to the final table. How much talk was, after this mm-hmm. happened, how much talk was there for the remaining of the tournament, the remainder of the tournament of, at the table about this situation? Like, was, was everyone just going on constantly about how terrible this was, or was it only mentioned a little bit? It was pretty much like there was, uh, I don't even know how many people were still left at dinner break. I really didn't even have a player count left. But um, there was, you know, discussion going on amongst pretty much every single poker table left in the room. And there had to have been eight, nine of them. So, um, yeah, I would say pretty much everybody in there was aware that the seats were had been offered. That I was pretty aware. It pretty seemed like everybody who was in the tournament had already, you know, been there and paid full price. I heard some people complaining. I know Darren Rabbi was sitting behind me. He turned around to me and goes, I can't believe I bought in like an hour ago and paid full price. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, like I said, I was shocked. I was taken aback. I didn't know what to think about it. It made no sense to me. Even if the casino is pumping in money, I think the way they went about it was a little bit wrong. You know, they could have just said, Hey, we're offering a, a single table satellite and we're giving away 10 seats. It's 800 bucks to enter. And then they had everybody sit down and play one hand, yeah. and then congratulations, you won a seat. And I, I think the only people that could really hold their feet to the fire, and again, I, I'm not a casino employee, I don't know the law, and I don't live in Nevada, but, you know, the people that govern the casinos would be, you know, the yeah. NVGC, right? And, yeah. Uh, you know, so unless they broke some protocol with how, you know, a tournament needs to be structured. Because if you think about it, like I said, initially, there's got to be some kind of business arrangement between HPT and the Westgate, and the Westgate's, you know, operating company, and money gets exchanged towards the HPT up front is how these deals have to go down. The HPT is not paying the Westgate for the privilege of coming there, and I guarantee you that. And so, you know, the they're on the hook for some money. And, you know, that's just money that doesn't get accounted when everybody counts up these players' fees and then all of those five and ten feet guaranteed satellites that have been running throughout the week. Because like I said, I had a I had a secondary conversation with the same exact employee who had made the announcement over the microphone. And he kind of explained to me, hey, it's not just what we're on the hook for this overlay for the main. It's all the money that we've been pumping in. It's the fact that the Westgate normally has between one and three live games running. There was zero running during the series, not a single live game in the building, which kind of was weird. If you think about it, a lot of times you get a small poker tour like this comes to town and your live games kind of, you know, double up. But no, they disappeared and completely were at zero. So they weren't dropping a dollar. They had promised, you know, attendance that wasn't there and, so from a casino standpoint, I see why they were mad. So, so, so I, yeah, the I casino mean, decided, right, that they were, I think the casino decided that yep. they took a bath here and that they, they were going to try at the last minute to recover yep. it. And, and unfortunately, it was at the expense yep. of the players. So, and, and by the way, they, right. they, weren't, they weren't pumping up the prize pool at all. And that's what everybody needs to understand here. It's very, very important to understand. They were not pumping up anything because be, the prize pool was 500. Once it got to 300 players, the prize pool was 500K. And until they get to 347 players, the prize pool is still 500K. So the, not a penny extra goes into the prize pool for those 47 additional people. So that's what, that nothing was getting pumped up. And that's what everyone needs to understand. And that, that's why this is so outrageous. Well, one of many reasons it's so outrageous. So, uh, that's. Like, okay, listen to, watching Matt Salzberg's and some, like, uh, David. Yeah, audio vib on, on Twitter. I can't remember his last name, but, you know, some well-known players and they were going back and forth about the, is this right? Is this wrong? And a lot of the, you know, dynamic comes in with, you know, our players owed an overlay if they think there's going to be one. And so, you know, I guess maybe that's a possible scenario, but really what the casino offered was $500,000 
a $1,650 entry. You can bag 15% of the field on day one. You have an opportunity to come back and get halfway through day two to make, you know, make it into the money, which is kind of how that worked out. I think there were 69 players left and 36 people paid. So, you know, when the overlays come, maybe that's just a benefit of, you know, how that works out. But I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint the value for me, I guess, as a guy who paid 16, well, I didn't really pay 1650, right? Cause I want a satellite seat, but just assuming that I did pay 1650, you know, my equities chopped up at dinner break when there's 72 people left. And, you know, now there's, 81 people left yes. all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and that's a big be. problem. And, and, and so, you know, as far as the overlay, yeah. it's not the players are owed it, it's that they have to understand what they're buying. If they're entering a guaranteed tournament, they have to understand what they're buying. And, and they, 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 since guaranteed tournaments have been around for many years, then players have come to, they've come to understand what that means. And if they're going to deviate from that, not only do they have to make it very clear how they're going to deviate, but they have to make sure that everyone understands how they're deviating, not just burying the fine print, but actually make it very clear to everybody. For example, uh, 500K guarantee, but only if 300 players. Not not just bury that, but actually say, make sure everyone really understands before buying in that there's no guarantee unless it's 300 players, and also that they may just add players at a discount or for free if they feel like it, if the guarantee is not met. And make sure people know this before they buy in, and if they still want to buy in, then fine. But but people didn't know this. People bought in under false pretenses, and that that is my big problem here. And 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 uh, unfortunately, yeah. as as you were saying, and I agree, and I mentioned this before, I don't think anything technically illegal was done because I don't think there are very many regulations at Nevada Gaming regarding guaranteed tournaments. Aside from you have to pay the guarantee, and that's it. So uh, th- there needs to be ones. I, I already I listed on the site what I feel the rules should be regarding guaranteed tournaments, and in fact, I am going to probably try to contact gaming at some point and tell them, hey, this is the way it should be in the future. You should consider this and see if maybe they'll go for it. And uh, maybe some things will change. This was very misleading, and and, and I don't blame anyone for being angry about this. And as you said, too, the – this can change uh, strategy as well. If you know you can buy back in for half and your stack is low, then, yes, it's correct. If if you are willing to buy in for half, again, it is often correct. Try to shove in your stack and, and see if you can get really lucky. Otherwise, uh, rebuy in for half price and get the, st- the stack right back. So, yeah, I mean, as as a as a participant in the event, I feel 100 percent of the player pool was affected, and I think that if you broke it down, you know, the the people who bought in late and you know, or the people who were short were the ones who were you know more affected by these decisions. It's hard to even say that if somebody who played on Thursday or Friday would even be affected because effectively their opportunity has been dashed by then. But, you know, at the end of the day, anybody who was in probably, you know, at some, at some level was affected. I don't know, you know, that you made a good point too with the definition of a guarantee tournament. In Washington State, we have some guarantee tournaments, but they like to throw in those guaranteed player numbers too. So it's really not a guaranteed tournament because, you know, in our case up here, when they say it's 50K, it's, needs to be enough players at $100 a piece to, to hit 50K. There's never a, a gap. Like, the, if you hit 300, we'll give you the 500K. But the real number is more than 300 in order to cover the 500K. But when you back out the rakes, which in this case, we've also seen some comments, and I think it's true, was a little bit high. Yeah, it was a lot high. Rake, I think. Yeah. 
two hundred and something dollars on a sixteen hundred dollar buy-in. I mean, that's pretty big. Yeah, it was two ten. Yeah, um, and, and and the world to give everybody reference yeah. here, two ten is the uh, was the rake here, and uh, the rake at the World Series for a fifteen hundred event is one fifty. That's that's a pretty big difference. And the the yeah. World Series is not cheap. It's just uh, that that's kind of standard. The one the one fifty out of uh, Fifteen hundred—that's that's kind of typical at this point. Uh, Two ten out of sixteen fifty is not typical. That, that is very high, uh, because of the number of players they ended up getting. It ended up being uh, about one thirty, but that's just the way it fell. They didn't lower it or anything. So, anyway, uh, it's unfortunate that you were part of this whole uh, mess here. Now, you, only one person was was kicked out from what you saw from the whole brouhaha. You know, yeah, from what I could tell, it was just the one guy who was real, real, real angry and yelling on the top of his lungs. I think he would have been the catalyst that would have gotten, you know, six, six armed security guards to, you know, to come on down. But in that group of people all involved, in, there was, you know, the two HPT foremen, a half dozen players, three or four casino-suited employees, and a couple of, you know, senior back office employees, like a nice-looking nice lady in her 60s or 70s that she's probably the bookkeeper she's mm-hmm. probably had the spreadsheet you know and so i could just tell and then after talking with the, the poker room manager that made the announcement over the the you know the microphone i could just tell that, that the casino had, had enough and they were willing to do whatever it was right or wrong in their minds they felt like they weren't breaking the law and they were going to offer those seats up and you know i was probably the first person in the building to be offered a seat because he hadn't even quite finished his announcement and turned around. And I know this guy personally, he knows my first name and looked me in the eye and said, do you want in for 800 and something bucks? And I was like, I have chips. So no. Yeah. And, and Thanks. something I've, I've been thinking about with this, I, I'm guessing this HPT will probably not come back to the Westgate after this mess and nor will the, maybe the Westgate won't even want them anyway, because of uh, they lost money on this. So this may have just I, been. I promise you that's the case. Yeah, I so, guarantee you'll never see it out. But I, this is my third HPT main event. I went to the Blackhawk Colorado main event, played a satellite, won the main event. So you didn't cash that one. Went down to Thunder Valley in Sacramento, played the same thing. I think that one was like a $2,250 buy-in. Again, won a satellite, didn't cash. But, you know, the well-run tournaments, uh, historically, those events had some history behind them. I actually went back and looked up via hand and mob and card player some results from the previous festivals or however they tag them on there. But, you know, I wanted to see, you know, where the guarantees met, how many people, you know, were entering these tournaments. You know, is my is my $1,650 well spent? And they were because they previous years had smashed their guarantees. And, you know, it was great. So I took the trip, flew down there, stayed, you know, three to five days and left my wife and two kids here in Spokane, Washington and made those trips. And it was well worth it. And I'd go back to those venues again. I love Denver. It was great. It was a great trip. If you haven't been out there, Blackhawk's a fantastic little spot. But Westgate, probably not happening. I imagine all the live game players who came to town to play the tournament went elsewhere. Games are probably better at the already on the Bellagio anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, yeah. and that's what I think. I, I so. think that uh, the, both – I think the Westgate realized that they're not – Doing this again, so they're just, they're going to do whatever they need to do to to recoup whatever losses they can. And as far as uh, the players who could be pissed, since they're not going to hold a similar type tournament there again anyway, these are players that probably aren't going to come back to the Westgate at any point, regardless. So uh, they didn't care if they pissed them off. So I think they felt that this is legal, even if everyone's pissed, we don't care. Uh, we get some money back, and the customers we're losing, we probably wouldn't have anyway in the future, so F it. Now, but, what do you think? Do you think it's legal, what they did? Yes. Unfortunately, I, I think it's immoral, but I think it's legal yeah. because I think there are not 
laws on the books about guaranteed tournaments than there should be. So yeah. Anyway, okay. uh, th- th- thanks for coming on here and, and uh, clarifying you know, from the player point of view and giving us some more detail here. And I think everybody has a pretty good picture of what happened. I think it's uh, reprehensible. And how, how much did Tenth pay, by the way? Uh, tenth paid ninety four and some change. And I'll tell you that there were sixty nine people who made day two. I had the sixty eighth shortest stack, and only. 36 people paid. I had eight big blinds to start day two. And on my table draw, I had Matt Berkey on my immediate left. I had 33,000 chips. He had 255 and a couple other stacks that were, you know, right around that 200K mark. And fortunately, my first four pots I played were versus Berkey. I was able to win all four pots. Three of them, I had the best hand. One of them, I was able to bluff him, ironically. And he folded. And so that propelled me into making that 36 minimum cash, which wouldn't have been great. I was still happy with that. But then once we got down to that 36 player mark, I found myself sitting on about 25 big blinds, totally a peak for me. And yeah, we made a final table with five big blinds and we got it in with an ace and a seven versus a king and a jack. And you know how that plays out. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I understand. You know, like 10th is a crappy spot to finish because it, you know, the, the payment is kind of just like just before it starts getting big. So it could be, uh, it can be annoying, yeah. but, to, but if, if you really were in such horrible shape, uh, coming into day two and, and, and short the most of the way, you, you don't feel quite as disappointed because you feel like you, you, you stretch as much as you could out of what you, you had there. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I did good. So I'm happy with it. All right. That's good. All right. Well, so thank you for coming on the show and, uh, we're going to move on to the next topics, but, uh, Thank you, and uh, you know we, we couldn't get to finishers one through nine, so I'm glad we got number ten. Have a nice day, Todd. Okay, for okay, thank you. Bye. Well, that's uh, I think the most interesting part of this whole thing from from the call there was was the the perspective that they also pay the HPT to to have that there, which I hadn't really thought of, and that they must have really felt that they were just taking a bath on the whole tournament the preliminary events and the main event, and they're like, you know what, F it, we're going to do what we can to get some money back and fuck the poker players. That's what I think happened. Yeah, it's pretty common for those tournaments that the casinos pay to have them there because they bring tons of people into the uh, into the the casino. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's why it's not that hard. If, if a casino believes that you you have a way to bring people in there they will let you have a tournament there pretty easily especially if you don't charge them for it or if you and we've seen that with some of the fucking schlubs of yes yes and and even like the the (laughs) real grinders for example who who, yeah and i don't think the real grinders and ray davis are are ripping anyone off in any way but but like they they have a tournament coming up at the venetian i saw and so you go wow you know like it just was pretty much a, a facebook group how are they having tournaments well because it's a large facebook group and they can uh so, so the Venetians like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll we'll give it a shot. So I, I, I don't know what what Ray Davis and Real Grinders are, are getting for that, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's not that hard to do if the casinos feel that some extra factor will bring people in as opposed to just their own internal tournament, then uh, then they'll allow it. And and then in cases like the HBT, that's the way these tours make money. It's, is is uh, where the where the venue will will pay to be associated there. So the Westgate wanted to take a shot here after. Yeah. It's just a, it's a marketing promotion as far as they're concerned. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm sure it's different budgets too, that it comes out of. Yeah. I think. 
Yeah, and, that, no. and this and this is the problem. For the average player, they don't think about all of this. They just think, okay, it's an HBT event. Hey, I like the HBT. It's a, I enjoy those events. And uh, and uh, oh, the Westgate. You know, that's, that's a casino in Las Vegas. Okay, and they, you don't think about it. You just go, okay, the HBT. It's stopping at Westgate. That's what the average. They just kind of picture a, a roaming tour, and it, it's stopping at the Westgate. They don't. They don't really think about the the business elements of it, and they're really not supposed to think about those things. And, and this happens a lot where there's there's a brand, but where it's actually various totally independent elements getting together, which often have very different goals. It's it's even similar in some ways to franchises where, where like a, fra- a franchised uh, fast food place, which has an individual owner, but it's operating under the McDonald's brand, and and so the Often, what the owner will do there is so, you know, the the owner is only thinking about profiting, and he doesn't give a crap of what people think of the the overall brand itself. So the owner of a McDonald's doesn't care so much about how people. If if like a customer in that McDonald's, if he knows for a fact that person's out of the area and never coming back ever again, uh, the that owner is not going to care if that person's pissed off or has a very bad impression of McDonald's. He doesn't give a crap if that person ever goes into a McDonald's again if he's never going to come in their McDonald's. All he cares about is his, his individual store, whereas the, the corporation, they don't give a crap so much about this individual owner. They just want the, the brand to maintain a good reputation. So it's, it, it's similar here where the HBT, they have a name to protect. Uh, the Westgate, they just want to make money. And here you had it where the Westgate made a decision which makes the HBT look bad and the HBT wishes they hadn't. But then Westgate's not coming back there anyway, so – they don't Fuck give a crap. Em. Yeah, that's what happened. And the, so poker <laughs> players basically took it up the ass here as a result of this whole situation. That never happens. Yeah. So, but it's it sucks that there's the, these holes in the law that allow this t- sort of thing to happen. They just, I, I don't think anything about guaranteed tournaments was ever in the, the Nevada gaming regulations, and there should be. I don't know this for sure, but that, that's what I think. Okay. So, and by the way, as, as a final thing before we we close this topic here. Uh, Jeremy Smith, who's on Twitter, is at HBT Jeremy. He, uh, while he was present for it there, and he was tweeting about it before this stuff occurred, about it meaning the tournament, not about this discounted buy-in, he did tweet out the next day, I did not okay this, it was a Westgate decision. I actually believe that. And I don't think he would have been on board for this, because, again, the HBT doesn't care whether Westgate makes money or not. The HBT only cares about their brand and about uh, the people's perception of the brand. So I think once it happened, then they wanted to go into damage control. Obviously, HBT didn't want a big social media discussion about this. That's why he got all cagey about it. But for a different reason than the Westgate did. So I do believe that he didn't okay this. He would have no reason to okay it. Because it would be the Westgate taking the loss, not 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 the HPT. So, at that point, they kind of had to save face. So he he can say it's a Westgate decision, but at, at the same time, he doesn't want to go parading all over social media talking about how awful Westgate is. Because uh, first of all, they don't want to make it look like they do this to their to the hosting venues. If there's That's exactly why you don't do it. And, and, then, and then second, uh, you just don't want to bring attention to this happening at all. You hope, you hope the story goes away if you're the HBO. Right. So it's it's a big mess. And hopefully uh, 
some of these things will change. Hopefully, the maybe Nevada Gaming will finally make some rules about this. And I think I will. Contact I don't think so, Drove. I think you're going to have enough topics to fill the next ten years. Is the you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, shit like this is going to go on for forever. Yeah. Well, moving on to the next topic. Uh, I want to talk a bit about Ravi Davies, the former Poker News CEO, who unfortunately passed away on April 1st, 2018, just uh, 10 days ago. And this is notable to me because I had a number of personal interactions with a guy dating back to 2008. And back in 2008, they were not very positive. So this is one of the few people in poker who I I went from strongly disliking and him strongly disliking me to What happened, man? To both of us dis- to both of us liking each other. And this that doesn't happen often here. Like I there's a number of people in poker I dislike and that dislike me. There's a number of people in poker that I like and like me. But uh, for the most part it's it's been pretty constant. I I've had some people that that have, you know gone from neutral to either of those into the spectrum, but uh, there aren't many in poker that I can say that we were on kind of both sides of this, especially in the positive way. It's one thing to be friends with someone and then it goes wrong and, and you hate each other. This this is the other way around, where you start off pretty badly and then it, it vastly improves. So a lot of you actually enjoy the old Never Win Poker stories, especially those that weren't around in those days, some crazy times there. So this story I'm going to tell you guys actually has to do with that. It has to do with Neverwin Poker and some of the degeneracy going on then, and uh, how Robbie Davies was none too much a fan of that. So this is this is what happened. Neverwin Poker, which is kind of the predecessor to this site in a way, predecessor meaning that a lot of the people in the forum community and even some of the radio listeners started off over there. And kind of followed here. This is not directly associated with Neverwin Poker in any way, but that's a, a lot of the audience we have, both on the forum and the radio show, uh, originated from there. So Neverwin Poker started in 2004. Brian Mikon started the site as a fan site for Dustin Wolf, also known as Neverwin, because Dustin was starting to kill the heads up limit hold'em games on Poker Stars, and people were starting to notice him. Uh, Neverwin was pretty much like a fish in 2003 on that site, but in 04 he had a turnaround and discovered he really had a talent for heads up. Before that, he didn't play much heads up. He was playing ring games and getting killed. He didn't have the patience, but uh, he realized heads up was a different animal and he was much better at it, so he started to really kill the heads up games. He took people by surprise because people knew him as a fish before, and then he uh, he was destroying them all. So Brian Mikon knew him from playing with him in Chicago, at Harris Chicago, where they had a poker room. And uh, they, they had become friends, so Mikon offered to set up a website, a forum, that was just a fan site for Neverwin. Well, even in 04 during the poker boom, uh, a fan site for Neverwin was going too far. There wasn't going to have, there was, there was not going to be a lot of interest in that. I mean, people were kind of fascinated with this Neverwin thing and, and how he came out of nowhere to be so good at heads up, but that's pretty much it. Like, like what are you going to do? Sit around, you know, talking every day about how exciting it is to watch Neverwin play on Poker Stars? It's a topic which doesn't merit an entire forum by any stretch of the imagination. 
So, as you can imagine, it was going nowhere. Until I showed up there. And I was there just to troll Neverwin because we were kind of rivals on Poker Stars by that point. And I had just planned to just troll and leave, but I stuck around, and then people who saw me play on Poker Stars all the time, a lot of these Railbird types, they, they, they were kind of interested to have me there and started asking me poker questions and uh, they were in, enjoying the, the back and forth trolling and so so pretty soon the site started to become active and then uh, it took a different turn. Instead of being a fan site for Neverwin, it became kind of the, the anti 2 plus 2, the place you go where if you want to say something it's not going to be censored. And And that's what it became. And I was really the one who built that whole thing up. I, I wasn't an owner there in any way, shape, or form. And I just kind of showed up and just stayed. And I was the one who built up the traffic by providing content for it. And because I was a known online player at that time. And I was enjoying it, so I didn't bother to really think about, oh, you know, why am I building up someone else's site? And And it wasn't really making any money either, so it's not like I was watching them get rich off of my efforts, so I didn't care. I was just having fun there. Well, three until... years... Until... Yeah, until three, <laughs> three years later, three years later in 2007, it was a pretty active site, and I still didn't own any of it. Dustin owned 50%, Mike, I owned 50%. I was friends with them both by this point. And they were both broke. Mike on because he was perpetually broke and uh, never went because he had horrible bankroll management. So they both needed money badly. And Poker News was interested in acquiring the site for affiliate marketing. In fact, Poker News was uh, impressed enough with the traffic and the buzz the site had generated to where they were willing to keep their hands off of it. They just wanted to be able to put their affiliate stuff on there. And figured that it would pay for itself. Affiliate stuff meaning like banners and links to online poker sites where they would get a commission for it. So that was their plan with Never Win Poker. That was what they pitched to Mike on and Dustin. And needing money badly, the two of them were very strongly considering selling it. Especially because they were both getting the equivalent of over $100,000 plus an ongoing uh, ongoing payment every month of a percentage of the gross revenue. Yeah, the residuals, that's where it's at. So it was both. They were, it was going to be very lucrative for them. So they were they were all ready to do it. Mike, I used to say, I'm never selling, never win poker. I don't care what's offered to me. Well, yeah, when he was flat broke, <laughs> then <laughs> it was a different story. So there was one issue, though, one issue. That was me. Because I wasn't going to get anything. And they knew that I would not be very happy. Because I had raised that issue before all of this. I had raised this issue about a year beforehand, saying, hey, isn't it time to cut me into the ownership? Since I, I had such a large part of building this thing up and maintaining the content and maintaining the activity and basically being like the glue holding this whole thing together, uh, give me a piece at this point. Even though I'm not legally entitled to it, just do the right thing, I said. But... It never happened, and I didn't press it. But here we were now. I was about to sell for, for a good deal of money. And so they 
knew they were going to have to break the news to me. So I got a call from Icon saying, hey, me and Dustin want to come over and talk to you about something. So that didn't sound good, but I was like, okay, come on over. So they came over to my apartment and they sat down with me and they broke the news to me about what was happening. And I said, okay, so what am I getting? They're like, oh, you're not getting anything. I was not happy. So I, I told them, I said, this is not fair. This is not the slightest bit fair. You're getting all this money basically because of something I did. And I know I shouldn't, I don't deserve all of it. It was your site, but to give me nothing is insane. And they said, well, you're doing so well. You have so much money. We're broke. You know, this is our only chance. You know, if you're our friend, you'll understand. And I said, well, no, I don't understand. I mean, I know what you're saying to me, but this is still very unfair to me. And to give me nothing is, is an insult. And, you know, I, I was very mad and told them that uh, I feel I'm being treated very unfairly here. And uh, I told them I'm quitting the site. I told them I'm, I'm not going to be part of it any, any point further. That, that's it. I'm done. So they went back to Poker News and they said to Poker News, oh, we've got a little problem here. Uh, you know, Todd is actually a pretty big part of the site. We're kind of afraid it's it's not going to continue to be the same site if he leaves. And he said he's going to leave because he's not getting any money out of this. So Tony G, the owner of Poker News at the time, said, well, all right, well, you know, we've already committed a lot of money to you guys, so you, you guys can feel free to give up whatever you want of your part. But uh, And they said, no, we can't afford that, we can't do this. So Tony said, okay, here, fine. Tell Todd I will give him another five thousand out, out of my, you know, out of Poker News pocket, plus uh, a two point five percent of the ongoing revenue. So that was what was offered to me, which wasn't very much. It's a f- small fraction of what they were getting. So I, I think they got like. Seventeen and a half percent of the ongoing revenue each, so they got seven mm-hmm. times what I did, and then they got way more than five thousand. So I was getting a small fraction, but they said that's the most you can get. You know, Tony, you know, they, they tried to frame it to me like they pushed Tony to do it, but I, I, I found out that it was actually the other way around. That Tony realized he had to do it, otherwise the asset he was getting was not going to be worth as much. But anyway. I said, fine, fine. Because they were my friends. I said, okay. I, I, I tried to make myself understand and said, okay, these are friends of mine. They're broke. They really need the money. The, you know, they, they like, you know, they, they've, this was their site. I didn't have any legal ownership of it. It's hard for them to just, you know, hand me money when they're so broke. And, you know, so I'm getting a little bit here. Fine. You know, maybe I'll stay. But I did make the following clear to everybody. And there's a reason I'm telling you guys this story. I'm not just deciding to make this about me. There's a reason I'm telling you this story prefacing the Robbie Davies stuff. I said, I want everyone to understand I'm not an employee. You, you haven't hired me as a full-time Neverwin Poker employee for 2.5% of the ongoing revenue and $5,000 flat. Like, uh, There's no way I would do that. What you're giving me here is, is pretty much uh, in appreciation of what I have already done. And there's no, there's no further expectation of me. I'm going to stay. And I'm telling you I'm going to stay. And, I, and I'm not planning to leave. But I'm, I'm not committing to anything. And you have no expectations of me. And, and, and you, I have no boss here. And I, and I have... There's no requirements on me. You can ask me to do something, but there's no requirements on me for this money. So everybody agree. 
And for about a year, that, uh, that's about the way it was. And, and, and by the way, uh, as separately, they agreed with Mike on that uh, he will have creative control, that they will not interfere with the content whatsoever. They just want to put up their affiliate links, uh, maybe promote Tony G a little bit, and, that, and that's it. So that was all agreed to. And for about a year, that it was it was mostly kept to that. Now, they, they didn't quite keep to their obligations as far as, like, uh, they claimed they were going to develop more features on the site and stuff. They didn't really do that, but... At least they kept their hands off content-wise, like they promised. And financially, they kept everything they said they would. So, MyCon, in the meantime, uh, was horrible with money, like everyone was. So, MyCon uh, was broke, again, even though he was he had gotten all that money from them, plus was getting the ongoing uh, 17.5% of the uh, gross revenue. And he went to Poker News and said, hey, you know, guys, since you're paying me you know, this amount every month, how about you just loan me that money in advance? We know it's coming anyway, so how about you just give me an advance on it? So they actually said yes. So they started giving him advances on what he was going to be paid, you know, what he was likely going to make in future months. Sounds like Lindgren. It was kind of like Lindgren. So, <laughs> so, so this was going on. And now let's get into Robbie Davies. This is, I set the whole thing up. Now, now here's where he comes into the story. In 2008, he became the CEO of Poker News. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure where he came from, but he did. He was only 29 years old, and he was brought in there, and he he knew nothing of all this. He didn't know Never Win Poker. He didn't understand what it was. Uh, he, He was learning everything on the job. So he asked them at Poker News to show him the Never Win Poker asset. And he, they showed him, and his jaw hit the floor when he saw what was going on there. It wasn't exactly what he was expecting. Because they, all of their other assets were pretty like straightforward you know, poker, affiliate, whatever type assets. Like uh, Nothing was that shocking. Never when poker was a very different story. Like If, if you guys look at the Poker Fraud Alert forum and you see a lot of trolling and outrageousness and, 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 and obscene pictures and stuff... That's nothing compared to what was going on in Neverwin Poker. The, the Poker Fraud Alert is like a super tame version of Neverwin Poker in, in the Flying Stupidity form. Okay? So when he saw what was going on there, he couldn't believe it. And he was not very happy at all. Then he looked even further and got even more unhappy. So uh, in addition to the black cocks being posted everywhere, uh, the other obscenity and the offensive messages being posted everywhere. Uh, and then he was looking at me, Mike on and Dustin. So he saw me on there, like openly arguing and fighting with users on the forum. And he's going, what the hell? I thought the, like, I thought Todd's supposed to be like, the kind of like the manager of this place. Why, why is he just like openly fighting with people on the forum? That doesn't, that doesn't look very good. Then as far as Mike on, he goes, and what's this about Mike on owing us money? How does he owe us money? I thought we're paying him. Like, well, yeah, he takes loans against us. So he got pissed about that. Then he's like, you know, I've been going through the whole site. I don't see anything about Dustin. I see his name, but he doesn't post anywhere. There's nothing about him. Yeah, he's kind of absent. We never see him. He's never on the site. He never does anything. So I said, well, I thought, I thought it looks like here that, that everybody, that the two of them, you know, Mike and Dustin agreed to, uh, participate in the site and, 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 you know, be the faces of it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what happened to that? Well, I don't know. Dustin just hasn't been around. <laughs> so he was pissed off about this too. So he couldn't believe this. He couldn't believe all this was going on for the past year. So he felt this is completely unacceptable in all ways. Yeah, it's like your your parents get home and you're throwing a big ass party. Right? Yeah. So so he <laughs> you know? so he fired off an angry email to the three of us. 
and, and keep in mind, he never introduced himself. We, we, we didn't know him before. He just we just get this email from a Robbie Davies saying he's the Poker News CEO, and he and he's pissed off about the following and listed all the things that he that he hated about the site and about how we were behaving. So he he, he says that uh, you know he talked about me fighting with users on the forum and said that uh, he says. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to ban Todd if his behavior continues. So he actually said he was going to ban me from the site. Then he mm-hmm. said that Micon's loans were to stop immediately. Uh, and I, he had some harsh language for, about the loans being given in the first place. Uh, and then he bashed Dustin for not participating, saying he, he better get on the ball and, and start doing something. And it's called Never Win Poker, and he's never seen anywhere. Uh, then he complained about these... Some of the mods were getting paid, including mods who were like never coming on anymore. Like there was a guy named Make and Mark, and a guy named Soul. They were friends with uh, with Micon. They like hadn't been on the the site in ages, and they were getting two hundred dollars a month to be mods. So why the fuck not? So he cut that. He cut those payments out. They were gone. Uh, there may have been some other mods who were active getting paid too, but all the mods were not being paid anymore. And then there was one other person. There's one other person who was getting four hundred dollars a month. A regular poster who was getting four hundred dollars a month to post. And of all people, of all people to get $400 a month simply for posting on Everyone Poker, it was Judonk, a.k.a. Tide, a.k.a. Marty. <laughs> yes, he was getting $400 a month. Why? Because okay. When, okay, good for him, man. When Poker News bought it, Marty made this like delusional rant about how important he is to the site and how he needs to be paid to post or he's going to quit. Well... People thought that he was just being ridiculous. Like people, people bashed him for it, but people didn't realize that he really took it to Micon, and Micon asked Poker News, and Poker News agreed. They, they actually had been paying him four hundred dollars a month to post. <laughs> so, God damn! So he was the only how, one. How was you paying him to post? Uh, uh, he should be paying me to post here. The, the, <laughs> what I have to put up with. But yeah, that, that shows you that the poker boom was like. For those of you that wonder the way poker boom was like, you know, Marty was paid four hundred dollars a month to post on Everyone Poker. His usual like drunken ranting garbage. So yeah, nothing, nothing against Marty, but if you back during the poker boom, if you were involved in a business in poker in any capacity, and you weren't a complete fucking idiot, you were making piles of money. Yeah, you know. And there there are lots of guys that thought they were like just absolute business geniuses because they started a training site or they did you know some ancillary poker thing back in the boom, and they were just raping the money in and. They didn't realize, man. They were just riding the crest of a, a wave. Yes, you know? yes. So they had no idea. So now Robbie looked at this, and Robbie thought, okay, here's the mods making two hundred. Then, of course, we know who you know Todd Dustin and, and Brian Mikon are. But this 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 Marty guy, we don't know who he is. But if he's making four hundred and the mods are making two hundred, uh, the only thing that makes sense is that Marty must be some kind of manager. <laughs> He must be important. So, so what he did, what he did in this whole scathing email he sent us, he cc'd Marty. Nice. He thought Marty was part of the management team here. So, of course, Marty went and posted the email on the forum, and everyone had a good laugh. I mean, it made it all makes sense. So, the only one who wasn't laughing—well, not the only one—but one of the people who was not laughing over this was me. I didn't find the whole thing quite so funny. I, I found, I guess, the situation to be amusing, but. I found it insulting that after I had basically done poker news. And, oh, I'm sorry, Joe, I got to ask. Was Marty making more than you? Because uh, if he was, it would be just fucking awesome. Uh, no, but 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 
I wasn't making that much more than him. I was only slightly oh, out, only only yeah. slightly out earning him. Yeah. So <laughs> so I didn't find the email to be very funny because I was doing Poker News a favor. I was doing Mike on and Dustin a favor by staying on for this pittance they were paying me, and uh, and I was putting a lot of time and effort still into Neverwind Poker. You know, both before and after the Poker News purchase, and I'd been doing so over the past year since Poker News owned it. And, uh, and and here I get this email from the new CEO, not like, oh hi, you know, nice nice to meet you guys. I'm Robbie. Here, let me you know, let me tell you a few things that I'd like to see change. Like, no, like just, hey, I'm the CEO. This needs to change. I'm pissed off about this. I'm pissed off about that. Like, I didn't like the the way he came came about this at all. And furthermore, uh, I felt like I I was being treated like the employee. I told them I wasn't. Mm. So I I was I was pissed here. I felt like not only was were my contributions not being appreciated, that I was he was threatening to ban me. So. I immediately called Mike on. I said, who the hell is this Robbie Davies guy? Uh, if it's going to be like this, I'm just going to quit. I, I can't be, I'm not going to be part of this if, if uh, I'm going to be seen as like a burden there. If uh, I'm doing a favor, I'm being treated like a burden. There's no way. I know it's not your fault, Mike on, but, but I'm just telling you I'm about to leave if this, if this doesn't get under control some way. So he's like, hey, look, just calm down, calm down here. How about come to lunch with, with me and my girlfriend? Yeah, his girlfriend's now his wife, Martha. He's like, you know, come with me and Martha to lunch. We'll, we'll talk about this. So I said, okay. So a few hours later, I went to lunch with them. They I remember they drove me to the other side of Vegas. We went to some kind of uh, sandwich place or something. But Martha, I I had never seen like an angry side of her prior to this. She had always been like kind of like the soft spoken Southern girl. And I got to see the side for the first time during this lunch. Uh, she was always kind of very protective of Mike on and, and his interests. So this was really pissing her off. Uh, this meaning me. She was mad at me that I was even considering walking away and that I was even considering like not doing exactly what this Robbie Davies says. So she told me that I was ruining it all for Micon by even uh, like considering walking away or, or, or considering telling Robbie Davies to fuck off. She said, I better fall in line and I, and I better kiss Robbie's ass to calm him down if I cared about Micon even one bit as a friend, she said to me. And I kept trying to tell her. I said, look, I took very little money for this whole thing. I, I got totally underpaid. I, I already did the sacrifice here for Micon and Dustin, which I didn't have to do. And I've still been very active on the site and doing a lot of work for it, basically almost for free. So no, I'm not going to take abuse from the PokerStar CEO on top of that. So she started getting really pissed. Uh, and I, I said, look, Poker News needs to treat me with respect or otherwise I'm taking my ball and going home. I'll start my own site, or I'll just post on some other site. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put up with this. So she got furious. She yelled at me in the restaurant, and then unfortunately, I, I you know, they drove me there, so I had to ride back in the in the car with them back back to the, our, oh, our, our so complex. Worse. And then she just screams at me the entire time going home too. And my kind of kind of just sat there as she was doing this, but uh, he didn't stop her, or disagree. He just you know let her go off on me. <laughs> so so I get I get back to the apartment I get back to the apartment we lived in the same complex at the time. I I Oh, even better. Yeah, so I I felt like yell at you while you're walking back to your room. <laughs> yeah, so so I went back to my apartment there and I felt like a broken man almost there. And uh and I I was almost beaten into submission. I almost was about to to you know email Robbie and say, "Yeah, okay, I'll I'll do better." And they go, "Wait a minute. What am I do- what am I thinking here? What am I do- what am I doing?" I go, sure, Mike, I was my friend. I, I care about what happens to him, and you know I, I don't want to see problems between him and Poker News. And uh, but look, I, he already got a lot of money for something I mostly built up. I got almost nothing for it, 
and, and, and now they want to, now Micon and Martha, they want me to put my dignity in my pocket so Micon's uh, precious ongoing paychecks could continue unhindered. And then I also think, you know what? Even if I act like a complete dickhead to Robbie, that's not going to jeopardize Micon's uh, uh, position. They can't go back on the agreement with him because of anything I do. It was, n- nothing he had was tied to anything with me. So I couldn't ruin anything for him. Now, yes, the site could go downhill. Maybe the site wouldn't make as much in the affiliate marketing if it, uh, it loses traffic over time. But that's that, that was the worst that could happen. They couldn't just get rid of MyCon because they didn't like me or because I wasn't playing ball. So I said, you know what? Screw it. Screw, screw what Martha wants. And, and screw what MyCon's asking me to do. And, and especially screw Robbie Davies. So I went to my computer. I turned it on. I said, I'm going to type a long post about this. Wait a minute. No, I'm not going to type a long post about this. I'm going to do something better. And I turned on radio. And I did an emergency radio show to bash Robbie Davies. And that's what I did. Now, when I say bash him, I wasn't laying personal insults on the guy. I didn't really know him. But I, I read the email. And you know, I, I read it on the air there. I commented on it. I explained everything I just explained to you guys right now. And I was basically explaining in a logical and clear fashion why I was angry and why I felt Robbie was out of line. I also said that I didn't think he was necessarily a bad guy, but that he probably just misunderstood both my role on the site and the whole tone of the site itself. I thought he just didn't understand the site and he didn't understand what my role was there and what had been agreed to. Now, I expected that I was was doing this rogue show, which was pissing off Martha to no end. She was pissed off as I was doing this and probably yelling at Mike on it, but I didn't care. I was expecting... At any moment, the Lithuanian overlords, you know, the programmers of the site, that they were going to cut my connection to Neverwin Poker and uh, take down the radio and ban me. I expected any moment I was going to get cut. But it didn't happen. I did not get cut. I got to do the show in full. And I found out shortly afterwards that Robbie Davies himself listened to most of the show. And that was actually kind of a turning point. Rather than get insulted and rather than get pissed off at me doing a show bashing him, he realized that he made a mistake. He actually understood the points I was raising and realized that he hadn't handled this properly. So he went and sent he sent another email. This email was apologizing for the original tone of the original message. He took back everything he said about me and said that he's not going to ban me and that he, he understands everything more, he understands the community more, he understands what my role is, he, he didn't know all of this before. And, uh, you know, he, he held firm on the thing where Mike Hunt couldn't take any further loans, and he held firm that the mods weren't going to get the money and Judoc wasn't going to be paid to post anymore, but... <laughs> he, Poor he, yeah, he, but he was, he was polite about it and professional about it and, and apologized for the, the harsh tone he took before and totally took back everything he said about me. And in fact, said he enjoyed the radio show I did there. So right then, my view of him started to change. 
Right then I said, you know what, this guy, I thought this guy was a complete asshole before. Now, now I'm thinking, okay, he's more reasonable. Here I made a, a radio sh- an emergency radio show on a site Poker News owns, bashing the CEO. And instead of just cutting me off and banning me, he actually sent me an apology letter. I said, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's nice to see. So I thought a lot better of him. So for the, the next several months, uh, cl- close to a year, everything was going pretty well between me and him. We, we, weren't, we weren't friends, but uh, you know, there was no more animosity or bad blood. Uh, we did have one more run-in. This is kind of funny. I've got to find this somewhere. If, if anyone has this, the archives of uh, the Never Win Poker radio show, and you could find this. It was somewhere like the spring of 2009. There's a very funny call we made to Bodog. Never Heeb, uh, who's always getting himself into hot water. He called up Neverwin Poker Radio. And it, it was me, Brandon, and Mikon on there. And he told us that Bodog froze his account and he can't figure out why. So we said, well, we'd love to call up and find out for you. But if we do it on the air, Bodog's going to ask you for your mother's maiden name and your uh, city and state you were born. And maybe you don't want to give out this information for identity theft reasons. He's like, no, no, I don't care. Give it out. So I was like, okay, you're sure? Yep. Okay. So we called up. We called Bodog on the air live. This was not planned. And we all, the three of us pretended to be his attorneys. And we're going to ask them about why... He was banned from Bodog. We were not doing this to prank call Bodog. We were just doing this to, you know, find out the story. We figured out we'd hear something hilarious that he had done, some degenerate thing he had done to roll them, and we'd have a good laugh about it. I was pretty sure the ban was justified, but I wanted to hear from them what it was. So I was sure that was going to be the way the call would go. Well, no, that's not the way the call went. Because we called in, you know, he gave the necessary information. He told them he has his lawyers on the line. They were okay with that. They didn't mind that they were lawyers. <laughs> and then we asked, okay, so his name is Dan Baba, by the way. So, so why, is, why is Dan's account banned? And they said, we can't tell you. I said, what, you can't tell us because we're his lawyers? You want to just tell him? You know, he wants to hang up? And they said, no, no, we can't tell him either. We can't tell anybody. Well, so why? We we asked. Why why can't you tell him why his account is banned? He says, I'm sorry, we're just not allowed to release that information to him. So then Brandon asked them, I don't understand this. Why is the reason he was banned a secret? And she says, it's not a secret. (laughs) So we said, wait a minute. How can you say it's not a secret? You're telling us that you will not, you're not going to give this information to us, that you can't give it to us. That is something you won't tell us. How is it not a secret? She says, because it's not a secret. We just can't tell you. So we said, okay, well, then what's the definition of a secret? And she says, uh, look, it's just, it, she's trying to like dance around this. So we keep saying, look, a secret is something that you can't tell people. And you cannot tell us this, therefore it is a secret. She says, no, sir, it's not a secret. We go, okay, then tell us what a secret is. So this went on and on. And it, it, it was really funny. It went on for like 20 minutes in different forms, and she just would not admit it was a secret. And we were just – we were pressing over and over for her to say the words. We just kept saying, look, look just she, say – She related to that person that worked at that hotel? <laughs> she probably not, she, not the handicap room? Maybe she works there now. I said, I said mm-hmm. to I, – I, I said, look, just admit it's a secret. If you say the word that we cannot tell you it's a secret, then we will be satisfied and we'll hang up. She, she she wouldn't do it. So we, we just kept uh, pressing the secret thing. It was the funniest call. I want to get a copy of it again. So uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is because uh, 
while we were doing all this, keep in mind, again, we weren't trying to prank Bodog. We called up initially just trying to help Neverheeb or find out what was going on with his account. We really didn't think we'd be making Bodog look bad. We thought if anyone was going to look bad, it was going to be Never, Neverheeb, but it wasn't. So we had kind of neglected to think about the fact that Bodog was sponsoring a free roll on Neverwin Poker for a World Series of Poker main event seat. So they were mm-hmm. they were none too happy about that that we pranked them and that it looked really really bad for them. We have, they had this embarrassing conversation with us on the air when they're sponsoring our site. So, I mean, they weren't an official sponsor, but this was something they were doing. You know, it's a ten thousand dollar value. The main event this is the World Series of Poker main event that they're giving away a seat. And then here we're pranking them on radio. Again, we weren't, I mean, we kind of should have thought of this, but we didn't call in with that intention. It just went that way because of the whole secret thing. It was just funny. So Robbie Davies was very mad about this. And I told Mike on, here, let me talk to him. I'll try to calm him down. And uh, I told him, you know, look, I'm sorry about this. Sorry putting you guys in this position. Uh, he said that they're considering just ending their entire relationship with Poker News over this, and uh, you know he's saying there's, there's all kinds of ramifications about this. And I, so I, I kept apologizing, and I said, "Let me try to smooth it over. Let me try to talk to the whoever you're dealing with, a bow dog. Have them call me, and I, I'll try to explain to them how this all went down. That we weren't mal- trying to maliciously do anything. We were just trying to help this kid get his account back, and then." The rep acted kind of weird, and then we kind of thought it was funny and just made a, a joke on the radio about it. We weren't trying to make Bodog look bad. So Robbie was kind of skeptical about this. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll have him call you. I don't know if that's going to work, but don't piss them off. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be careful talking to them. I'm like, no, no, I will be. So I was. When, when the guy called me, it was this Canadian guy. He worked in Toronto who was a manager of Bodog. He called up, and I could tell he had like contempt for me for like the moment I answered the phone. He had contempt for the fact that he had to fucking call you. Yes. So, so, yeah. I, so I was, I was, I, I kept my cool and, and he, it was so funny because he's trying to make it sound like that like, he had a sense of humor and that it didn't bother that much. He's like, you know, I just want to let you know that, uh, I, I, I found the call very funny, but, uh, you know, like, I, it was, it was so insincere the way he said he found it to be very funny. He just wanted to sure you make did, it buddy. sound like, like, yeah, yeah, I could take a joke. Don't, uh, don't look at me like a, the, the, the stiff shirt here. So, he he went on – so he finally he couldn't contain his anger and just like went off on me about how unprofessional this was and how you know how can we do this when they're sponsoring our site for $10,000 and uh, you know what were we thinking and, and this is going to make people think terribly of them. And you know yes, the customer service rep uh, didn't handle it right, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't have pressed this. And anyway, so I just let him go off. I let him rant. I didn't argue with him. I just kept trying to apologize. And I just kept repeating to him, this was not malicious. This was just kind of the way it ended up happening. We were just trying to help. Uh, the secret thing we thought was just funny. We didn't really think about the fact that it could make Bodog look bad. We just thought it made it f- the funny radio bit. And he's like, yeah, but didn't you think what it's going to do to Bodog? Like, you know, he's, <laughs> he's getting really pissed. But by the end, after a lot of ass-kissing on my part, he seemed to did somewhat. Did you get in as uh, get in as deep as David Williams did on this one? Sounds like it. On the phone, yes. So sounds like you went in there and you tongued this guy's butthole. So by the end, he actually was somewhat uh, calmed 
from this whole thing. It wasn't quite as pissed and kind of understood it better. So he says, well, okay, uh, I'm still not happy about this, but I understand it a little bit more, so uh, I, I'll, I'll talk to Poker News. Bye. So I, I didn't know if I accomplished anything, but sure enough, uh, he called Poker News and told them the following, that uh, the relationship that they have outside of Neverwin Poker, you know, between Poker News and Bodog is fine, that he's not going to worry about that. Uh, as far as this contest, which he had said before that Bodog is rescinding and they're not going to pay the 10K, uh, that they are, they're only going to partially rescind it, that they will pay 6K now if Poker News agrees to pay 4K because of this whole debacle. So basically they find Poker News 4K for our prank call. So Poker News paid it. And then, uh. <laughs> sure, they were through. Yeah, so, so, right. So they were, so this is like the 4K prank call, the $4,000 prank call we made. And, uh, so Robbie wasn't very happy about this, but, you know, I told him, look, I, I did my best. I tried to talk, you know, I tried to talk him out of it. You know, we, we won't do this again. And so, uh, by the end, you know, a few, so about, because of this and some other things, uh, Poker News decided that Neverwin Poker, that the forum and radio show were worth, they, they were more trouble than they were worth. And they realized that the site had enough SEO, uh, there was enough credibility already in Google to where they didn't need the forum and, and the radio show anymore to bring, that there was enough traffic coming in through Google and people were, were Googling like the Poker Stars, uh, marketing code or where they needed to enter. That the forum and radio show weren't all that valuable anymore, and they were just mainly causing trouble. So they wanted to eject that from the site. So uh, Poker News was actually uh, they, they did generously offer that they'll just give that to us if we want to start a separate site. So we can take the, the entire content of the forum, the all the radio shows, and you know just just start it all somewhere else. Can't call it Neverwin Poker anymore, but. Uh, uh, we want to start our own domain and, and take the existing content and move it there that they're totally fine with it. So so that's what we did. And then we also had to – this is annoying. They wanted us to sell out our parts that we – you know, the, the, the ongoing revenue there. They wanted to give us some lump sum for it. So they totally lowballed MyCon, and I, I was away. I was on a cruise, and I, I, I wasn't there to, like, go over this whether it was a good figure. And MyCon just, like, snap agreed to it. So we all got kind of underpaid there. But but anyway uh, – we did. That's how the Doc Down forum started, and got to start with all the existing content from Neverwin Poker. And I, I thought by this point, okay, Robbie's probably thrilled to be away from us. He's probably thrilled to have us out of his hair. I would be. And, and I and I knew person. <laughs> I, I didn't know how he felt about me at this point. I figured he didn't like me very much, but I, I knew for sure he didn't like MyCon for various reasons. I won't get into, but he he seemed to really dislike MyCon and. As far as me and Dustin, I don't know what he felt, but I, I just felt like he was kind of happy to be away from us, okay? So that that was what I thought would be what I'd remember of him, that it was just the guy at Poker News that we kind of irritated over time and uh, and that hated dealing with us. And finally, you know, the the, the headache was over when, the, when they ejected the forum and radio show from Neverwin Poker. So that's the way I thought it was going to end with Robbie Davies until in 2012, late 2012. And by then, I had left Donk down, and I was no longer friends with MyCon, and I had started Poker Fraud a little earlier that year. So November 2012, now three years later, I had a, a Poker Fraud Alert radio show where the entire show was interviewing Chad Ellie, who was a, a payment processor, a very prolific payment processor for poker, who actually did five and a half months in prison for processing payments as part of the Black Friday bus. 
And uh, a very interesting interview. You can go back and listen if you. It's in November 2012. It was actually done on the Thanksgiving Black Friday. It was called Black Friday on Black Friday in 2012. So Robbie, unknown to me, had listened to that interview and then messaged me about some things that were said on there. And I'm thinking, wow, I, did, I didn't know that uh, Robbie listened to Poker Fraud on the radio, but I assume because he must have heard there was some buzz around Chad Ellie appearing on the show, and uh, that's probably why he listened. But it wasn't, because then other shows that I had in 2013 and 2014, uh, I was getting emails from him uh, commenting on. You know, if I so whatever topic it would be that I would be uh, talking about, if something happened to get his interest, where he felt he had something to add, he would uh, later email me uh, talking about it. So he was a listener to the show. I don't know if he heard every single show, but he was listening regularly enough to where I was getting emails from him every so often about topics I had, and sometimes topics that weren't widely promoted, and they were like kind of in the middle of the show. Uh, in in late 2013. He offered to put up basically an advertorial on Poker News about Poker Fraud Alert, which I accepted, of course. I didn't have to pay for it. And you can still find it there. If you Google, uh, let's see, if you Google Todd Wattellis Poker Fraud Alert and then put site colon pokernews.com, I think it'll come up. Yeah, that'll be the first, uh, I think it was the first result. It's called Todd Dandruff Wattellis Discusses Poker Fraud Alert, comma, Cheating in Poker. So if you just do Googling Todd Wattellis Poker Fraud Alert and then site colon pokernews.com, meaning only return results from pokernews.com, uh, I think it'll be the first one. Todd Dandruff Wattellis Discusses Poker Fraud Alert, uh, Cheating in Poker. So this was supposedly a poker poker news feature. But in reality, it was just an advertorial to promote Poker Fraud Alert, except they gave it to me for free. And that was Robbie Davies' decision. He didn't write the article. He had Chad Holloway write the article. But this that's the reason it was there. And honestly, uh, now I have a very good relationship with Poker News, uh, partially because of him. Uh, in fact... Poker News largely quoted uh, me and Poker Fraud Alert in their Westgate article that they did this week. So and it's happening more and more where I see uh, Poker News uses Poker Fraud Alert as, as a source. They really do. So things really changed over time. So I thought that was pretty amazing. That but was, they, was, they were still the ones that called you the unsavory Todd Vitellis. Well, that was that right? was in the middle. That was somewhat, you know, I was that was in 2010 at the main event, you know, on day six of the main event. Someone had written in the live updates, the unsavory Todd Vitellis, and it was a guy who posted under the name F Train, and I had thought that F Train did it, but F Train insisted that he didn't because I had tweeted him like, you know, what's your problem with me? Why are you writing that? And he said, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. I thought he was just covering up. But uh, I found later some – somehow I found proof. I forgot what it was of the original text he wrote because I think it fed onto another site or something. And and I saw that he did not write that originally. That someone went in there and edited to say unsavory. So, so someone in Poker News didn't like that, <laughs> didn't like me and put that in there. 
But but that was at the time that Poker News itself, like the people at Poker News, didn't like me as much. But it, but since then, it's it's changed. Like they've uh, uh, Poker News in general looks at me pretty positively, and that's why they quote things from the site a lot. Unsavory man, they're saying you don't taste good. <laughs> so uh, now you might wonder: uh, Was I aware that uh, Robbie Davies was? Uh, was sick. I mentioned earlier in the show that he died of a brain tumor. Uh, mm. No, I never knew this. I never met him in person. Uh, we weren't close friends in any way. But, uh, yeah, we ended up having mutual respect for one another, and he, he did that favor for me on Poker News. He offered this favor to, to uh, do this article promoting Poker Fraud Alert for, for free in late 2013. I thought it was so funny when I read that article. I'm thinking, isn't this funny that the same guy that I did a radio show about five years ago bashing is the one who was responsible for this article appearing on Poker News, promoting Poker Fraud Alert, and the guy who listens to this show now. Not even like one of these trolls who listens because he hates me, someone who listens because he likes me and likes and likes what I have to say. So uh, I, I, so given all of that, when I read last night on Twitter, I was on Twitter last night, and that's when it was announced that uh, you know, Poker News announced it, that Robbie Davies had passed away and he hasn't been a ceo of poker news since 2014 but a lot of people at poker news had dealings with him because they've been there for a long time so i i have to admit i, I felt some sadness even though i never met the guy before even though we had a bad start with one another i was like oh wow and then i saw i didn't know he was this young i i saw he was born in 1979 like, oh, wow that's that's pretty rough. <laughs> I'm seven years older than that, and he's dead. Yeah. So, uh, pretty bad luck there too. You know, I clicked on the article and I saw about the brain tumor. At, at first, you know, I, I didn't think of him as someone who had a drug problem or anything. But you never know. So I thought when he died at that age, I thought it was either an accident or he had some kind of substance problem we didn't know about. But no, I clicked through, and it was, in 2011, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and then. Uh, Got worse again in 2016, and they told him then in 2016 he doesn't have long to live. And I think he had two kids. I, I, I saw a picture of him with two kids, so that's uh, oh, especially, man. especially sad. And you know, and that's just that's just running really bad. Just in your 30s to be diagnosed with a brain tumor, and then before you're 40, you're dead. And you know, it, it can happen to anybody. And uh, just some people have that sort of bad luck with their health. And uh, so, uh, rest in peace, Robbie Davies. And uh, I did think positively of him when it was all said and done before, you know, even going back five years. I, uh, I marveled at how things had changed in our relationship and, Thought about sometimes how the first impressions don't always mean that much once you get to know someone better. So I was sad to hear about that. And uh, yeah, sometimes I'll read about a death of someone that I know of in poker. And you know, if it's someone I don't like at all, then I don't feel sad at all to hear they died. It hasn't happened very often, but you know something like that. Uh, I, I'm not. I won't feel that bad for them. But 
if it's someone I, I've heard of but don't really know, then either heard of or just played with before but don't know very well, then you know I think all oh, that's too bad. But it, it won't affect me much. But when, I, those that I actually think positively of in poker, when I just open up Twitter and see a report that they're dead. It really, it's like like a wave of sadness comes over me. Now how big is that wave going to be, Druff, when you hear about Mason Mal- Malmuth's demise? <laughs> you guys, you guys patch things up, so well, you're, you know, you'd, you'd feel the little, no, little I, twins. I, I don't, or? No, I don't think I'll feel sad, but I won't feel like I won't feel like if he, if I heard Mason was dead, I, I kind of just be kind of neutral. Like I wouldn't be sad, but I wouldn't be happy or, or thinking, oh, he deserved. Like I. We've patched things up to the point where it would just be kind of just noteworthy to me, but not really happy or sad. And I and I have a feeling that's how he'd feel about me. I don't think Mason would feel sad if I died, but but he probably wouldn't be like cheering or smiling either. At least I hope he wouldn't be. But I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be sad if I died. Uh, th- there's others I'm pretty sure Mason would would be happy if they died. But uh, I think we're, <laughs> I th- who who would be on Mason's shortlist? Do you think? <laughs> I think a number of people, but uh, but if, if I think I'm probably off that at this point, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't be sad if I died. But again, to be fair, I if, if I heard he died, then I I would just it would just kind of be like, oh, that's interesting. Not like I'm happy or I'm sad. But, See, in the, in this case, the the guy uh, that you're talking about, like I, I don't know him. He did. I don't know him from anyone, so I can't say that I feel sad. But I feel sad for his situation and the fact that he has kids and stuff like that. Yeah. You know. Right, and that's and that's how I'd feel if I were you too, because you didn't know him at all. So it's just someone right. that, uh, that you think, oh, that sucks. The guy's in his late thirties and, and and had two kids and and died through, right. no, through no fault of his own. That's the that's the worst part. When someone's kind of like responsible, somewhat for their own death from abusing themselves, then uh, you say, well, okay, but it's, it's too bad. But they caused part of their death. The worst is when someone dies at thirty eight or thirty nine. They had no control over it. So that. It's usually, especially in poker, you hear someone die of that age. It's it's almost always something that they they caused in some way. Not here. So that's too bad. And I tell you, at this rate, poker fraudulent's not going to have any listeners left. Or that they're all going to die. Mm-hmm. We, we we've really had a pretty poor record uh, of number of deaths versus our audience size because it's not like everybody listening is seventy five years old. The most listeners we have are young enough to where most of them should not be dying. The only older person we had that listened to this show that died was Delaware. So Delaware wasn't so surprising. It was sad. In fact, not too long after he died, I'm walking the dog and I'm listening to the call to listen line. And I hear a call coming and I go, call you on the air. And it's Delaware. And it was so weird. It was so weird to hear like on my phone. Delaware's voice, but I know he's dead. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was a really strange, especially because it was on the phone. I actually have it on the phone, listening on the phone, and I'm hearing his voice. I mean, that's it's like he's speaking from the grave. It was weird. So. And I'm hearing like a conversation go on, and with the call to listen, like it just feels like it's whatever is playing on there. It feels like it's happening at the time, even though I know it's not. Even when I hear my own voice on there, and it wouldn't make sense how I could be hearing myself, I kind of listen to it. Almost like thinking like I'm hearing something in the present. And that's kind of the way, if, if you think about when you listen to any podcast that's not live, 
you don't think, oh, this is recorded a few days ago or a few weeks ago, or a few months ago. You you kind of you get into it and you, you you're picturing that you're listening to the person speaking to you right then, even though even though you know you're not. So that's kind of how I was thinking. And then when you hear someone who's dead speaking, that's the, that's, that's where it gets strange. So a lot stranger than like watching TV and seeing someone who's dead on the screen. There's something about listening to a, sh- a radio show uh, where it gives a different impression that it's kind of like live, even though it isn't, and especially if it's over the phone. Like hearing a phone call on the show on the phone was the weirdest part. All right, seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. That's our phone number and our text number. Taking a look at uh, the texts we've received this evening from the 512, Marty is a legend. From the 604, uh, Druff, it's Hong Konger, tried to call when you were talking about jerking off in public washrooms. Have a funny story about it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Maybe it's not bad we missed that call. Uh. See what you started here? Uh, oh, here. Uh, Hey, Druff, Luxac81 here. He just made a forum account, by the way. Uh, can you explain the archives pronunciation troll? I don't think I've been listening long enough, and I've looked a little for it on the forum and haven't had any luck. You're correct on the forum. I don't think we discussed it. Uh, the archives is actually a joke that goes back to... I don't know if it was the beginning of this show or the end of Dockdown Radio. It was somewhere around that time. Someone called up and asked, uh, uh, hey, when is the show going to be in the archives? And he wasn't joking. There was someone who really thought that's how it was pronounced. There was someone who must have never heard the word pronounced mm. before and just read it as archives. <laughs> so All we right. laughed about this. Ever since then, we've called it the archives. That's that's why it's called the archives. I, I sometimes worry when I say that that new listeners are going to think I'm an idiot and just really b- believe that I think that's the pronunciation. That's where it came from. From the 774 earlier today, show or no show? Hopefully you got your answer. I never answered it. Uh, from the 412, good reporting on that shady tournament you should you should have called. Anyway, enjoying the recent shows. Good job, Todd. From the 307, thanks, Jeff. Been around a long time. Even though the NW, even the NWP days just uh, never had much to say. Love the radio show and the forums. Okay. Well, thank you. Now, speaking of uh, phone calls, I forgot to do this during the other segment, but they've probably they're probably prepared for something like this. But I'm going to sh- try it anyway. We're going to have Colonel Faversham call up the Westgate. Let's see if we can get them to make a comment about what happened. It's a little bit late. It is 12:08 a.m. Pacific time. But, of course, the poker room is 24 hours. I don't know if they're going to answer. But we're going to try. And the colonel's going to claim to have played. Hopefully they won't be able to look him up. But he'll just claim it's a mistake. And we will see. We'll, we will see if uh, we can get any answer about it. Remember, we got the Ho-Chunk Casino in Wisconsin, which is closing, by the way. We got them to change their policy. Yes, services, Westgate Resort. May I help you? Uh, hello, can I know your Fabersham here? Um, can you please transfer me to the poker room? One moment. Hello? 
Voice Gate Poker. I'm Lisa speaking. Uh, Hello, can I Nigel Fabersham here? Um, uh, I played in the uh, that uh, HBT tournament back uh, on, on last weekend, and uh, I, uh-huh. I, I found it to be most dreadful the way that um, some of the um, players were invited to come down there and buy in for, for half price. Because I, uh, when I first heard about this, I said. Have you gone mad? Uh, how, how can you offer half-price buy-ins to the tournament when I just paid full price? In fact, I was one of the people who paid uh, just moments before they made these offer to others. And, um, and, and uh-huh. so I, I paid the full price, and the others just got to come down for half-price. And I, it, it, I was most um, – I found the whole situation most dreadful. Uh, so so um, I, I came all the way from England to play this. So um, that, that was uh, – You need – you need to speak to the poker room managers who you need to speak to. Are, are they are they present at the moment? No, they aren't. Uh, bollocks. He won't be here until uh, tomorrow morning, about 11.30. All right. Now, now is this uh, Sal we're talking about? Yes. All right. So, so um, I believe it was him. Uh, see, I don't, I don't quite know what he looks like, but uh, when I was there, there was, there was an African-American gentleman. He was quite well-dressed, and he was sitting next to me at my table, and he, he, he went through the roof. He, 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 he says... Um, I'm not going to take this. I'm going to. I'm going to get half my money back. And he went there, and he had a big, big, big argument with them, and and, and he was ejected from the room. He he was thrown out of the place. And I, at this point, um, it scared me a bit because I, I had some chips at the moment, and I didn't want to be uh, disqualified. So I said nothing. But uh, um, I, I think it may have been Sal who threw him out. And that's it. it, you know, it um, do you know anything about this? Yeah, I I don't know anything about it. I this is my first day back off of three days off, so. Oh. I have no idea. I didn't do anything with the Heartland Poker Tour. So, oh, right. so, so now, do you, do you know how they've? Uh, how has there been anyone else to call here and exp- express the same concern that I am? Um, you can call. Well, like I said, you'd have to talk to him because no, no, he's no, no, a no. poker I, room manager. I'm asking: ha- Have there been others calling in, like I have right now, to express the dissatisfaction? No, not today. No, not not today. today. I've been here since six, and nobody's called from that. But but you don't have any information. That. Have there been any any complaints to Nevada Gaming or something like that that I might be able to, to speak about? Like I just uh, do you know anything about the situation at all? I don't. Um. I don't because I didn't have anything to do with that. All right. Do you, do you know if the if the the HBT is ever coming back to the, the Westgate, or is this uh, one and done? I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. But I, like I said, I don't know anything right. about it. All right. And uh, was it was a buzz around the room that perhaps that um, a lot of money was lost by the Westgate from the HBT visits itself? That's what I was hearing. I I couldn't tell you that either. All right. Well, you've been very helpful. All right. Uh, thank you very much. I'll give you tr- uh, a ring back at um, eleven a.m. tomorrow Pacific time. Uh, tally ho, pip pip, okay, and let's get on with it. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> that was a useless phone call. Yeah, she was real helpful. <laughs> Jeez, she couldn't have known less. Though, though, sometimes that's that's the way to get out of it. I thought you know, the one person who ever beat me in a in a customer service confrontation. I'll tell you how they did it. I went through a, a Carl's Junior drive-through late at night in Las Vegas. And I ordered something, and they told me the wrong price by off by like a dollar. So you know, not a huge deal, but I like I didn't want to pay the wrong price. So I was trying to explain. No, 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 no. I get this all the time. The price should be six dollars sixty six cents, not seven dollars and seventy two cents. Okay. I said no. I'm, I'm telling the price is wrong. It should be six dollars sixty eight six cents. Okay. She 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 just feigned not speaking English. 
over and over, she just pretended not to understand me. So finally, go. You know what? Never mind. Okay, it's, it's seven seventy two. Pull up. So, so I, I went up and paid seven seventy two. I, I just gave up. Even when I got to the window, I tried again, and she just pretended not to understand. So sometimes pretending not to understand or or and pretending to know nothing is the only way you can win. All right, so that was kind of a fail call. That's what happens at midnight, though. I don't know what time the guy leaves. He, he probably left before we even started the show. Trader Risky, you still with us, or is the herbal tea taking hold? The herbal tea is being confumed. Consumed okay. now, Consume. but I'm still okay. here. Okay, you're still there. Well, let's talk about uh, airport scammer Michael Borowitz who once again is scamming airports. This is this is crazy because th- this has gone on for years. And he was caught once. He was caught a number of times, but it, 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 he, he's a poker player also. But it, it came to the poker community's attention when the founder of True Poker, of all people, David Gzesh, uh, he posted on 2 Plus 2 some years ago about how a guy approached him with a whole story about how he missed his flight and uh, he wasn't able to get a hotel and he told a very convincing sounding story and uh, he was there he was there for a business you know for an interview and he he showed his license to show who he is and if he could just have $200 he just has nowhere to go and nowhere to stay and uh, he he gets suckers over and over to believe his very very detailed stories of the like the the traveler stranded at the airport story and he swears he'll you know he'll send back the money the next day, and of course he does, and of course the whole thing's a scam. There is no interview. There you know he's been he just camps out the airport doing this over and over. He got caught for this years ago, and we even had him on this radio show to discuss it, and he admitted to everything. He claimed that he was reformed and this wasn't going to happen anymore, and that uh, it was a result of gambling addiction, but he admitted he did everything. He admitted he was a scammer. This uh, we had him on the show on July sixteenth, two thousand fourteen. In fact, the title of the show was "The White Zone is for Immediate Loading of Scammers Only." This is almost four years ago. So, interestingly, about a month before this first came out about him being an airport scammer in two thousand fourteen. We talked about him on the show in a very different context. He actually busted a scam uh, at the World Series where he found that a certain floor man was refusing to run sit-and-goes unless people tipped him. So a sit-and-go would be all ready, but the, the guy just wouldn't start it, and players would ask, you know, what's, what's the holdup? Why are you not starting it? And he would start singing, I like Greece. Greece is my friend. I love Greece. And that was the... Mm-hmm. Signal to be tipped. So he posted about this happened to Michael. He posted about it on two plus two. A lot of other people came forward with the same story about the guy, and uh, the World Series got wind of it and fired the guy. And Michael was kind of a hero for bringing this out. I was about to say he was the white knight, and he was loving it. Yes. So, so it turned out he, he was, was a, loving it. So the scammer uh, was, was getting scammed there by the floor man. He didn't like that. So. So we had him on the show about a month later, 
July 16, 2014, and he's been arrested a number of times since with the exact same scam, and that's the amazing thing. You would think if he keeps getting caught over and over, because what eventually happens is he, he rips off enough people with this. And uh, the reason I think he was getting away with it for a while is because the amounts he was stealing wasn't high enough for the police to really bother investigating much. So he it was just kind of like getting 200 from a bunch of different people, and that's how he's subsisting. But the problem, the flaw in the scam is that, number one, at airports, the police are red, readily available. So it, there's not a matter of... Uh, uh, you can't really escape very quickly if, you, if you're getting the feeling that someone didn't fall for the scam and might report you. Uh, and, and number two, that eventually you are going to run into someone who realizes what you're doing, reports it to the police, and you're going to get busted for it. And then when the police look you up, they'll see you've been convicted of this before and you're screwed. So I don't understand this. Every single time it ends the same way. It's not like this is a successful scam that he gets away with over and over. This one, every time he ends up getting caught uh, after not too long. So why he keeps re- returning to this exact same scam? I mean, there's so many different ways you can scam people in this world. Why, why only the airport? Why, why only this airport scam? So this is reported on NBCNewYork.com, which is the official website for Channel 4 in New York, which is the NBC affiliate there. This is New York City. A former pro poker player has been scamming travelers inside Newark Airport in an elaborate ruse in which he'd, quote, borrow money than disappear, authorities say. In the, in the latest scheme on April 3rd, that is April 3rd, 2018, last week, the suspect, 43-year-old Michael H. Borowitz of Pittsburgh, approached a 55-year-old New Jersey man by the baggage claim in Terminal B of the airport. Borowitz told the man his flight had been canceled and he needed $200. It's always $200. I didn't even read the article yet. It's always $200. And he needed $200 for a hotel room. He promised to pay him back, according to police. The victim went to a nearby ATM and gave Borowitz the cash, then got suspicious and went to Port Authority Police to report what happened. It turned out Borovitz had pulled similar tricks in the past, according to Port Authority police. Last June, he targeted a San Jose man at Newark. And in other cases, Borovitz would purchase a refundable airline ticket to get into the secured areas of the airport and scam people for money. That part's clever, that he actually gets into the part where you can't get to if you don't have a ticket. But he just buys a ticket and get the full money back. He'd allegedly pretend to have missed his flight, asked for $200, and promised to pay the victim back, according to police. He then used the victim's business card in the next scam, claiming to have a job interview with them. <laughs> Unbelievable. So he gets their business card to contact them and pay them back, and then he just uh, uses that in the next scam. So yeah, this is who my interview's with. Nice at, fucking guy. After the latest report, investigators determined Borovitz was at the New- Newark Airport Marriott and on Thursday went to his hotel room and arrested him. So he wasn't even arrested at the airport. They just went and got him at his hotel. Borovitz is due back in Essex County Municipal Court on April 17th. It wasn't immediately clear if he had an attorney. Borovitz is believed to have targeted people in other airports, uh, including Charlotte. Uh, actually, it should be more than definitely Las Vegas, too. I think Chicago as well. Uh, he has played in the World Series of Poker and played seven events from 2012 to 2014, according to the World Series of Poker website. They don't even understand what they're writing here. He, he didn't play seven events. He cashed in seven events from 2012 to 2014. This guy is what your average person thinks every poker player is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And in terms of like being kind of a dirtbag and ripping people off and no morals, you know. I just don't understand why he comes back to the same scam over and over when he keeps just getting arrested repeatedly for it. 
I because Jeff, like we've talked about many times, man, <laughs> criminals are not always that bright. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. If he was really a genius, you know, I mean, he'd probably be doing something better than hanging out at airports. Yeah, just come up with something else and then the same airport ruse over and over and over again for two hundred dollars. It's not like he's making huge money to where he figures that it's worth the risk. This is two hundred dollars per victim. It How must much? work some decent amount of the time, I guess. Yeah, you know? it, it does. And then and then he gets I, I I'm surprised he stays out of jail. Like how many times can you get caught here with it before you get like a really long prison turn for it? I like how he's moving around too. He's he's been I think in Charlotte, Chicago, Vegas, New York. That's the biggest problem with the airports. Though you're just, you're just, there's too many police there. That's that's not a good place to go to commit crimes. Well, it's like that woman they kept stowing away on planes, <laughs> you know. And she just got busted like a couple of weeks ago, too. I think you remember that whole story. She was based up in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I, I maybe there's like something. Path- it's like an older. It's like an addiction almost. Yeah, I was gonna say something like pathological here. Maybe it's just something that draws him to the airport. Maybe he enjoys this in some way. He he had said on the show this is just about money, and he had a gambling addiction. This is the way he funded it. But I, I'm thinking that he must get some sort of satisfaction out of this. You know, maybe he enjoys the people that he fools the people and that they loan him the money and. He gets some kind of rush, maybe a similar rush that people, the normal people get, like running a, a convincing bluff that works at a poker table. That's, uh. You know, during his next interview, he's gonna use that. It's like running, you know, it was a sickness. It became like running a bluff when I'm in a poker yeah, game. Yeah, that's true. That's, that, that would be a good excuse. I, I can still get that feeling too. Like when I was playing, I just limit Hold'em, where, where bluffing is it's somewhat limited. But I fired uh, every street with a big draw. Or not with every. You know, I, I fired every street with what I thought was the best hand, with pocket twos unassisted. And then by the end, I think the board was Jack ten ten six six. So I had too high. So it checked to me, and I bet. And I knew there was a very good possibility the guy could have uh, just an ace and it was going to call. But because it was 10-10-6-6, I was hoping he would reason out that the only hands that I'm that he's beating me with would be something like... Uh, Maybe it wasn't decked. It was Jack nine nine six. Something where it wasn't even like an open. A straight draw was something where. Uh, basically, he would have had to put me on twos through fives. For me to uh, be be counterfeited at this point. So the guy reasoned out. I think that I that that an ace wasn't going to be good there, because I just bet the whole way. I three bet in preflop and bet the whole way. So I think I had three bet preflop, and there were two, you know, him and one other caller, and then I bet they both called the flop, and then the turn I bet and one folded, and he called, and the river was me and him. So the pot was big enough; it was worth one, you know, one more bet there, even though there was a pretty good chance he's going to call me. So I bet he th- he said there's thinking, 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 and thinking, come on, throw it away, throw it away, throw it away, and he threw it away. And I have to admit, I got you know, I got the little uh, thrill out of it. Like it was, it was uh, a very. Uh, 
not just to win the money, just like it was, it was like extra exciting that I just won with too high. So, I th- maybe that's what Borovitz is feeling when he rips these people off at the airport. I don't know. It's just, to me, it seems like there might be something more to this than just the money itself. So, I think this guy's going to be scamming airports till his dying day. Yeah, for sure. He's one of these guys who doesn't know how to do anything else. He's just going to keep doing it until someone actually locks him up, you know? And I think he actually had a decent, that's the other thing. I think he has a college degree. He had some kind of decent job, too, he told us. I remember I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I forgot what the job was, but he has some kind of decent job. Now, it may be hard for him to get at this point. After If you Google him, you saw this, you know, but the airport scam, I mean, that couldn't help. But uh, I, I think that he's, like, addicted to the airport scamming. I really do. So, next topic. We're talking about Backpage.com. Let's let's get away from gambling for the moment and talk about hookers. Uh, Backpage.com is down. It, it's been busted in a similar way that, uh, like, Full Tilt was busted. Poker Stars was busted. Yeah. It's Feds a, put their certificate on it, right? Yeah. It's, it's got the Fed certificate. In fact, it's, it's, it's several uh, certificates on there, or several logos, should I say. If you go to Backpage.com, you can do it right now. There's They actually have kind of like the, um, like the old opening to Backpage, but kind of reduced in size. And then they stamped yeah. on top of it, which they didn't have to do. They they could have just put the notice without that, but they they wanted to be dramatic. So they like they they took a screenshot of the old opening to back page and then just stamped on top of it a, a square that says uh, backpage.com and affiliate websites have been seized as part of an enforcement action by the FBI, the US Postal Inspection Service, and the IRS with analytical assistance from the Joint Regional Intelligence Center. And, like, all the logos are up at the top. Like, there's five different logos. And then it makes... tax dollars at work. Yep. Look at all those agencies involved here. Yeah, yeah. They they went all over it. So this was dated uh, April 6th, 2018, and it still stands this way right now. Probably stand this way for a very long time. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Backpage was a site where... You would look for hookers. That was its the entire purpose. Well, well, no. I mean, it started kind of being a lot like uh, Craigslist in a way, like originally, right? But the uh, definitely the the whole prostitution thing kicked in, and then I think the legit stuff that was being sold up there, they continued to encourage that as kind of like a cover. For the other shit oh, that I they were know doing. Yeah, see, no, I'll tell you why. I never went to the front page of there. Like, I, I'd only see back page when people would link to it, and it was always prostitution stuff. So I just assumed that was the only. No, function. man, that's not the only oh. thing there at all. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that was now, definitely full, full disclosure, Druff. I have never partake in in any services from Backpage.com, but I do know a buddy of mine who did, hmm. and he was very satisfied. <laughs> well. No, I'm not kidding. I mean, he was telling me that uh, he was going to do it, and he got this uh, cute girl to come over, and, uh, you know, everything went swimmingly. 
Well, so it was a it was a successful transaction. Well, so so it's interesting you bring that up because this this is uh, here's some of the problem, and and here's why we got to this point. There were a lot of sites out there where hookers would advertise. There was Backpage, of course. There was Craigslist. There were other sites. They're that on were, Craigslist too. Oh, they've been on Craigslist forever. That in, I didn't know. In the personal section and in the uh, especially in the casual encounter section. Mm. The, they were there were hookers on uh, sites that were even more explicit about what they were. You know, something escorts dot com. There, there was a lot of sites out there like that. And it was easy to believe, okay, this is a victimless crime, you know, even if it's technically a crime, if, if the guy wants it, if the woman wants to sell her services and, you know, they go do that, who cares? It's uh, who's getting hurt. Well, if that's the way all the transactions went, I would agree. But there's a lot more to it that, that rode along with this, unfortunately. Yeah, there's some girls that... Uh... I think there were like five of them that were trafficking victims, right? Well, there's a lot. Yeah, there are a lot. Of, right, a lot of trafficking victims. So there's a lot of different things that happen with with. Uh, but I think they were actually involved in this takedown thing. Yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. But but there's. I'm talking about in general though of the of these uh, online hooker transactions that that you know explaining why this is not just an innocent situation. Where a guy wants to, to hire a hooker and, and does so, and the government's trying to interfere. There, there was a lot of unfortunate uh, criminal activity with actual victims right. that was right along with it, such as uh, scammers, upchargers, uh, pimps who would uh, take all the money to where the the money you're paying the girl should go. You know, she was under the control of a pimp who would take basically all the money and give her almost nothing, right. and 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 threaten violence or actually sometimes commit violence if she tries to say no. Uh, Sex trafficking, where they, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where g- girls actually sent to uh, the United States uh, specifically to work as prostitutes and uh, under full control of the pimps uh, operating them, and even worse, underage sex trafficking and underage prostitution, where there's uh, many girls who are under eighteen, usually again under a sex trafficking type situation. Or, or, or just where a girl runs away from home and some pimp gets a hold of her. So all that, all that well, was that's going. Like, that's like fourteen in Alabama, though, right? The, I don't think there's any fourteen age of consent anymore in uh, uh, in the United States. I don't think there's anywhere like that now. There, there are some places where it's it's a, a rolling number of years, so where like a fourteen year old can have sex with an eighteen year old, but but not a nineteen year old. But I don't think well, there's the a, federal law. Guess what the federal law establishes as the age of consent? Trader Ruski? Uh, I would say 14. Yeah, I think so, too. I was going to guess 13. 12. Is it 12? Well, that is is crazy. (laughs) But but there's no state that has that. I believe all the states have like a minimum of 15 or 16. Right. Right, But I I think you can get married... I'm looking them up. At like 13 and 14, 14 I think. And the parents have to get from the, the right, consent. Not justifying this in any way, but back in the day, man, that's when, when girls were married off. You no, know? I know. It, it, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> change, obviously. But uh, but we're talking about the underage prostitution. Not, not, not It's a little different when a, a girl – it's not a prostitution situation. It's a girl under 18 wants to 
have sex with someone who's over 18. Uh, I'm looking and I think we might have, huh. Well, there are definitely a whole bunch of states where it's 16. Yeah, I know about that. Nevada is one of them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not up on this. So it's going to take me a minute. So you keep going. Okay. So, but anyway, but for, for underage, uh, any kind of prostitution or sex trafficking, that's considered a you know, real no-no for uh, for anyone under eighteen, no matter what state it's in. So, uh, anyway, then, you know, those are very serious crimes here, and, and 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 they should be. So, the problem is that these sites were all very aware that this was happening. Backpage was not ignorant of the fact that this was rampant on there. Uh, Craigslist was not ignorant. Of All these sites knew yeah, that they totally. were full of these scammers, upchargers, pimps, sex traffickers, uh, underage girls. They knew it, and they did nothing to stop it. They didn't care. They they, they just cared about uh, making money, and they, they just closed their eyes to it. And whenever it was brought to their attention, what? We didn't know about this stuff. <laughs> we wouldn't support this. No, no, no. <laughs> In fact, hey, Drew, you're going to get a kick out of this. I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what the ages of consent are. Yeah. In in various places here, and it says, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, so it's talking about, uh, you know, blah 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 between non commercial, non commercial, consenting adults in a private bedroom in state versus Lyman. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Yeah, I, th- I think we figured it out. I think I think in, of, uh... in state. No, no, I'm not. This is no slam against Abe. It's just funny. It's in state versus Lyman, 2005. The Kansas Supreme Court used Lawrence as a precedent to overturn the state's Romeo and Juliet law. So, I mean, apparently there was a state versus Lyman. Like no shit, spelled exactly that way. That's funny. anyway. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So. Uh, so these sites were doing very little to self-police, and, and Craigslist, I, you said you weren't aware it was there. I, I'm not surprised because Craigslist liked to pretend it wasn't. Craigslist uh, a long time ago said, okay, no more prostitution on Craigslist. Well, yeah, except the encounter, the casual encounters section was entirely prostitution, both gay and straight, and, and transsexual too. You, it was all on there. And and right. that that's all that was there. Like yes, the 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 male the men seeking women casual encounter section. Yes, there were a bunch of just horny dudes saying, "Oh, I'm looking for a, for a girl who who'd like to hook up for you know just to have sex with me, no strings attached tonight." But they they wouldn't get any response. I mean, that's a that that was uh, you know, guys that post that dreaming that girls are going to respond back to them. But aside from that, like every posting of women seeking men under casual encounters were hookers. Every single one of them. Uh, and, and same pretty much for uh, and, and then a lot of the, the gay and transsexual ones were like that too were, were, were hookers as well so uh, Craigslist knew about this they, they they could have easily put a stop to it if they really didn't want prostitution on there they could have written a bot to completely obliterate this because there th- there were all kinds of stupid codes that they tried to write in there to, to make it clear what they were doing you know, you know let's meet up tonight and bring 400 roses like they weren't even that subtle about it and and Craigslist did nothing. They could have written a bot that could have easily scrubbed this stuff out. They didn't. They they let this go on. They they pretended they removed it and then just watched it move to another section and didn't care. Uh, Backpage, they, they very much encouraged it. All these other sites, they, they knew what they were doing. And, and, not, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't just about facilitating prostitution. It was that all these scams and bad things that, that went along with it, uh, they really did nothing to stop it they they had very little interest in the harm that was being caused here so 
this um, started to get more attention in recent years because of the sex trafficking and the underage prostitution. That started to get more and more attention in in uh, the 2010s, especially the later portion of the 2010s. It's just it's something that's, that was starting to get more and more steam behind it to do something about. What what was mostly ignored and is still mostly ignored because the victims are less sympathetic are the the scams where and I'll tell you the type of scams that that take place. There's there's the outright scams where the girls show up, you give the money, then uh the second you go to the bathroom they they run out and disappear. There's the angry pimp scam where uh you pay the girl, she asks for more money. The girl like unlocks the door secretly without you realizing it. Uh asks for more money. Uh when you start you start arguing saying no 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 that's not what it was and then all of a sudden a, a pimp walks in through the unlocked door, a big scary guy and intimidates you saying, "Hey, you know, she came all the way down and you're going to pay her for her time. You're going to pay this much and yeah, the guys pay." Uh, then there's the upcharge scam where the girl shows up and uh, you know you think you're going to have sex with her for you know, $200 or whatever the agreed upon rate is. And then she just does a, little, a stupid little dance for you and says, okay, that's what you've paid for. Now if you'd like to have more, it's another 300 another 500 And then uh, guys feel like they're kind of pot committed at that point and pay. So there's all those kind of scams uh, where – and those are uh, – not discussed very much, but they happen as well. Yeah, they, all this shit happens, and this is, see, personally, I think prostitution should be legal, and I think it can be it can be empowering for women, but the problem is all of these people that then, you know, try to kind of latch on and the whole ecosystem and are abusing and, and trafficking them and all that kind of stuff, that's why I like the way that um, the Netherlands did it. So prostitution is legal, but third parties benefiting or making money from prostitution is illegal. So you can't have any pimps, you can't have any traffickers, you can't have any of that bullshit. And I think that is probably the way to do it. Don't don't allow people to to parasitically feed off of this and incentivize them to be abusing women. But if you're... Uh, a girl and on your own, and you want to make some money and do it, then go ahead. The problem you know? I see with that, though, is that you know, right, like it's not like being a pimp is legal right now. It's illegal and it happens anyway. I would see it where right. you're still going to have the same problems with the sex trafficking and all that. That's that's where I, I, I just it's I not think, if there are legal venues that that are existing and you're able to go to, you know. But then you still have the underage ones and the other ones that otherwise wouldn't qualify for some reason. So you, it, it's very hard to clean this up. It's just a very hard industry to clean up, especially in the U.S. Where uh, it's, it's, a- it, yeah, it's, I mean, of course, right? But it's also hard to stop people from drinking when they're underage, you know? That doesn't mean that you don't put sensible things in place. They could try, but uh, I've just, and, and like there, there are the legal brothels in Nevada, and I've never been to one, but from what I hear about them, they sound pretty unappealing. Like you, you show up, they line up the girls in front of you, you you, you pick the one you want, then you go off to a room to do you know, whatever you contracted, you know what you bought for the, you know, the service you bought for them. It just seems so much like a business transaction, like even right. more than than normally uh, prostitution prostitution yeah, but situation es- would. But escorts. Let's say that escorting was legal, right? You mean real escorting, not not what they call escorting. What they call escorting, you know, where women can essentially be, you know, they're 
their vagina can be freelancing, you know? I mean, that would be a really convenient way to do it. The The problem is it's probably not all that safe in some situations, you know? Yeah, there's, a pro- there's so many bad things that can ride along with it. For the women. That, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's so many bad things that ride along with it. That, that's, and that's potentially the for the Johns, you're right. Potentially for the yeah. Johns. So yeah. so now this is all happening as, as a result of uh, a recent change in the law. And, uh, well, this, I shouldn't fully say that the back page is a long-standing investigation that dates back to 2016 okay so that that doesn't have to do with the uh the recent change in the law but other sites are actually voluntarily closing down their section their personal section or their escort sections as a result of the recent law change uh which can hold operate the site operators responsible for bad things that happen as a result of advertising on the, on their site, uh, this is uh, called uh, FOSTA and SESTA, FOSTA SESTA, F O S T A S E S T A, and uh, let's see what these exactly stand for. Do you know what these two stand for? I've, I've... FOSTA and SESTA. Yeah, it's... I have no fucking idea. Man. I knew about the law. I, I, let's see what the acronym stands for. I. I... I just never knew what the acronym stood for. Here, okay, what so about you, Trader Ruski? Are you on board for legalizing prostitution? Absolutely. <laughs> I knew he was going to say absolutely. Right, okay, SESTA is Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. That's SESTA. Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. Uh, FOSTA is... Let's see if I can find FOSTA. So I, I agree with what you're saying, though, Druff, in that, I mean, the problem is that you are going to get some underage elements involved in this at some point, right? I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's it's probably true. But is it better to have that all happening in the shadows? You know what I mean? I don't know. No, I don't but, think so. But there's also varying levels of, of enforcement. Yeah, sorry. FOSTA is a Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. So they're similar. Fight right. Online uh, Sex Trafficking Act and, and Stop. Was, I'm forgetting the test already. Stop Enabling Sex, Sex Traffickers Act. Very similar. So it's known as FOSTA SESTA, and it's, it's, uh, it was passed and in, in uh, late 2008, in, in late February of 2018, and, uh, signed on April 11th, today, I guess now it's yesterday technically, by President Trump. So it, uh, it was passed in, in, in the, uh, in the House and the Senate. That seems like a strange law for Trump to be behind. <laughs> that is, that people were, were <laughs> believe me, people were remarking on that. But uh, yeah, it was passed in the House and Senate, and then it was officially signed into law. I didn't even know it was officially signed into law today, but it was. So, in preparation for this being officially signed into law by Donald Trump, a lot of these sites panicked that they can be held responsible for things that happen on their personal sections. So they preemptively took things down. Uh, there's a, a, I've found a site that lists all the different sites that did that, that they knew of that, or at least the, the known sites that made changes as a result of FOSTA SESTA. So uh, even Amazon, actually, it, it, it was thought Amazon did, but it turned out it wasn't. Amazon, they, they thought they changed, they deleted erotica from Kindle. 
but actually Amazon said there was a, a an inadvertent change of the sales rank and they corrected it and you can easily get it again. So that probably wasn't it. But but uh callescort.com went down for quote maintenance. Uh callescort.org closed City Vibe, which I'd heard of before, closed. Craigslist, as I mentioned, took down their personals and blamed Foster Sesta. I remember that. That was uh, a few weeks ago. Uh now, some, even some of these fetish sites that aren't outright prostitution have uh, closed shop or changed. Like DomCraft.com canceled their classes, whatever those are. Classes? Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> EscortDesign.com closed. Uh, FetLife, which is a fetish site. It's like a fetish forum and group site. Uh, they didn't close, but they made a new rule. No exchanging of sex acts, goods or services, no escorting, and no consensual blackmail or financial domination. Wow. No consensual. You can't even do it. Uh, even even if you want to be, would they have this horrible shit happen to yeah, you? Yeah, you, can, you, huh? you can't do it. Um, hmm. Did you say financial domination? But you haven't heard of this before? Uh, financial domination is... <laughs> <I've> never heard <laughs> uh, Financial domination is... If, if you're a girl online... And uh-huh. you can find a financial slave. You, you've hit the jackpot because th- these are guys. There aren't that many of them, but there are some guys out there who get turned on by having women uh, like force them to give their money to them. Really? Yes. And uh, so that's what financial domination is. Is like uh, I would I would pretend to be a woman to be able to do. Yeah. This so so tell me, tell me more. If if you go to these like. <laughs> If you ever go to these like like uh, sites of mistress whatever like these 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 women who claim to they're going to dominate you, they always have a section about financial domination. They're just hoping they reel in some guy who's rich and is willing, you know, gets an excitement of being uh, told to send them two thousand dollars, and then they do. Like hey, you're pathetic, you're this, you're that. You know, send me this money. It's the only way you can make me happy. And then the guy does. So like that. That's what financial domination is. It's not. It's not easy to find though. Otherwise, these girls would all be making bank. But uh, you can understand why they all hang out at FetLife, uh, hoping to run into that. Then um, Google Play, of all things, which Poker Fraud Alert is available on Google Play. Uh, they upgraded their terms of service to ban explicit content such as promotional images of sex toys, apps that support escort services, or radio shows that talk about jerking off in Starbucks bathrooms. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. Uh, here's a site I, I wonder if either of you have been to, hungangels.com. <laughs> oh my God, I go there every day. Yeah, so if you if you want to, I, I I believe just from the just from the name, I haven't been there. I have to guess that hung a hung angels is uh, to find uh, transsexuals with big dicks. I have to imagine that's what hung angels would be. Or it could be like that William Hung guy from American Idol. Oh, that's maybe. like a pimp site now. <laughs> <laughs> hung yeah, hung's angels. You're right. So, oh God! You know he actually became a poker player for some time. I don't know if he still plays. No, I didn't know. Yeah, so uh, they removed their forums. You can still go to Hung Angels, but it's not no forums anymore. Uh, here, uh, a similar theme: MenForRentNow.com is closed. Uh, it, Mojo Escorts is now a runtime error. Uh, MyFreeCams.com, which is one of the bigger campsites, they still exist, but. You can't make any kind of transaction on there where you give an where you give a girl on their tokens to agree to meet with you. Mm. Uh, MyProviderGuide.com closed. MyScarletBook.com closed. Nightshift closed. 
Offbeater closed. I don't know what that is. Uh, off Offbeater? Yeah, that's that's probably Ken's I mean, I can, I can guess. <laughs> offbeater. So it's like the Black Friday then, Druff, of... Uh... Yes, yes. And then these are, but now these are voluntary clothes. Aside from Backpage... No, 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 no. It's the Black Dilday. Yeah. <laughs> aside aside <laughs> from Backpage... The, the greatest thing was if they just legalized it, then be like the all of these like DeVry's and ITT technical institutes, you know, just for like prostitution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then there's there's pounced.org. I wonder what pounced.org would even be. Well, it's closed. It supposedly has a message up there. We were able to offer pounced.org as a free service to the community because of the liability to use was well managed and we could manage our cost effectively. In many ways, this bill targets small sites like ours directly. It favors organizations with the resources to invest in filtering technology, paid staff, and legal support staff. Basically, they're claiming they're, they're too small to prevent scammers and all that on there. So. <laughs> Pounced is it? <laughs> Is a furry personal site. Oh boy! You know the furries are those the, yeah, fucking really people that dress up like My Little Pony. I and never shit understood and they fuck that. Each other. I never understood like what, what, why they'd be a turn on to dress like an animal. But okay, I, I don't know. Uh, preferred four one one dot com. I thought that might be a directory service. I, I guess it kind of is in one way. Uh, they're they're not, they're still open, but they won't allow uh, U.S. escorts on there anymore. Uh, like providing support dot com. You think that would be like a one of those scam sites pretending to be like uh, you, you have a virus on your computer, but no, it a, must be a hooker site. They closed. Reddit actually closed the subreddits of escorts and sugar daddy. Rentboy.com closed. One step won't be happy about that. Uh, Southern GFE. GFE, uh, by the way, stands for girlfriend experience. Ah, okay. And that's uh, GFE is where, uh, you can kiss. You can do other things. It's supposed to feel like you're actually with a girlfriend, instead of just like like you know just straight intercourse and nothing else. Uh, they wrote as it the Southern GFE, not just GFE. Uh, as it stands today, Southern GFE will will more than likely shut down at some point. Uh, but but then oddly enough, they claim it's not because of that bill. So maybe that's not because of this. Uh, then SpaHunters.com closed. Uh, th- this is kind of a sad one. The Erotic Review. Have you ever heard of them? No. Okay. So the Erotic Review was Yelp for hookers. Oh. Which was okay. actually useful because if you ran into these scammers or, or others that, uh, as Poker News would Did say. Did you leave any reviews there, Drew? Well, actually, yes. If oh. you ask. Yes. Let me, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. Tell I, us more. I, I have left reviews a long time ago on, on the erotic review, and I'll explain why in a second. I bet everyone's interested to hear this one. <laughs> but uh, uh, the erotic review was, was if you were going to get hookers, is very useful because you could, you could see who the scammers were. If people reported bad experience, either scammers or ones that didn't try very hard. Or like a, you know, you, you, you'd get basically the full story. Now, some girls didn't have any reviews, but this was, this was a site that was actually useful for the average dude getting hookers if he went there. If, if, if I had gotten hookers, which I really didn't, I seem to know a lot about this, but uh, I really I have not utilized these things ever. But if I did, and I'm serious, if I did, I, I really have. I'm not. I'm not like OJ. If I did it, okay, I'm not like that. If I did, uh-huh. which I which I, ha- I really haven't, mm-hmm. then I I would have used something like erotic review. But but then why have I left reviews there? Okay. Yes, Druff. Tell us why you have left reviews there. 
I'd say around 2006, 2005, something like that is when I first stumbled upon this site. How, I don't know, but I found it. And I know how you found it. It was not, actually, you don't. I, 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 even I don't know how I found it, but I found it very uh-huh. entertaining and, and, uh, to, to read about the different scams, to read about the, just all the different type of stuff that was happening in this world that I had no familiarity with. So, I know you were Googling, you were trying to look up furry kittens <laughs> and, and somehow you just slipped and clicked the wrong link and boom, erotic review. Maybe, right, go ahead. But, but I was, so the problem was you could only read part of the reviews and they would say, you know, premium members can only see this remaining portion. That was how they got you to pay and sign up. So I'm like, well, this is funny, but I'm not paying 20 bucks a month or whatever they want here. So that was the end of it. Well, then I saw that you could actually get free access as long as you posted two reviews. Then you get 30 days free access. So one night when I was bored, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to write two fake reviews. So what I did, but at the same time, I didn't want to screw things up. Like I, I, I saw that it was, it was, it was doing a, it was a useful service to guys who got this so they didn't get rolled as often. So I didn't want to screw it up and give like, I didn't want to give good reviews to someone who didn't deserve them. And I didn't want to give bad reviews to someone who actually, uh, uh, was doing a good job. So I, I, I would find, I, I looked for girls on there who already had a lot of reviews. And so if I saw one with like all positive reviews and I just wrote another positive review myself, if I saw one with, with like, seven reviews saying they're scammers and I'd write an eighth review saying they're a scammer. So I just went along with, with the consensus and so I'd do my two reviews, wait a day, they'd approve them and I'd get my 30 days full access and then I'd be able to read the whole thing. So my reviews were, were fake reviews, but uh, I, I went along with the crowd so I didn't uh, affect anything. Anyway, they, they closed to the USA that you can't... Uh, if you're in the U.S., you have no access to it anymore. They have a notice up there that uh, members outside the U.S. will still have full access to the site, but they've blocked access to the United States as a result of FOSTA. So they've closed. And uh, also no more the escortgirl.com, touchedbyvenus.com. Uh, Twitter has started banning adult-related accounts. Quietly, uh, USA Sex Guide, whatever that is, closed. And uh, oddly enough, Walmart apparently removed Cosmopolitan magazine because of its pornographic themes. <laughs> really? Yes, that's really weird. Interesting. Uh, the Yellow Pages actually had escort services in there. Did you know that? I never knew there were escorts in the Yellow Pages. I guess no they were clue. not anymore. And uh, and yourdominatrix.com. Who, who the fuck looks in the yellow pages yeah. for a hooker? That's we're, crazy. We're in the yellow pages. Oh, my God. And then right. uh, yourdominatrix.com also shut down everything having to do with the U.S. So a lot of these things shut down. It is kind of like Black Friday. Uh, but I have to say, again, that while this is very inconvenient for the guy who's used to getting hookers and for the hooker who's looking to get customers – that the industry is largely at fault for not self-policing all this time. That they, the, the attitude prior to this is this is just what goes on, and all these sites were very happy to take money from those who 
were trouble. And, and I've heard reports that people would complain to sites like Backpage when they were scammed or when they were upcharged or when you know they suspected someone was underage or whatever it was, and, and, and nothing was done. They didn't care. They, they washed their hands of it. They said, this isn't, you know, your word against theirs, sorry. They, they just didn't care. So this is what led to FOSTA-SESTA. This is what led to this harsher crackdown. Now, when I brought this up on the forum, Seriously Serious raised a counterpoint and said that uh, I should be very against this because as someone who runs a forum that has a free speech element to it, do I really want to support anything that could make myself liable if things happened on my site? Now, to be clear, FOSSA SESTA doesn't put Poker Fraud Alert in jeopardy in any way because we don't have that sort of thing on the site. There, there aren't prostitutes advertising on the site, nor would I allow it. But um, you know, I, I know what he's saying here that it can be a slippery slope. And, uh, you know, what if someone claimed they met a prostitute on the site and, uh, you know, or what if someone posted something and I missed it and then some guy met her, I could technically be responsible. So, you know, why would I want that? So I, I think that's far-fetched to actually happen in reality to me. But I, I do think that these providers getting rich off of uh, a lot of this obviously criminal content. And again, I don't mean criminal by the statutes, but but actually real criminal acts where it really is a victim and just not caring. They just wanted the max number of ads. They wanted you know, whoever paid for advertising on there is who, who they were loyal to. Something had to be done. They, they couldn't just hide behind, you know, we're just the site they're advertising on. Don't, you know, don't bother us with this. I do think that also law enforcement could have they, they if they made a greater effort to use these sites to uh, clamp down you know to just start making mass busts on all the providers using them i think that would have also put an end to a lot of this also i i i always wondered how so many people are getting away with this when it shouldn't be that hard to run stings on a lot of these. The occasional stings happen, but it just wasn't widespread enough. So I, I think a lot of this kind of existed in uh, kind of the wild, wild west of sex trafficking and sex uh, sex work for too long to where just anything happened and rarely there was a consequence. And those who were enabling it didn't care. And that's what led us to this. So I, I can't even feel too bad for anyone involved in all this, except except for the victims of the sex trafficking. I feel bad for them. But I, I can't feel too bad for the hookers who don't get as, as much business anymore or the uh, the, the Johns trying to, to, to get hookers or the the, the pimps that, like, or the sites that, that had to shut down for this. Because there, there was so much bad that was riding along with what was what was uh, the victimless part of it that I, I just feel it was causing a lot of harm to a lot of people, and this couldn't be ignored any longer. So, uh, furthermore, I've always said that 
either something needs to be legal or it's not. And if if you're going to run, if, if prostitution is illegal and yet your business is primarily providing ads for prostitutes, then you're running an illegal business. And and your your willingness to run this, where others who would run it but are afraid of getting busted, uh, aren't running it, then you're you're basically getting an unfair edge competitively that you shouldn't have. And that was that was my argument about uh, a lot of these poker sites as well. Is that they sh- they shouldn't benefit from breaking the law simply because they they get a lot less competition because they're willing to break the law. So, you know, why why, why should there be uh, theescortgirl.com when 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 they're just providing elite when they're advertising illegal services on there? So. If you want to argue that there should be, it should be legal to to have those services, then that's a different story. But but while it's illegal, these these sites advertising this illegal stuff shouldn't be there. This shouldn't be a business model that that's that's valid. So, I I don't even mind this so much. There's a lot of people who are complaining about this Fosta Sesta, saying how awful it is, and and to me it doesn't matter if Trump is hypocritical about this. You know if he's yeah. Banging porn stars and then paying them to keep quiet. Uh, yes, I see the irony in the whole thing, but this isn't about Trump. This is just about you know what's the right thing to be doing. So, if this is if the the industry is needs to be decimated first, and then something sensible needs to spring from it, uh, then maybe that's what needs to happen because the the way it currently is is causing a lot of harm. And has been for a long time. Even poor Neverheap got rolled by a hooker a number of years ago. Mm. He really did. Okay. So. On a lighter note. Let's go from talking about something a little bit depressing. About uh, yeah, some depressing topics here. With the uh, Robbie Davies passing away. Michael Warovitz scamming people and getting arrested again. Uh, all these these hooker sites with the, with the child sex trafficking getting shut down and that whole world, that whole CD world. Let's let's talk about something funner. Let's get. We're not talking about that fucking town again, are we? That's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about something. <sighs> fun. We're going to talk about something funner, literally. So. Harris Rincon is the only Caesars property in California. California has a lot of casinos, but only one Caesars property. And that is Harris Rincon, which is now called Harris Resort, Southern California. And it's run by the Rincon Band of Luceno Mission Indians. Many people long believed that Rincon was was the name of the city, but it's not. The name of the city is Valley Center. It's just the Rincon Band of Indians that ran Harris Rincon. So, while a few years ago they changed the name because they felt that Rincon wasn't communicating to people where it was. 
In reality, it's in northern San Diego County in, in California, though it's it's not the San Diego that you would think of. It's it's like 45, 45 miles north of San Diego and kind of an area with nothing to do. It's inland. But it's in northern San Diego County. But they, they really wanted the name to reflect the fact that it's a Southern California Caesars property, so they changed it to Harris Resort, Southern California. But the city name, Valley Center, was very unexciting. And it's even kind of hard to remember that Harris Resort, Southern California, is in Valley Center. So they came up with a marketing idea. In early 2017, they said, hey, what if we just rename the city? Because Valley Center is a city controlled by the Rincon Indian tribe. So the tribe can do what it wants. It doesn't have to remain Valley Center. They can just change the name of the city if they want. So they thought, what if we were to change the name from Valley Center to Funner? Like it's a fun place to go. It's Funner over here. So that's what they did. Last year, they changed the name of the the city that the the Indian tribe officially decided that they're changing the name of the city from Valley Center to Funner. <laughs> uh, actually, it wasn't. It was two. It was August two thousand sixteen. It wasn't two thousand seventeen. And starting. From August 2016 through 2017, they started to uh, press very hard for the major map sites and social media sites to recognize Funner as a real place. So they told Google Maps, hey, take take Valley Center off, call it Funner now, it's called Funner. They told Google, Facebook, Instagram, Waze, Yahoo, Yelp, MapQuest, Bing, and the white and yellow pages that they need to, to recognize and adopt the new name. They also insisted that Caltrans change the highway signs to no longer say Valley Center. And indeed, I'm looking at a picture of it right now, on uh, a highway nearby, it says Funner 2, Rincon 4, uh, junction whatever seven. So it really is called Funner. Now, does Funner have a mayor? What what is the structure of Funner? What is the government structure? Well, the government structure is non-existent because it's run by the Indian tribe. In fact, I don't even know if if Funner is an incorporated city. It may just be a. Uh, community designation, but not an incorporated city. Uh, let me see here. Is it incorporated? No, it's not. It's, it's called a census-designated de- place, which means it's just it's technically San Diego County. But it's... Uh, it's not a, a, a incorporated city. It means it doesn't have an official government structure, but it doesn't need one because the, the Indian tribe runs it. 
But uh, what if Funder were to have a mayor? I mean, it could. The mayor doesn't have to have any power because the Indian tribe actually runs it. So what if what if they just appointed a mayor who doesn't really have any power? And what if that mayor would, would bring some marketing value to the city of Funner? In fact, what if they paid a certain person to be mayor of Funner and help promote it? Well, that is exactly what they did. They appointed a mayor to the city of Funner, California. Tell you one person who's not having much fun is uh, Calwatt is gone. He just vanished. But uh, listen to this. David Hasselhoff is the mayor of a magical place, a place where fun means something funner. While most mayors give speeches, <laughs> the Hoff speaks to your soul. And your soul speaks back, saying, Hey, man, where are you having all this fun? Funner. It's not a word. It's a place. Yes. David Hasselhoff is the mayor of Funner. He really is. Yeah, that's a commercial I just played you, but it, but it's the truth. He really is the mayor of Funner. He was officially designated the mayor of Funner by the tribe. He was officially inaugurated the mayor of Funner on May 18th, uh, 2017. He doesn't do anything as mayor. He doesn't uh, pass laws or go to city council meetings, but, but he's the official mayor of Funner. They have since changed the chips at Harris Rincon to say Funner California on them. They made new chips and they actually say Funner California. They have also changed some things at Harris Rincon to embrace the whole Funner brand. They they actually go around looking for get, for guests who are having fun. <laughs> they, they're, they're looking for guests at uh, Harris Resort, Southern California, a.k.a. Harris Rincon, who are exhibiting funner behavior. And then they're given fun citations. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They're given fun citations for having fun by a local fun enforcement team. Bartenders are encouraged to create their own funner drinks, even ones that are flammable, that aren't on the menu. And the hotel has been putting golden tickets throughout the restaurants that promise prizes that you get if you find one. I don't know how they handle that. Are people like searching around the restaurant? But that's what's claimed. They also have funner branded merchandise on the property. They seem very proud of this marketing strategy. They say Funner is killing it. Every other casino in the country is looking at what's happening here. I don't know about that. So yes, it's actually called Funner. Funner, California. And 
they actually started with this. Uh, they they first came up with this idea back in 2012, but it just didn't get implemented until 2016. And uh, a quote from them: "The strategy had always been about escaping the everyday for fun." So when the creative team dreamed up the name change, Funner offered a way to extend the campaign and play on its syntactical inaccuracy. Funner isn't a word, it's a place. We don't, we don't want our resort dwellers to simply experience fun. We want them to have Funner. It's the actual premise of the property. So I haven't been to the Rincon in a few years, but yeah, I think it's been three years since I've been there. But I'll tell you, it's not a very fun place. The only fun thing there is to do there, and only if it's not crowded, is they have what's known as a lazy river, where it's a, it's a river that uh, it, it's a pool where the it has a current and you can sit on a tube and float around, which is kind of mildly interesting and unique to do for some time. If the weather's nice, but other than that, you're you're really trapped in the middle of nowhere. There's there's not a lot to do with the casino aside from gambling, and you really need a car over there because you, you if you want to do anything interesting, you have to drive. I mean, you you're 45 miles or so from San Diego, so yeah, you can get there, but it's not like really close. But everything else in the immediate area is. Pretty much nothing. And the restaurants aren't that great, and the hotel's just kind of okay. It's just a casino. That's all it is. It's a casino with a a pool outside. So. I don't understand all this funner stuff. Very strange. What's also disturbing is they made a version of Hasselhoff, like, they have him sitting on it. I see a picture of, like, it's a, looks like they made some plastic or some sort of statue of him, except it's not upright, it's horizontal, and it's of him swimming in the ocean, like, from his Baywatch days. Someone made that of him. And there's, I see a picture being taken of him while he's sitting on it, like the like current older David Hasselhoff sitting on younger Baywatch David Hasselhoff. It's, it's it's very weird. But it, it's very easy to change the name of the place because the tribe is in charge there. There's there's no red tape. David Hasselhoff, by the way, is sixty. Yeah, he's 65 years old. And he's mainly been doing voiceover work recently. For like video games. So yeah, if you go to Harris Rincon, you're really going to Funner. Because I want to talk about dealer tipping. And what dealers can really expect as far as what tips they get. Because 
The whole concept of tipping dealers always was a little bit weird to me. I understand why you're expected to do it because they're paid minimum wage and that's how they make above minimum wage is tipping them. But at the same time, you're playing negative expectation games. I'm talking about casino dealers now, not poker dealers. So you're playing negative expectation games where unless you're finding a way to beat these games, you're going to lose in not just the long run, but also the medium run and the short medium run, maybe even the short run. These are games which are going to beat you. So you're, you're already going there and playing with a negative edge and basically assuring yourself to lose money unless you get really lucky. So why should you be responsible above that to pay some of the salary of those working for the casino? Shouldn't it be enough for the casino to be taking your money and, and they should pay their employees a, a fair wage? That really should be the way it is. But that's not the way it is. Typically, casino employees are paid minimum wage, and then they get some share of a tip pool, where they pool all their tips together, and then they get divided up evenly. How did this ever come to be? Well, it goes way back when gambling, when casino gambling wasn't all that common yet. And when the few people who did do casino gambling really believed in superstition, they believed that uh, somehow the dealer had control of whether they get better cards or not. Even if the dealer couldn't consciously decide it, that's, you know, something about the dealer, if the dealer gives you good cards, they've done a good thing. If they've done a, given you bad cards, they've done a bad thing. In fact, you still see this behavior at commerce where some of these uh, players, usually the Asian ones, uh, really go off and get rude to the dealers just because the dealer happens to be dealing them bad beats, which which is outrageous. I've never once gotten mad at a dealer for giving me a bad beat. But uh, there's many gamblers who actually get mad at the dealer when the dealer is beating them. And back in the old days, people would tip the dealers when the dealers would give them winning hands. Kind of like sharing the wealth. Kind of like, uh, okay, thank you for dealing these winners to me. Now here's a piece of it for you. Even though the dealer had no control, just somehow the dealer giving you the better cards, they were entitled to it. And it was kind of a superstitious thing too. Like if you share the wealth of the dealer, somehow it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you. Karma will help you. I, I don't know exactly the thought process, but or sometimes it was just out of feeling like it's the right thing to do or guilt or just see the dealer is the one who's responsible for your winnings. So people would tip the dealer when they'd win. And the casinos noticed that and said, wait a minute. Well, if people are going to tip when they win, we don't have to pay the dealers very well. We can pay the, de- the dealers the minimum and the customers will take care of the rest from tipping every time they win. And that's where it came from. And that's the way it's persisted. But I've always felt that if you're playing a negative expectation game, that you really shouldn't be expected to tip on top of that. You're already losing enough. Well, dealers say in response, we're not asking you to tip us when you lose, only when you win. So we give you a big winner, give us a nice tip. 
We give you a jackpot, give us a nice tip. The problem here is those winners are still not going to come close to breaking the gambler even. So when a gambler hits a nice score, usually that's after a lot of past losing, and the score, while seemingly nice, does not go far enough to get them even. Unless they hit something really, really unusual. And even then they often lose it back. But as far as the dealer sees, it's only in the moment. They didn't get to see this person's years and years of losing gambling. They only see it the moment when the person hits a an enviable score. Or when they happen to have a very good session and win most hands. And if the dealer doesn't get part of that, they can feel like uh, they're being stiffed in some way. So, there's a woman on my Facebook who's a dealer at a Southern California Indian casino. No, it's not in Funner. It's uh, it's one of the other ones. She is, uh, I, I believe, 59 years old, somewhere around there. She has an interesting backstory. She actually was once a, a stripper, a mud wrestler, uh, a bit part actress, uh, you know, appearing in bikinis and other small part where they needed you know, a sexy girl to appear on camera. So she's, she was in a number, a number of movies back in the 70s and 80s. She never had a starring role or anything, usually not even a speaking role. But uh, she was seen on TV and in the movies in small parts. She was, she was a dancer in one of some of these dance shows, stuff like that. She appeared kind of all over the place in the late 70s through the 80s. But obviously at this age, she can't do that anymore and hasn't been able to for quite some time. So she's not married, never got married to my knowledge, doesn't have any kids. So what do you do? You have to get a completely different line of work. So she is a casino dealer in one of the Indian casinos. She and I get along. Uh, we, we've really never had any kind of Incident with one another Like we've always gotten along But I've never met her in person And she's more of a friend of a friend But I saw the following Posted on her Facebook And I had to comment She wrote Nothing like paying a $14,000 jackpot And getting a $100 tip Woohoo Ultimate Texas Hold'em Dealt him a straight flush on the flop So he got 10% of the $140,000 jackpot so at first I wasn't sure if the woohoo was sarcastic or not. Like part of me thought that it was, but then part of me thought maybe she really was saying woohoo she she gets $100, which she usually doesn't get as a tip. But I, I was leaning toward believing it was sarcastic, that she just felt it wasn't enough for a $14,000 jackpot. So I asked her in her Facebook thread, I said, are you happy with the $100 tip or do you think it should have been more? And she wrote back, hell no, I'm not happy. That's not even 1%. So I wrote back the following. I said, okay, that's what I thought. Now I should give you perspective from the other side. 
Ultimate Texas Hold'em is a negative expectation game, meaning that players will lose over time. The guy who hit the $14,000 jackpot has likely lost far more than that at casinos in the past year. While $14,000 seems like a big score on the surface, in truth it's just getting back a fraction of the money the guy has lost gambling at casinos like yours. While I understand that dealers work for tips, you can't expect large tips when people hit a big score because they're probably still losing overall. Similarly, you don't tip them when you deal them bad cards and they lose, which is most of the time. $100 is actually a pretty good tip for a dealer. You should put out of your head how much he quote won and instead be happy that someone gave you an extra $100 for doing your job as you normally do. While some players may tip more for jackpots like this, you shouldn't expect such a tip. In fact, unrealistic expectations of high tips is why I stopped tipping dealers entirely. I found that if I gave them what was fair and realistic, they gave me a sour face and acted like I was an asshole. So if I'm going to be an asshole for tipping them something fair, I'd rather be the same asshole in their eyes and keep the tip I was going to give them. And this is true. I used to tip blackjack dealers and stuff, you know, when I when I get a nice win, just to be nice, not not because I felt I was obligated to. Uh, but then I started noticing they were unhappy with my tips. You know, I, I tipped them five dollars after winning, uh, uh, you know, a six hundred dollar hand, eight hundred dollar hand, something like that. I give them five dollars, and, and they, they look pissed. So I, I said, "Screw it!" You know, if, if you're going to be pissed at the tip I give you, then I'm going to give you no tip. My my choice was either to give them something like twenty five dollars, which is ridiculous, or uh, or or give nothing. No point to tip five dollars and have them be have them be pissed at me. I'd rather them be pissed and I give zero. So you obviously know my feeling on this because I that's what I typed to her and she oddly enough instead of fighting back with me she said she agreed with me and said no I don't expect anything I have no expectation of any tips I said well what do you mean by that do you mean you you don't expect people to do what you think is the right thing and tip you or you just don't think you should have a right to expect free money like this when people happen to have a good day at the tables she didn't answer me But I definitely believe that many casino employees feel this way. That when they see you hit a big score, or a moderately big score, they think they deserve part of it because they were part of the process. Whether they're the dealer, or whether they're the person giving you a hand pay at a machine. They think, well, look at all this money you won, and I work for a fraction of this per hour a tiny fraction of this per hour, you know, come on, just give, give me a little bit of it. At least a few percent, right? But no, because this is paying back against losses. If I lose an average of $200 a day for 100 straight days, I've lost $20,000. If on the hundred first day, I hit a jackpot for fifteen thousand. On the surface, I look like a really lucky guy. On the surface, you're going to want to envy me. You're you're going to say, "Wow, I wish I was that guy." He just won fifteen thousand dollars just like that. That's you know, look how lucky this guy is. Look how great his life must be. But in reality, if you go back a hundred one days total, I'm down five thousand dollars. 
That's not an enviable position. So while you're sitting there thinking, I owe you money, I owe you a big tip for giving me $15,000 in the hand you dealt me, because I'm making so much money, in reality, I've lost 5000 So if you're a dealer, if you're a casino dealer and listening to this, I, I understand you're working for tips. I understand that's the way it's expected to be. I'm not saying people shouldn't tip the dealers. I'm saying that whatever they tip you, you should be happy with. If you get a tip, even if it's a dollar, you should be happy because a lot of people just won't tip because they are afraid that you're going to be unhappy with it. And it just makes them not want to tip at all. And it doesn't matter if other people tip a lot more than that person does. You know, if, you, if you're used to getting tips of $10 and some guy gives you one, it's, it's easy to get pissed, but you shouldn't get pissed. Because the truth is, these are losing games. So, dealers need to keep that in mind. They should see tips as like a bonus. I know they're only making minimum wage, but 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 they really don't make minimum wage. That, that's their base salary, but they always get enough tips to where they make far more than minimum wage. Especially at strip casinos. But if you get a tip that's bigger than the ordinary because someone hits a score, then say, oh, good. You really should say woohoo $100. Why? Because you, you didn't do anything different. It was no more effort to deal this guy the $14,000 winner than it is to deal him a losing hand. So you should be happy that you happen to deal him a winning hand, which required no effort on your part, and you get an extra $100 for it. That's the way you should look at it. You shouldn't look at it like, what a cheap bastard. I, you know, He got 14000 Why don't I get 100 of that? It should be the reverse. It should be, well, I'm happy I got an extra 100 today because I happened to deal the guy a lucky hand. Saw24 in the chat room wrote, I knew a girl who worked as a blackjack dealer in a major casino. She was hot and making like 40 plus an hour. Well, it depends on which casino because the problem is that you're supposed to pull the tips in most of these casinos. So the girls who get tipped a lot because they're hot, they have to put it in the pool. I never liked that either. I never liked that as a player because you want to reward good service. I don't reward good cards. I would reward good service. Dealers who are friendly. Dealers who uh, were efficient at their jobs. But then, but then I, I tip them more and I just see it go into the pool. And I go, well, the, the crappy dealer I had before that who had a bad attitude, they're going to get just as much as this good dealer. So why, why am I even bothering? That's the other problem. He wrote, yeah, but she makes the pool much fucking bigger. Well, maybe in a small place. In a major casino, she wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't affect that much. It's a drop in the bucket. I mean, I, I believe everything you're saying. She's saying she, she was smart. She was friendly. She knew how to play it up. She was, she was hot. I believe all this. And I believe she got more tips. 100%. I'm just saying it, it probably didn't help her that much. Really, what gets added to the pool is, is, is kind of inconsequential. But dealers should keep all their tips. I think it encourages better service. They don't like it at casinos because uh, they're afraid it can encourage dealers to behave unethically, to do things that are illegal to assist players in exchange for tips. 
or even if not expressly illegal, something kind of unethical in their opinion, like a blackjack dealer dealing too far down in the deck before shuffling for a card counter, things like that. He says maybe she was pocketing it. I, it's, it's also possible it was a casino which doesn't do that. A few casinos do let you keep your own tips. So, dealers just, they need to understand that the, the tip money is coming from players who are losing. And in many cases, people who are headed to financial ruin because of a gambling problem. So, the few times they win, don't don't think you're entitled to some of their money. They're, they, they have probably a lot more problems than you do. Well, there's some problems in Washington State because they're closing down play money sites over there, including poker stars. I'm talking about uh, casino play money sites. They're closing down in Washington State because of a ruling that play money chips are, quote, a thing of value, which then makes wagering them gambling and illegal. Last week, PokerStars and various other social gaming websites decided to stop all play money services to Washington. And this has to do with a site called Big Fish Casino that was operated by Churchill Downs. This is what was written about it. The Ninth Circuit reversed the dismissal of a purported class action suit against Churchill Downs, alleging violations of Washington's Recovery of Money Lost at Gambling Act and Consumer Protection Act and unjust enrichment. The panel held that Big Fish Casino constituted illegal gambling under Washington law because virtual chips were a, quote, thing of value. The panel also held that the plaintiff could recover the value of the virtual chips lost under the RMLGA, that's that Recovering of Money Lost uh, Gambling Act. In this case, the plaintiff alleged she lost over $1,000 worth of virtual chips while playing Big Fish Casino, and that she could recover the value of these lost chips from Churchill Downs, the proprietor of Big Fish Casino. Therefore, the panel remanded for further proceedings. Can you imagine losing $1,000 in play money? I don't mean $1,000 in play money, Chip. I mean $1,000 in real money in a play money casino. How do you do that? How do you lose $1,000 real money in a play money casino? Come on. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I had a bad day at the casino today. Really? Which casino? Oh, it's, it's this, this, this play money site? Oh, good, good. You only lost play chips. Uh, no, no, I actually lost real money. But it's a play money site. Yeah, I, I, I somehow found a way to lose real money on a play money site. It, it's it's complicated, but yeah, I, I, I had a pretty bad day. Oh, oh, so so do you sometimes win real money there? No, no, I, I, I either win play chips or lose real money. <laughs> now, how can that happen? How can that happen? Well, it's the same way it can happen on non-gambling sites, if you think about it, or if you think more about apps, 
think if you download an app and you're not doing very well at the game that uh, is presented by that app, but you see all these different power-ups and these other things you can buy that would make everything a lot easier. It'd be easier to win. You could do a lot more. Maybe if it's a competition, that game, that you'll be better against other players. If you just just pay a few more dollars, then a few more, and then a few more, and, and they'll even offer packages worth up to $100 to keep improving your status on there and your abilities on there. And you're not winning anything of value. I have a game like that on my phone, a baseball game called a Tap Sports Baseball. And you start with these crappy players. Like I start the Dodgers and like most of the players on there are either kind of B-list Dodger players or ones I haven't even heard of that are like minor leaguers. And I'm like, okay, where's where's the good players? Like where like where's the good pitchers? Where's Clayton Kershaw? Where's Rich Hill? Where's where's even Alex Wood? What about the the hitters? Like why why is there no Justin Turner? Why is there no Corey Seager? Why is there no Corey Bellinger? Or Cody Bellinger, not Cody. Why why is there no Chris Taylor? Like what why, why why are the these big hitters missing? Why are the good pitchers missing? I thought maybe they hadn't signed with a site to have their likenesses represented. No, that wasn't why. It's because you have to work up to getting these players. You start off with the crap players. Originally, the two stars of your Dodger team are Matt Kemp, and I mean current Matt Kemp, not uh, Matt Kemp six years ago, and and Yasmani Grandel. I'm not even kidding. Those are your two stars. And your star pitcher is Tom Kohler. That's not a jokey. That's really who your star pitcher is. So to get better than that, you, you have to basically power up in the game. And you can play other people on there. You can play the computer. But but there's so many different opportunities where they try to entice you to spend money to, to improve your team. I, I haven't fallen for it. I'm, I'm too much of a cheap Jew. I've, I haven't sent a cent. And I've, I've kind of slowly improved my team just from play. But But I could skip past the whole process. I could get a lot of great players and a great team together. If I just spend a few dollars here, a few dollars there. It's tempting. Sometimes I think, hey, why am I wasting my time building this up? I could just pay you know, 10 bucks right now and get my team a lot better. Up Another 20 bucks, my team is a lot better. It, it, it's, it's, people get drawn in. So these social gaming, uh, the, the social games, you can often, like the, I'm talking about the casino games now, you can buy chips. You can buy a lot more chips to gamble with. And that's how a lot of them make money. And this is legal because buying things to play on these sites is fine. What you can't have is what you can buy in and then win with it. So if you could buy in for, if you could buy chips there and then cash them out if you win, that would become gambling and it would be illegal. If you simply buy chips but winning them gives you nothing of value, if winning more gives you nothing of value, then it is legal. So the problem here with this Big Fish Casino was the fact that the chips actually did have value in a way. 
because number one, they were transferable to other players, and there was no limit you could transfer. You could just transfer however many you wanted to other players on Big Fish Casino. And there was a black market for these chips. Why? Because you could buy them cheaper from other people who would transfer them to you than you would buy from the site. So I'm just making up numbers, but if the site would sell you a million play chips for for $10, if you can buy the same million play chips on eBay for $8, why not get them on eBay for $8? Why why spend the 10? So that's what people were doing. So this is a way to cash out your winnings. Anything you would win on the Big Fish Casino, you could then take to sites like eBay or whatever else and, and sell your play chips there and just transfer them to whoever you sold them to. That was the first problem. So even though Big Fish Casino wasn't cashing you out, people were finding ways to cash out you know, between each other. And, and second, Big Fish Casino realized this was going on, and they were actually charging a transfer fee. And how were, they, how were you paying that fee? It was with uh, something called gold bars, which you'd also buy from their store. So the gold bars would be something you'd have to you'd have to purchase, and then you'd have to give some gold bars, I and mean, you could do other things with them. But you'd have to give the, some gold bars if you wanted to transfer chips to other people. And this made it clear that Big Fish Casino was gaining monetarily from people trading chips with one another, which was essentially people cashing out. So people were trading chips to cash out of the site for real money, and Big Fish got their piece of the pie by charging these gold bars, which would have to be bought through their app. So this really did look like gambling when it was all said and done, that Big Fish was selling these chips you could play in their casino, which could then be cashed out where users would pay each other, and then they'd take a commission for it. So that's why Washington State clamped down upon Big Fish Casino. And claimed that those who lost money there in this fashion, you know, ones who bought these chips to to gamble there and uh, ended up losing, could actually recover that money from them. But what happened is this Big Fish story scared the other social gaming sites out of the state of Washington, even though they weren't doing this. Like PokerStars, for example, you can only transfer up to like a, a thousand play chips between players, which isn't very much. So when play chips can't be transferred, uh, or, or very few of them can be transferred, then there's no black market for them because there's no way to trade them between players. And it's not like they're – in the casino, you can't just dump them to other people like you can in poker room. So there really is no way to get your chips to other players. So that takes away the ability to cash out on the black market. And poker stars, for example, they, they don't charge any fee for trading your play chips. So Big Fish was doing something that the other sites were not doing, and that's why they got in trouble, but the whole thing kind of scared the other sites, and now there's no more – I shouldn't say no more, but 
very few social gaming sites that revolve around casino games allowed in the state of Washington because they voluntarily withdrew. Kind of an interesting story. But yeah, you always have to watch out. These, these gambling, these play money gambling sites, the things that don't appear to be gambling, if, if there's a way to, to cash out, really all the elements of gambling are there. The three elements of gambling, for those that are wondering, are risk, consideration, and prize. So if those three elements exist then it is gambling. So, I'm trying to look for some information on exactly the definition of gambling. Actually, it's, uh, yeah, risk, also known as chance, consideration, and prize. I I said that from memory. I went back to check my work. (laughs) So chance means that there's some sort of luck involved. Consideration means that you're actually losing something. You're putting up something that can be lost, and then prize means you'll get something you didn't have before if you win. So if there's no way to cash out the chips, there's no prize part of it. So even if there's consideration and chance, there's no prize. And then there's no... uh, Then it's not gambling. Much like the free roll on Poker Fraud Alert is not gambling. Why? Because it's missing consideration. There is chance and there's a prize, but there's no consideration because you can't lose. So it has to have all three elements. Well, speaking of gambling online, it's a pretty amazing story out of New Jersey. This is a study that was just done there, and it unearthed something very interesting. They were doing some statistics, some statistical analysis on the demographics of gamblers on the New Jersey legalized online gambling sites. And they found something pretty shocking. Previously, the oldest known gambler in these studies in the New Jersey online gambling sites was 98, which is pretty old. If you think about it, a 98-year-old you know, wanting to go online and gamble. First of all, a lot of 98-year-olds wouldn't even know how to do this. And those that would, you know, how many of them would have an interest in it? But a 98-year-old went and gambled online at some point on the New Jersey sites. But that that was the previous record. But they found in 2015, they couldn't believe it, but it was true. They found that a 110-year-old gambled on the New Jersey legalized casino sites. 110 years old. I wonder if that person's still alive today. Probably not. Three years is pretty huge when you're 110. 
Yeah. A 110-year-old a woman gambled. It's not clear what she gambled on or how long she gambled or how much she gambled, but she, she did gamble for real money on the legalized New Jersey casino sites. I suppose it's possible someone signed up into her name, like a grandchild or something. Grandchild wouldn't be a child, by the way. A grandchild would be older than me, of a 110-year-old. But, yeah, something like that. It could have been someone just using her name for some reason. But from what they can see, a 110-year-old really did gamble on one of these sites. Now, I bet you have never personally known a 110-year-old. You may have heard of one, but you've probably never met in person a 110-year-old. There's a reason for that. It is very, very rare to make the age of 110. Even in this day and age of of improved medicine, 110 years old is very, very difficult to make. 100 years old is pretty difficult to make, but... Only about one in 1,000 hundred-year-olds live another 10 years. So even though 100 is a big deal, of those who reach 100, 999 of them are going to die within 10 years, which makes sense. I mean, when you're 100, you're so old, <laughs> there, there, there's so many different ways you can die. So for someone to be 110 in the first place is highly unusual. But to have the mental ability to gamble and then to want to gamble, I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine a 110-year-old gambling? I wonder if that set an all-time record for gambling, period. I mean, is there any record of a 110-year-old gambling ever anywhere? In a casino? Anyway, like, have they ever had a 110-year-old gambler anywhere? I don't know. There haven't even been that many 110-year-olds that have lived on Earth. Like, in human history, I don't think there are that many 110-year-olds. I don't mean just like right now, I mean ever. I don't know how many there were, but if, if one out of a thousand who make it to 100, which again, is a very small percentage, make it to 110, then there's very few. And a lot of them at 110, they really can't do anything. Their uh, mind is gone. They're senile. They're, there's, you know, basically either in a nursing home or being cared for by loved ones. And I, I have to think that uh, the ones who make 110, very few of them are able-bodied or of sharp mind let's look, take a look at the list of oldest people that are alive right now yeah th- this is going to show you how hard it is to make 110 okay this is right now when you have your best chance to make it that old because of the improved medicine As far as men are concerned, the 10th oldest man in the world is 110 years old and 40 days. So the 
Tenth oldest man in the world turned 110 last month. So there's probably barely more than 10 men alive in the entire world right now who are 110 or more. Now, they also have a list here I'm looking at of the oldest people who have... uh, Been alive at uh, various times. You know, like they keep track since 1955 who the oldest living person is at the time, and and, and typically it's it ranges between uh, 113, 114, and it's almost always a woman. Right now, the oldest man alive. Is 112 years old and he's in uh, Japan. The oldest man in the U.S. right now is 111. The second oldest man in the U.S. is uh, is 110, but getting close to 111. The oldest person in the world right now is a woman. She is 117 years old in Japan. Every single person born in the 1800s is now dead. Only one person born in 1900 is alive right now. That's the oldest woman. And only one person born in 1901 is alive. And only one person born in 1902 is alive. So we only have uh, three people alive born before 1903 right now. And they're all women. One born in 1900, one born in 01, one born in 02. No man has ever made it to 117 years old. Never. The oldest man ever died in 2013. He was 116 years old in 54 days. He was in Japan. Only one person has ever made it past 120. That was... Jean Calment of France, who died in 1997. She was born in 1875. She was 122 years old in 164 days. She was 122 and a half when she died. Only person to make it to 120. Most people who make it to 100 are short and small. It has been shown that having a small body makes it a lot higher chance you are going to live an exceptionally long time. If you are a man over six feet, your chances of making it to 100 are very small. That is not good news for me or Calwatt, then. (laughs) We're both around the same height, and we're both... Well over six feet. 
Maybe things will change by the time we're older, but we're not that young right now. Yeah, Benjamin, he's got a long time before he's old. So a lot can change before then, but, you know, for me, like in 30 years, I'll be 76. So, like how much is really going to change in 30 years? I'm sure there'll be some improvement, but like as far as a, a, a major, major breakthrough, as far as lifespan, I don't think it's going to happen in 30 years. Someone on the forum once described it as we're probably living on the bubble where those of us in middle age right now are, it might be like the last generation to be too old to benefit from a real medical breakthrough that's coming sometime soon, but too late for us. But anyway, yeah, a woman who was 110 years old gambled online. Isn't that crazy? It didn't say who she was. No information, but they just found it. But they did find that, you know, it was a real verified woman who was 110. The only thing they couldn't verify is that she was physically the one playing. The World Series of Poker has had people playing the main event in their 90s. They they always say who the oldest person is each year, and it's usually someone like someone in their 90s. Usually, I think it was like a 94 year old. I think he even cashed like a 94 year old. But it gets tougher with poker, especially because you have to like you have to endure sitting there for a long time. And staying mentally focused the entire time and it gets hard. That's why Doyle stopped playing as much because he, he couldn't handle the long days anymore physically. And things can change very quickly. Like once you're over 70, you'll, even if you've kept yourself in very good shape, and most, and even if most of the time you feel healthy, you're, you'll start to notice things slowing down. It's inevitable. You're, you're going to start to notice that a lot of things you could do before, even like five years prior, you can't do anymore. So everything kind of starts degrading very fast at that age. No matter what you do, no matter what you, no matter how well you think you take care of yourself, it's, it's, you can't fight the aging completely. And there start to be so many different things that can get you at that point. I hope I'm able to play online when I'm 110. Because that'll mean I'm still breathing. That'll mean I'm still here. What if I'm still doing this radio show at 110? What if I'm doing the radio show and I sound identical? What if my voice has not changed one bit? And I'm still doing this show. And I'm, I'm 110 years old. And I have the title of the tallest 110-year-old ever. Which I would. If I made 110, I guarantee I would be the tallest 110-year-old ever by a very wide margin. 
So. Let's go. I, I think we have one more topic. Yeah, we have one more topic. Which is good. because I, I'm kind of running out of energy here, I'll be honest. By the way, you know what I woke up to today? This this was frustrating. So, I've been making baseball picks. I, I had one of the worst beats of all time. I wasn't going to talk about that, but yesterday, I had an under... Seven and a half bet between uh, St. Louis and Milwaukee, and the score was two to one going to the ninth. So under seven and a half runs, I mean two to one, bottom of the ninth. It's a lock pretty much because uh, either they don't score in the ninth in the bottom of the ninth and I win, or they score two runs and they win and I still win because it would be five. Or if by some chance they tie it, well, still, I, I, it, it, it's substantially uh, behind the seven and a half runs, and it's, it's probably going to end below that, especially because all the home team has to do is get ahead by one, and it's over. So it was tied two to two in the ninth, which I wasn't happy to see. Then it went to the tenth, and, and Milwaukee got hit three to two, only for St. Louis to tie three to three. Then in the eleventh. Milwaukee doesn't score, so I say, okay, well, all you need is a run in the in the bottom of the eleventh, and I win four to three. Only thing I can't have is a home run, for, for a home run that would score more than one run, because then it would take it to eight or higher. So what happens? They get the leadoff man on, and Matt Carpenter comes up and hits a two-run home run, so it's five to three. If he hit a double, that would have been four to three, and the game would have been over. But it was a home run. I lost five to three. So to go from two to one in the bottom of the ninth in under seven and a half, where if the home team gets ahead at any time, even with a uh, a grand slam, I would have won this. To end up losing the bet is insane. Especially the fact that I also had you know the. the Visiting team was leading again in the 10th. I mean, it's just horrible luck. So I made a pick again this morning, this time on Kansas City against Seattle. And then I went to sleep. I took a nap. And I woke up and I I scrolled down the scores. And for some reason I convinced myself that I was looking for Seattle to win. I had forgotten who I bet on. So I scrolled down, I go, let's see, Seattle 4, Kansas City 2. Yes, I won. Okay, great, I won. I was like, I I sat there for a little while thinking I won. I go, wait a minute, I didn't win, I bet on Kansas City. Like, I sat there, I was looking for Seattle to win, saw they won, was very happy, sat there for a little while, like, wait a minute, it's not even who I bet on. And it wasn't a mistake. Like, I, I bet on the team I wanted to bet on. I just Woke up believing I had been on the other team. And, and sat for a while before I realized the mistake. Very stupid. Anyway, I ended up going 2-2 two and two today. So, overall so far in baseball, I should have been 8-2 and two after yesterday. But I ended up 7-3 and three because of the stupidity. But now I am 9-5. Uh, and, and in baseball, because there's 
different ways you can bet. It's, it's more about how many units you're up. Because you can bet on big favorites, you can bet on underdogs. So just giving a record like nine and five doesn't mean much. But I, I am ahead right now, so it's a pretty good start. But yesterday's was brutal. Okay, so I want to talk about the free speech matter, and and this matters to me because I I run what is mostly a free speech site. There's some limitations, but for the most part, I, I let people basically be themselves. For the most part, I I let people express their opinions, even if it's, they're ones I disagree with. And there's people who, who post messages bashing me and, and you know, making fun of me or putting me down. There's people who express uh, viewpoints I strongly disagree with, including sometimes even anti-Semitic viewpoints. And I don't censor this stuff because I want people to have a free speech platform. Now, it's not 100% free speech. I, I will remove things that are illegal. I will remove things that are they're harming people in real life or giving out personal information. Uh, if there's someone who's trolling over and over, if the only point they're there is to troll and cause trouble and do nothing else, I'll remove them. But it's rare. I don't I don't remove many people from the forum, and I, don't, I barely ever delete any messages. So it really is a mostly free speech environment. So the free speech has always been important to me, dating back to when I was very young. And I was always attracted online to free speech environments. In fact, that's why I was on Neverwin Poker in the first place. You know, at first I was just there to kind of troll myself, but uh, I kind of created a free speech environment there. And that's why it got popular, because 2 plus 2 wasn't free speech. I like free speech environments because they're real, because people can be themselves, because people don't have to be afraid to express what they really believe, because it's more interesting. And I believe that even in venues that are not online, that free speech is very important. On college campuses, for example. Free speech is one of the rights that we're guaranteed as Americans, which it's very important, and it's also Unique to America. You, you may think that countries, uh, other first world countries in this world, also give you rights to free speech, but many of them don't. Many of them do not guarantee you a right to free speech. Even ones that do not seem to clamp down upon speech do not also have any kind of guarantee that you have a right to it, to where that can change at any point. But free speech was was really one of the main elements of the founding of this country in the first place. And it's it's part of the entire uh, freedom that we have. You know, freedom of religion and uh, freedom of movement. So many different freedoms we have that we were granted hundreds of years ago in the United States. Uh, freedom of speech is a big part of that. 
And when you find excuses to take that away, it usually is for some form of oppression. And when free speech is removed, it's never removed under the guise of, oh, we're going to silence you and and you need to support us silencing you because it's better for people to be silenced. Uh, Nobody likes hearing that they're going to be silenced or that uh, dissenting points of view aren't welcome. Uh, Very few people believe that's a good way to go about things. So usually when there is no free speech, it is presented in a way to where people are led to believe that not allowing free speech is for the good of the country or for the good of the people. That it's necessary to prevent evil from flourishing. That if they censor certain types of speech, that it prevents certain bad actors from getting their word out. That's usually the lines that they try to use to get those to support laws against free speech. Why why am I saying all this? Well, because I've noticed in recent times that we're seeing a disturbing trend on college campuses to where it's becoming less and less fashionable to support free speech. When I was in college, the concept of free speech was very, very big. Just about every student supported it, whether they were on the right politically, on the left politically, in the center politically. Just about everybody supported free speech. If you were against free speech, people thought there was something wrong with you, as they should. Just about every student was a free speech advocate, and in fact... The left, the political left, tended to be more pro-free speech than the right. At the time, the left was really the main force behind free speech activism, and and those who were against it on the right tended to be the uh, the Christian right who who, who felt like they were it, it was their duty to prevent obscenity. Usually, free speech was preventing free speech was seen as equivalent to censoring obscenity. Which, by the way, I. I, I've never been for either. I don't think obscenity needs to be censored either. But since then, things have changed. It's been almost 30 years. And now, free speech is not seen as very valuable or important by many in college. And a lot there who oppose free speech are actually on the left and not on the right. And in a strange role switching, it tends to be the right on college campuses, the small percentage that is there that's on the right, that seems most supportive of free speech these days. Didn't used to be that way. As I said, the, the few students who were against free speech tended to be the religious right back in those back in my day that felt that free speech equaled obscenity. But not anymore. Now now the right is uh, fighting tooth and nail for free speech. And many on the left, not all, but shall I say some on the left there in, in college campuses actually are advocating against free speech. So 
So a poll was done fairly recently. about how important free speech is on college campuses. And a Gallup Foundation survey found that 70% of students felt it was more important for colleges to have an open learning environment with diverse viewpoints even at the cost of allowing offensive speech, than to create a positive environment by censoring offensive speech. So 70% said free speech should be allowed even if it's offensive on college campuses. That, that's, that's the most important. So that may sound good. 70% they're on the right side there. 70% feel that uh, even if speech is offensive, it should be allowed. And that... Upholding free speech is more important than creating a positive environment by censoring speech you don't like. You may think, good, these, these college students aren't that bad. 70% support that, right? Okay, well, hold on. Let's look at the other side. That means 30% does not feel that way. That means 30% of the college students surveyed in this Gallup poll favored censorship. You may think, okay, well, maybe it's always been that way. Maybe always 30% has felt that way. No. Even as recently as 2016, when they did that same poll, 22% were pro-censorship. So it's gone from 22 to 30. In that same poll... 53% of students believe that promoting an inclusive society is a higher priority than protecting free speech. And about 35% said that it's sometimes acceptable to shout a speaker down on a college campus that they disagree with. Ten percent said they approve of violent disruption of an offensive speaker on campus. Ten percent. So what we're seeing here is that a lot of college students. I mean, the thirty percent is not that's not a small number. That's that's three and ten. I mean, it's, it's almost a third now feel that free speech is not all that important and the important thing is that people are not offended. They're not saying they hate free speech. They're saying that uh, we, we, it's got to take a back burner. We've got we've got to watch that people aren't offended. The number one priority is, is watch that people are not offended and, and make sure that people are not going to be bothered by speech rather than protecting free speech. Now, again, we're not talking about things like bullying or harassment or anything like that. We're not saying that that uh, th- these questions were not about should someone have a right to, to follow you around and harass you and put you down and, and things like that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about expressing ideas. We're talking about should should someone be able to express 
general ideas that you may find offensive or disagree with. And a lot of people are now saying no. Now, why do they say no? Is it because they hate freedom? Is it because they want to oppress you? No, no. They they agree or they disagree with allowing these things because they think that they're fighting evil. They equate offensive speech with racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, etc., etc. Why allow that type of speech? They say to themselves. What value is there to allow someone to speak on campus who might be racist or homophobic? Isn't it more important to protect the feelings of those who may be a minority or, or gay or a transsexual to not have to hear viewpoints that might be offensive to them. Isn't it better to promote an inclusive society rather than just let everyone speak their minds? And and that's why so many of these college students favor censorship of ideas. Now you may say, well, what's wrong with that? Why, why, why do we need racist speakers on college campuses? Why, why do we need homophobic speakers on college campuses? What, what value is that bringing? Why, why bring hate to the campus? Why give these type of people a platform? The problem is that it's not just so simple. What is a racist? What is a homophobe? What is a transphobe or an Islamophobe? What What is the definition? I don't mean the dictionary definition, but what is the definition to where someone would be that versus not being that? How is someone a racist versus not a racist? Where is the delineating point? There's no simple answer to that. And as we've seen in recent times, that anyone who has a certain viewpoint that contradicts someone else is often accused of being one of those things, a racist, a homophobe, an Islamophobe, a transphobe, even if they're not. So you may be simply wanting to bring your point of view, and you can't because they brand you a racist or they brand you a homophobe and suddenly you're not allowed to speak anymore. Suddenly, you're not allowed to express yourself. And those who are in college today will be leaders of tomorrow. Now, it is true that many times people change their politics and social views as they get older. But often, they don't. Often they carry that with them and it influences their decisions in life and the way they view the world and the way society changes. So if young people today are not very supportive of free speech, if the support for free speech by young people is at an all-time low, which it is, what about when they get a bit older and become politicians and start making policy? Do you think that free speech at that point will be protected. 
or would they find ways around it? There, there's, there are still plenty of ways that uh, some people are trying to find ways to attack free speech in the United States by trying to pass hate speech laws and other ambiguous statutes like that, which would criminalize speech. I've always felt that there should be a free market of ideas, that this is one area where the free market usually does take care of things, that if somebody has an idea that is offensive or wrong or stupid or ignorant, that most people will realize that and most people will disagree and express their disapproval and that person will basically get nowhere. Now, it is true that some people can be very convincing or very manipulative and and sometimes convince people to go along with their point of view, which may be at best incorrect or at worst uh, hateful and dangerous. But... That's a price that you have to pay to have a free society. Everybody should always have the right to express themselves. And I'm talking about in a public arena or in or in a, an appropriate venue. I don't mean that someone should have a right to just go disrupt whenever they want. People shouldn't just you know have a right to walk into a private restaurant and start spouting a bunch of offensive stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in a venue where it's appropriate to state your opinion, whether it's online or, or whether it's in a public space, you know, like a park or a college campus, should they have the right to do so without being either disallowed or maybe even charged with some sort of criminal penalty? And I feel the worst thing that can happen would be the belief that we can control what speech is hateful and what isn't, what speech is acceptable and what isn't. Because then what you get is a very slippery slope where only certain things are okay to say and certain things aren't. And differences of opinion start to disappear. And you start to live under fascism. Fascism is prevented by the open and free exchange of ideas. And in the open exchange of ideas, there is, there's often a lot of bad ideas. There are often a lot of offensive and obnoxious viewpoints. But those must all be allowed to be expressed. And then we can decide which viewpoints we respect and which ones we don't. But it saddens me to see that 30% of college students favor censorship these days. When less than 30 years ago, I bet you couldn't find 3% of college students favoring censorship. I haven't seen a poll from those days. There may not have been one. But just from my own observations back in those days. I can't remember one person arguing with me against free speech.
So that's it. I don't have much more to say. Mark Zuckerberg uh, testified in front of Congress. It was it was very boring. Politicians, they, they all just want to hear themselves speak. I, I hate the testimony in front of Congress because instead of the Congress people just going up there and asking relevant questions and the person testifying answering, it's, every freaking politician has got to make a speech. They all, they all have to grandstand and, and uh, they, they have to first make their speech and hear themselves talk and then ask the question. The whole thing drags so much. I, I couldn't get through it. I, I watched a little bit of it and turned it off. Also, Mark Zuckerberg was full of crap. And it just kind of pissed me off, too. So that is it. Enjoy doing your taxes this week if you're not done already. I would recommend to uh, paper file, not e-file, because it's a smaller chance you'll get audited. You don't want to make it easy for the IRS to audit you, so always file by paper. Print it out. It's a pain in the ass to print out all those pages, I know, or finding the big envelope and all that. It's much easier to just press that button and and ship it that way. That's what they want you to do. Don't do that. Just print it out. Trust me. Um, I want to tell you a few other things before we shut down. You can find Poker Fraud Alert in the archives on uh, Stitcher, on TuneIn. These are both apps you can find on your phone. You can find it in iTunes and Google Play. And you can download the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com's radio forum. And in fact, iPhones and iPads, you can just click on the MP3 and it'll just play. You don't need even need a player of any type. We do archive every show, except for that one that didn't make it on January 31st. So don't worry if you can't listen live. We have a banner at the bottom of the screen. It's intentionally on the bottom because I didn't want to disrupt anything. I I wanted it totally unintrusive. But if you look at the bottom of any page on PokerFraudAlert.com, you will see an Amazon banner. Why do I have that? Is it because I love Amazon? Well, I, I don't have a problem with Amazon. I, I use them a lot myself, but that's not why I have the banner. I have the banner there because if people click on it, then I will usually get a piece of your purchase. I'll usually get a small percentage ranging between 2 and 6%, and the, I can't control this. It just gives it to me. I don't I even understand the formula. And, and occasionally I get nothing, but usually not. If Amazon, when you click on it, Amazon tries to figure out if you're like part of my family or if you're me or like it. It, it uses this algorithm to figure out if I'm just like, you know, if the people ordering are related to me. If they are, it doesn't give me any commission. But other than that, I get commission. As I said, between two and six percent of each order. I cannot see who you are. So if you're ordering something embarrassing. Well, I can see the item you're purchasing, though I usually don't bother to look. But if I, w- if I wanted to, I could see what you're purchasing, but I can't see who you are. I have no way to find out who you are. So no matter what you buy, no matter how embarrassing it might be, I will never know who you are. I have no way to find it out. 
So you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to say, oh, I don't want Todd seeing the stuff I buy and, you know, judging me for it. There's nothing to judge because I, I won't know who you are. I can only see the item. Uh, of course, a bigger item will help me more than a smaller item because it's a percentage. So if you buy something worth a dollar, I'll get a few cents. If you buy something worth a thousand dollars, uh, I'll get, you know, something over 20 bucks and that's nice. So this doesn't cost you a penny. And it's easy. Just whenever you're going to buy something on Amazon, just click on my banner at the bottom of Poker Fraud Alert. Just, just go to any, any page on Poker Fraud Alert, scroll to the bottom and click on that. It'll bring you to regular Amazon. This is bring you to regular Amazon. It'll look just like the Amazon you're used to. And just, just shop normally. It'll bring you on regular Amazon and buy whatever you want to buy. And then I'll get the commission. Prices are exactly the same. This is really something you can do to give me a little bit of money without costing yourself a penny more. Not even a penny more. Everything will be identical except I will get 2 to 6% of the price you paid for the item as a, as a commission. Why am I asking for this? Because the site runs at a loss. It really does. Not a big loss, but the site runs at a loss. That's my only ad on here. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, please do that. And and you have to click on it before the purchase. Like if you click on it like last week and then you 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 buy something this week, it's not going to work. Then I won't get the money. But right when you're going to buy something, if you click on it, Saw24 says, uh, hey, Druff, your users are weird, bud. I don't know what he means by that. Check PMs now. Okay, and now I'm curious. He, <laughs> he wants me to check my PMs. Okay, I'm going to check my PMs. That's how we're going to end the show here. I'm going to check my PMs. Um... Okay, this is on the bathroom wall. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the bathroom wall is a portion of the forum where people can post anonymously. That's why it's called the bathroom wall. Someone posted there that Saw24 is a sex offender. And He's denying it, saying that the person, the, the sex offender that's being linked here, the middle name is Adam, and he's saying that his not his middle name is not Adam. So, hmm, weird. I think he's probably right. He's probably not a sex offender. Glad to hear that. <laughs> But yeah, you know, but users here, they usually get the goods. This, I guess this is an unusual miss. Anyway, I am tired. I've been tired for some time. I've been fighting it. I've been trying to pretend like I'm not tired. Now I have to download the show and 
go through everything and make sure I have the timestamps right. It's a new burden I have every week, but you know, I, I know people enjoy it. The the timestamps in the description, so I will do that. We will be back next week on Wednesday. See, Mumbles is calling in now. I, I can't take the call here. I'm out of energy. I'm not taking any calls now. Understanding this. See, I've been on for uh, five and a half hours. Pretty much talking nonstop. No breaks. I didn't get much sleep. I have things to do tomorrow. And I'm tired. Like, I I could fall asleep right here at this computer. I really could. The show's over, but my night is not over. I have to archive this and... Get this up for the rest of you who don't listen live, which is about, like... 90 to 95% of you. But thank you for listening, and uh, I'm going to enjoy playing Jay Searles whenever that's going to be in our heads up match. And Eric Benzamokin sent me another $100 for donations. We're getting a lot of money from him, a ton of money from him for uh, the free roll donations. Well, we'll have a nice free roll pool next week. I, I was serious. I, I probably am going to go to Nevada Gaming at some point and really suggest these laws regarding uh, new regulations, not laws for the guarantee tournaments. It just it makes me feel good if they can change that and this sort of thing can be prevented again. I I just hate seeing players being taken advantage of and the casinos have no consequence. In a highly regulated market like Nevada, that just shouldn't be happening. We must close this loophole. I don't know if gaming will be cooperative, but I'm going to make my suggestion. So that's all. I will talk to you guys next week. Make sure to vote on the Women in Poker Hall of Fame. Very shortly, I'm going to submit our official votes as Poker Fraud Alert. Thank you, Trader Ruski. Thank you, Calwine. And thank you to all the free roll donors. We'll see you next week here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio. As always... Shalom.